Well, welcome to Valley Strange, uh, episode number 20, I believe. I think this is 20. The Hitler episode. If not, this is um, it's quite embarrassing. 21. I, no, wait, it's, no. It's, it's 20. This is 20. It's 20, yeah. Part three was 18. Quite embarrassing. Because I just was listening to that earlier today. So episode 20, uh, milestone in Valley Strange. We actually hit a number that's not 10. Right, we had double tens. <laughs> we had double tens, yeah. Right. And uh, it just so happens that we're recording episode 20 on April 20th. Very coincidental. Wasn't intended that way. But. No, but it uh, just so in, so uh, coincides, as everybody knows, with the uh, the weed holiday. Has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about at all. So, Nope. There's no talk of drugs in this episode Ignore at that. all. Well... Actually, no, there's going to be a lot of drugs in this episode, actually, because we are talking about Hitler today uh, and uh, other crap that involves... And uh, little known fact, but like that guy was fucking high as balls all the time. Just wait till we get to that chapter. All right, so um, let's introduce everyone who is present. Uh, My name is Ray, and we're also in Nowhere Man Studios. Yes, and this is Nowhere Man Studio Land uh, uh, Liver... Roland. Yes, he, he lives in his own studio, which is weird, but I mean, like, right. it's just a modern thing that people do. Yeah. You know, struggling. In fact, uh, it's just it's the economy, man. The economy. <laughs> in this economy? <laughs> yes. Uh, and we also have uh, representing the Pacific Northwest Division of MoQuest Studios. Um, also living in his own studio. This is Daniel. Um, but, you know, I just think this is going back to the old, like, cottage industries, you know, before everyone got pushed into the factories, you know, we're, just, we're like, we got pushed out of the factories because of COVID. And now we are, so it's like, we're getting a pushed back industrial into the age, factories because of but the it's in the tech era. Yes. <laughs> and if uh, you remember last time, episode 19, we left off talking about Joseph Smith. And kind of the dun, birth dun, dun, of uh, dun, dun. Mormonism, and that UFOs pretty much, or UFOs or aliens, gave him his uh, the basis for his religion and stone tablets and all that other nonsense. And definitely not any drugs of any form uh, whatsoever. No, he's very straight edge, yes. Joseph Smith. Yeah, but and also you know also reinforced kind of the other custodial religions, where it was apocalyptic and so on and so forth. And that's right. Um, and also work to right push man further or humankind further into um, like a mature. truly like materialist view yeah. of reality. Um, right. Cause based in materialism to be precise. Yeah. Uh, because uh, apparently keep, when you, when you die uh, as a Mormon, you can inherit your own planet and like in the, in the actual known universe, uh, it's not any kind of spiritual realm or anything. You're just literally taking it's over the planet. It's your own place. It's a fucking planet. The size of the planet varies, I guess, depending on the... It's not the size that matters, Ray. It's just the planet, right? That's right. It can orbit anything, you know? Anything. The motion of the gravitational pull, <laughs> I guess. Yes. The size it of the orbits planets. the Holy Spirit, okay? The size <laughs> of the planet is immaterial <laughs> to the material gains that you get for getting a planet. So. Right. So well, before uh, the uh, yes, LDS, you know, sues us into oblivion. Unless it's a blue um, planet, maybe we should get on to pissing off some commies. Right. So basically, the last chapter left off with uh, saying that uh, says we, we talked about the, that Mormonism was basically promoting a materialistic t- 
type of uh, worldview or even a spiritual worldview. Yeah. Uh, so it led us off, or is leading us into uh, communism uh, with Karl Marx. And it's chapter, chapter 31, 31. Apocalypse, Apocalypse of Marx. Well, um, we get a little bit um, before Marx because there's some uh, crap going on in France after the revolution. Um, so there were a bunch of uprisings. And uh, back again, you know, hero of the American Revolution and French Revolution and other uprisings after the fact. You have the Marquis de Lafayette, so another uh, known uh, Mason and uh, yeah. revolution helper, starter, perpetuator dude is hanging out. And uh, he's helping out this guy called uh, Louis Philippe, who became the figurehead in a revolt in 1830. And... Another important guy that was a backer of this, uh, I guess, temporary king or monarch or whatever that he was, was uh, Luis Auguste uh, Blanqui. I'm probably butchering that. But this guy's been credited with basically inspiring directly or indirectly every major uprising in France from like 1830-ish to the 1870s. Um, but of course... Blanqui was a member of a series of secret societies. So then we go yep. back into kind of brotherhood influence into these, you know, major, you know, geopolitical affairs. Um, and yeah, well, the name of one of them was the, the League of Just. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, society the Society of the Seasons, of the seasons as well. Um, that sounds like a 60s band. Which is a, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, they mention a few, but, uh, but, um, folds it but with that, um, about, uh, Brantley does note that a lot of these, uh, French secret societies at the time, a lot of them had different, uh, ideologies, but they all shared one thing to make a revolution or keep the revolution going, right. you know, uh, keep partying on with throwing bricks at cops and shit, I guess. Um, <laughs> cans of food, Daniel. No, no, no. There was no food in France at that time, dude. Remember oh, you're right. Like you're bread right, riots yeah. and shit. Yeah. No, the rocks were the food. Loads Cans of, of rocks. Loads of rocks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's half a dinner. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> Go get it back, eh? How are we going to get through the winter? <laughs> we, need, uh, we need that for boiling. Mm, stone soup. And uh, Bramley mentions that uh, one of the spokespersons... Um, the most famous. The most famous revolutionary spokesperson was Karl Marx. Yeah. And he was, I, I didn't know Karl Marx was a German. For some reason, I thought he was Russian for some reason. But I think it's because association with uh, communism and, like, and yeah, Russia. Uh, Russia, yeah. Sure. But yeah, I mean, so Bradley goes I've in to bring up, you know, yes, Marx, you know, that guy who wrote the Communist Manifesto, um, well, co wrote it with uh, Frederick Engels, who was yep. a wealthy, I think a German industrialist. I believe Something he was. Something like that. believe he was German. We get back to him later um, in another chapter, but um, very briefly. But Marx goes in and he's hanging out with the, I think it was the, uh, yeah, League of the Just. And he didn't really like kind of the cloak and dagger kind of feel to the way the, the organization was going. So he reorganized them as the uh, Germans Workers Party. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Educational um, Society. Oh, no, sorry. He changed that one to the Communist League. Right. And then they 
associated were various workers organizations like the German Workers Educational Society. Um, and for some reason, he drops off the thought from there, but Bramley fends that paragraph saying, Marx founded a branch of the GWS in Brussels, Belgium. And then it's like, well, then what? Well, then um, he, he jumps on to the next thing. And that's it. Uh, yeah. Talking about <laughs> then, the, But it's yeah. like, okay, but what's this Belgium connection? Like, <laughs> yeah. So he talks about uh, the creation of the ideology of communism. And uh, he says here that uh, the same network of brotherhood organizations which had given us the United States and other capitalist countries the revolution were now actively creating, again, communism. So basically, again, playing those two sides, uh, the brotherhoods constantly uh, sure. encouraging the each opposing... Uh, communism versus capitalism. ...idea. As opposed to what it... Uh, as to opposed to what Bramley actually describes it as uh, communism as like an evolved form of capitalism. Or the evolved well, idealized it's, it's a, form of yeah, capitalism. It's, a, it's a, like a ultra form of capitalism, I believe is how yeah. he calls it. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's almost like, extre- the- it's a considered like extreme capitalism, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 The, so he says but, ultra. Uh, I didn't see that, but that's cool. So Bramley continues on talking about how, um, ultra you know, the fact that we've got, capitalism. you know, Karl Marx and the Brotherhood, you know, network, you know, being hand or hanging out together. It should become no surprise that Marxist philosophy follows the same basic patterns pattern of custodial religion. So, apocalyptic kind of teachings, battle between good and evil. Um, right. But then, constant struggle. Says uh, the primary difference is that Marx molded those beliefs into a non-religious no, framework and tried to make them sound like a social science rather than a religion. So I was like. Was that a barb at social science there? Like, <laughs> could you put science in quotation marks there? And I'm kind of offended. <laughs> I mean, you make you you make it sound more like how uh, I feel attacked. He's, he's no, like he's. I think he's being more dismissive uh, of of their work outside of that. Like he's like, oh yeah, we're gonna get away with this uh, being being billed as a, a soft science um, uh, a subject or whatever instead of. Yeah, but um, instead of this other bullshit, I don't know. But I, once again, funny. kind of tying in because as Ray had introed this episode, you know, talking about uh, the previous chapter, how uh, Mormonism inspired uh, Marxism. Well, you also have uh, Calvinism, Calvinism right. playing yeah, a factor like in has, there, and how yeah. all of these. And so, um, what's nice is that although in these last chapters, Bramley doesn't spend as much time talking about or spend it with each subject that he invokes, because there's a whole bunch of them we're going to just try to cover as best we can, because there's a bunch of shit. But he constantly does remind us, you know, hey, here's how all of this earlier stuff does relate to the stuff now. Like right. he just keeps, you know, showing how these these patterns of you know custodial and brotherhood activity just is just the same kind of you know framework or or skeleton of of sequences. Um, they just have different little dressings on them, and that's kind of cool. Right. There's like like subtle different or like there's just minor differences within all these like different types of religions and ideologies to where it's enough to keep people at constant conflict with each other. Um, so he, yes, he basically uh, by says, design. Uh, that's, yeah, that's how says that works. the they're supposed to. What do you consider the the inevitable conflict? So basically, right. it's going to happen. Yes, yeah, uh, dialectical materialism. Yeah. Um, 
which he, you know, adapted from Hegel, um, Hegel's idea of the dialectic. So where you have a thesis and an antithesis or antithesis, um, the interaction between the two will create a synthesis, which is either something entirely new or something of both, but but it's a new product. Um, and so the whole idea with Marxism is that, you know, it's kind of like, um, in a like world civ class in college, it was kind of broken down very loosely, but they kind of like broken into like kind of like also the main ages. So like, like feudalism, uh, modern capitalist society, yada, yada, yada. But it was just like kind of the class you have, like, you know, yeah, it the creates a tier the lords. Yeah. Tier uh, caste system. The modern and uh, the proletariat um, and so right. on and so forth. But, you know, you can go through time. And so it's kind of like, you know, you constantly had this battle throughout time. And this is what Marx has argued about, like throughout you know, the manifesto. Um, have, you, have you all read the notably, Communist Manifesto? Um, no. Daniel, have you read so, it? Read one, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, actually, I, uh, when I, shortly after I was in, started university, I was a poli sci major and had to take like a intro to political science course. And uh, Marx's Commie Manifesto was one of the like required books. I'd like write a paper on it and shit. Um, like it's, it's all right. Like uh, there's a cool little thing in there um, where I think he just uh, kind of plays off of uh, a former French writer, um, uh, Rousseau, uh, Rene Rousseau, I believe. I think his first name was Rene. But Rousseau in his being one of his books, he wrote about, you know, like man is born free, but is everywhere in chains. Um, Marx basically at the end of the Communist manifesto tells workers of the world to basically cast down those chains and, you know, rise up against, you know, the fucking, you know, capitalist pig dogs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I, but most of that, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that because there's some, there's the climate around, uh, the climate of communism around Marx and then these ideas that are floating around that are getting kind of pretty popularized. And Branley does note that what Marx's real achievement was, was like, this was nothing new that people were like, weren't thinking about. It was just, he finally uh, like put them into one package that was easily digestible. That was like the culmination of all of these ideas that had been floating around in France and other nations at the time in Europe. Mm-hmm. Like I say from experience, even though there's been about a, 10, 15 year gap between my reading of the communist manifesto and bits out of, uh, uh, capital volume one, but very different in tone. Um, so I think there's just a lot of like angles influence cause he was very down with communism and kind of the, the more popularized ideas around, uh, this new, you know, communist league bullshit. That was kind of more of a, hoorah rah thing because Das Kapital is just like a tome that's, you know, I mean, there's like four volumes of it. There's, you know, a thousand, like a couple thousand pages, I believe of just text where Marx is just investigating and problematizing what capitalism is. What's a capital good? What is a good, you know, like how do we figure out what exchange versus, you know, whatever, you know, labor is, it gets really messy and it's really dry. Um, Marks, right? You know, crazy guy. So, cool hair. Um, well, uh, the, the the one part of that uh, this ideology is that there's also a sense of a utopia that yeah, he so is talking about. The, 
after the proletariat's able to overthrow the bourgeoisie and we get the means of production into the hands of the workers, which Brantley doesn't, I don't think ever explicitly state. No, he doesn't. Book, that that was, no. but that, but no. that was part of like, that's a Marxist goal or whatever. Like you're supposed to like basically, you know, production. redistributing the means of production. Cause like, that's the whole thing is like, you know, like it's who has the power to produce and in capitalism, it's in very few hands. And then Marx identifies that as a problem. Um, that never, so, um, that never answers itself. It's so after going, so after the bourgeoisie is able to be overthrown, then you get into this classless utopia where, you know, everyone gets everything they need and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But... But first you must suffer. That's on paper. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to read that real quick just so uh, listeners can get an idea of what it actually he's trying to say. He says, no one owns anything, but everything. everyone together owns everything. Everybody gets everything they need, but no one... What's yours is mine, what's mine want. is mine, what's mine is mine. But before this utopia occurs, everyone must first live in a dictatorship. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just like, what? Pucker as a custodial um, plot uh, enacted through Brotherhood Networks. Bramley says this is perfect because this is creating, you know, the idea that, you know, like that another way to, for people to accept unremitting hardships and dictatorships and stuff. Right. Um, because we're all just little worker bees. Program you to. And good comrades. Um, follow. And he, he compares it to uh, Marx's utopia is like the biblical Eden. Right. A materialistic paradise in which everyone is a worker with no r route to spiritual knowledge and freedom. In other words, mm. a pampered spiritual prison. I mean, I like that pampered sound, but but still, that's that's you know. but the, the the Eden. I mean, prison. The I guess in Genesis, criminals uh, are they like working and like actually suffering for that technically, or like just because they're like no, ignorant? No, they're they, not. They were just kept in ignorance or whatever. Yeah, yeah that's it. Like um, blissful ignorance because it was supposed to be just like you know, like paradise, basically. You know, yeah, everything right. everything grew there, everything flourished there. Right. Um. But they were kept in ignorance. But yeah, because after, you know, original sin occurred, that's when it's like, okay, now you're going like, to have to, you know, get your bread by the sweat of your brow or whatever the so fuck. So that's, that's really uh, not yeah. like a fair comparison because, I mean, in Eden, there really isn't any hardship. I mean, you're just kind of ignorant of the fact. So you're like, you don't yeah, really know. But you're, you're still locked away from. Yeah, you're, 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 you're in like, you're in a, you're in a cage, but yeah, you're in a whatever. cage, but like, you don't even know that you're in a cage or you don't even no, know you that don't. there's a spiritual but, self. Uh, or you're not even self-aware uh, technically, no. so. Right. God, which, which, Could be worse. which early person talked about? Could be worse, but also it's still a prison, Ray. Still a prison. It's called the Gilded Cage. Uh, break free from your bonds, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, does, how, how does, like, uh, how do banks play a role in communism? I mean, I don't really think he goes, goes too deep into that or at all. Um, he does in the... In a proceeding or in a chapter coming up, right. in a following chapter, is, are you talking um, about when I think he? It's in under, I think it is under. Are you are I you talking about when he uh, he allows governments to nationalize uh, the production of their own money? Uh, yeah, no, area? it's totally in uh, chapter thirty three where he starts talking about the role of the Soviet bank. Okay. Oh, and like the form, the, like like how uh, communist central banks work. Um, so. Yeah, I guess, we're, I guess. We're, we're gonna get there quickly. Yeah, so it's like, what really sucks about some of these latter chapters um, 
and Bramley's uh, guilty of this shit in some of the earlier st- chapters, but you know, there's really stuff where he should have just so uh, not separated up these chapters, maybe taken, you know, these chapters and actually combined them. They'd be longer than, you know, be like, you know, like 40, 50 pages on average, but uh, it, it, <laughs> this book is so weirdly broken up. Chapter, Chapter 32, 32. Funny Money, Money Guns, Guns. International. International. Now, um, we, we, there was a chapter earlier in the, in the past episode called Funny Money, and that was basically talking about inflatable paper money. Right, and, the establishment um, of the currency. How it works within the, uh, the, the society. Yeah. And so at, at this point, um, where Funny Money goes international, this is where all of these banks that have the kind of the same, you know, structure of the inflatable paper money that we keep, you know, repeating over and over and over over the last couple episodes. But now it's getting them all organized like from one institution or one body to the world of bankers. Yeah. Conspiring to against all us of these world banks. To um, control all the wealth. There's some crap that uh actually it's unfortunate it's gonna we have to read a couple block things. Uh, I wrote a little note in the margin today. It's like, you know, these two things should probably be read in full to set the stage for what's going on with the development of these groups we're about to talk about. Okay. Um, and also some of these later uh, groups, like when we talk about what goes on in Cambodia later on. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> this is all shit directly from this guy. Uh Dr. Quigley from a book, uh, Tragedy and Hope, but where he's uh, discussing capitalism and discusses, or the discussion goes as follows. Uh, this stage of this third stage of capitalism is of such overwhelming significance in the history of the 20th century, and its ramifications and influences have been so subterranean and even occult that we may be, excu- may, ah, that we may be excused if we devote considerably uh, considerable attention to its organizations and methods. Essentially, what it did was to take the old disorganized and localized methods of handling money and credit and organize them into an integrated system on an international basis, which which worked with incredible and well-oiled facility for many decades. Then I'm going to make one of the rest of you guys read this next blog quote because it's fucking long as fuck I'll and apparently I'm winded. Uh, is it the top um, of 329? Or? Yeah, so the top, yeah, of, top 329. of 329. Uh, do- yeah. well, in which Dr. Quigley describes uh, overall intent of the new and integrated system. The, the powers of financial capitalism had another far-reaching aim, nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. The system was to be controlled in a feudalist fashion by the central banks of the world acting in concert by secret agreements arrived at a frequent uh, private meetings and conferences. At, arrived at in... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the apex of this system was. I think to we'll be, get to Bramley on that. The apex of this system was uh, to be the bank uh, for international settlements in in Basel, Basel, in Basel, Basel, Switzerland, Switzerland. A private bank owned uh, were themselves private corporations. Private bank owned. Excuse me. Fuck. I, I skipped. <laughs> a line you want there. me to read it? No, I was I was pretty much done with it. But no, you're not. <laughs> 
No, like a private bank owned and controlled by the world's central banks, which were themselves private corporations. Each central bank sought to manipulate foreign exchanges to influence the level of economic activity in the country and to influence cooperative politicians by subsequent uh, re- economic rewards in the business world. Ray, you bitch, you interrupted me. Oh, get the fuck you're out of here. Ruined, like you're ruined. Switzerland. 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 Yeah, and then... And then you- I just came <laughs> to save the day, as usual. Um, you know what? It's acceptable, but, Daniel. Um, I blame Ray. Okay. But so the group that ends up, you know, becoming this kind of organizing body uh, becomes known as the round table. Right. Um, And it's got a couple uh, offshoots that. uh, You only get one easy, slow, stupid guess as to what the name of the organization was based after. And we don't need to talk about it. Yeah. Um, But here, then we're going to go into a brief history of a, like Cecil Rhodes, who uh, is of like, you know, Rhodes Scholarship, you know, fame or infamy, Uh, notoriety or whatever. But this guy uh, made a metric fuckload of money in diamond and gold mining in Africa. Yep. Um, He controlled the... the, the methods of production and the uh, the means of transportation, right? And that's sort of how he was supposedly able to uh, control uh, a, like a, a apparently a huge diamond operation, diamond uh, mining operation in the mm. area, and made a shitload of money. So uh, two countries that are now renamed uh, used to be named after him. Oh yeah, uh, like Rhodesia was one, which I believe is Zimbabwe today. Yeah, and um, um, what was the other one? Zem- but, Zambia, uh, I think. Importantly, though, like Rhodes wasn't an asshole. He seems to be like one of these like genuine guys and Bramley kind of like builds him up to be as such because apparently he was kind of really afraid that one day mankind was going to develop weaponry that could just like annihilate, you know, entire populations. And uh, he wanted to prevent that. So, yeah, which is really odd in how like it turned out that uh, his organization ended up sort of paving the way for the Manhattan Project to come about. And well, yeah, because once again, this is Bramley once again going like, you know, hey, here's another example where, you know, someone was disillusioned where they thought that they could achieve their goals by going through the channels of the of Brotherhood Networks. Was Einstein a big round networks. table boy? I forgot, dude. Like there's I'm someone, sorry, there was, uh, there was something that uh, like I was asking if uh, Einstein was part of like round table. Wasn't, I know that, like, it's mentioned in here at one point that, like, he just makes note that, like, Einstein was uh, considered a second home. And well, I was yeah. trying to remember if it was yeah, the well, round yeah, table. Yeah, he, he loved the IAS. Or, um, or if it was a different one. Which it was just. But, fun. There were, like, but there were a lot of these other scientists, too. I mean, not just like. Oh, uh, absolutely. But like. Former German scientists like Oppenheimer and uh, yeah. Einstein. But you also had, like, Enrico Fermi, who I believe was. Uh, Oh, fuck, I think he was Spanish or I can't remember, or maybe Italian, but um, he was also like part of the Manhattan Project and yada, yada, yada. But anyway, Rhodes, his whole thing is he wanted, he was all about like, we need basically Britain to be a one world government. We yeah. need one language, one currency. <laughs> yeah. um, and that way we, we will not fucking fight each other. You know, we can, you know, get humanity to like, actually progress forward and, you know, reach our p- 
potential, essentially. Like this real nice, naive view yeah, of like very, intense potential. But who's going to make money off of very it? Who makes money off a of piece? Exactly. Well, and that's no what we're up because you forgot about, to. you know, where the fucking, you know, bottom line's going <laughs> to come into play. Like um, here on Earth? But. Gosh, sure. But. Um, Rhodes is, was, you know, the brainchild, and I think it was at, like shortly after his death that the uh, round table actually got established. Yeah, um, something like that. I uh, was born in nineteen eighty one or eighteen ninety one, and uh, okay, Rhodes died in nineteen oh two. So um, he actually got to see his uh, little brainchild of uh, you know a think tank to try to help direct world affairs to uh, more. Uh, Peaceful outcome? I'm not sure how to think of that, you know, just because of all the stuff that has resulted with this. But, you know, just, but his intentions, like, I don't know. Probably cool. He was, because he was well intentioned. Like, okay, yeah. like, so if everyone spoke one language, that would undo the effects of the Tower of Babel incident. Right. Um, <laughs> they do mention, like, a few uh, specific little. Uh, Let's see. Uh, promoting a sense of universal universal citizenship would help overcome the types of nationalism which help generate wars. Um, Sure-ish. As long as you take out the whole financial ultimately the thing. the round table, <laughs> because once again, you know, brotherhood influence, so it's going to go fucky. But two yeah. things that came about from round table members and activities. Um, were the atomic bomb and the concentration camp. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. So, uh, popularized by the Germans. Most popularized by. Well, it's not yeah, only. We find created out. Created by the English. We find right. out that it's not just the Germans that have those kind of camps. No. Like, there's a lot of people, but like, you don't really hear about it from most. Oh, no, no. Roland just uh, said popularized by the Germans. Popularized, but, okay. But, yeah. but also, even but, and even Brandley do does, he doesn't, you know. He doesn't ca- he doesn't cast shade unfairly because he also brought up the fact that you know hey here in America we had Japanese internment camps from right. World War II. Yep. Um, but the the first uh, modern concentration camp as we know them was uh, established by um, the English. In yep. uh, where did that fucking conflict occur? Oh, wasn't it the Phil- in the Philippines or something? Shit. No, I think it was in Africa, but it was during the Boer War. Yeah, it was South Africa. Um, South it was Africa. between uh, Dutch settlers and the English. And the English put these uh, fucking settlers, the Boers, into fucking concentration camps um, and extracted oh, right. labor out of them. But, oh, but before we get into that, um, importantly, when it comes to the foundation of the roundtable and its first early years, um, some of these old names that we've talked about in previous episodes of this um, coverage are back in back in our faces. We see the Rothschilds. Uh, yep. We see Milner, the fucking English banker. Um, and we see... Names like the Carnegies, Rock, uh, Rockefellers, Morgans, those start cropping up too around this time. Um, who are the Whitney families? Oh, I was like, who who are they specifically? I'm not um, too familiar with them. I don't know. Uh, about to find out. It's an American family notable for their business enterprises, social prominence, wealth, and philanthropy. Um, dude was of English descent that started it. Um, doesn't really say what the fuck their 
their money was based off of, but apparently they're big into uh, horse breeding, genetic engineering. Oh, wait. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. General Whitney would make his way back to Massachusetts and become president of Boston Water Power Company and the Metropol- Metropolitan Steamship Company um, back in the mid-18 to late 1800s. Fuck the Whitney's, whoever they are. <laughs> Just like the Rockefellers and Morgans and all those little fucking dickheads. <sighs> yeah. Chapter, Chapter 33. 33. The workers' paradise. Been spending most our lives living in a workers' paradise. Chapter 33 opens up uh, with Bramley talking about a period between 1914 and mid-1930s and the fact that it seems that apocalyptic type of behavior going on around the world was, uh, I guess it seemed uh, fairly yeah. characteristic and familiar to most people. Right. Uh, yeah, so I mean, like uh, another... Stock inf- market crashed. The influenza, you know, another influenza the epidemic, the dust bowls, uh, international financial collapse, like I said, uh, marked in Germany by the hyperinflation of its currency. And, uh, and also new messiahs popping out everywhere, apparently. And again, that I guess that's a bit subjective on who you consider a messiah. And uh, throughout all of this, aliens. Well, mm-hmm. not just yet. And at this time, and, and very important to the thrust of this, is you have uh, the like the unification of Germany and then right. the, the seeds of Arianism that are thrown in um, with healthy dashes of mysticism thrown in. Um, you see uh, this guy fucking... Uh, Is it Houston Stewart Chamberlain? Chamberlain. Yeah, Houston, yeah, Houston Chamberlain uh, talking about like Germanism and how, you know, basically this is like, you know, a lot of the stuff was, you know, like the, the super race. master race come about. Um, yeah, he, he said that Germany was the, like best suited to be like the, to bring out the new order. You hear this voice? This is the voice of the Superman. Yes. German. Superman. Excuse me. <laughs> um, he believed and also, it, you know, um, said he believed surprise, in eugenics, surprise, right? He was, Anti-Semitic, yeah. you know, and yeah. said that, you know, the Jews are basically a plague, you know, to every mm. culture that they interact with. And what um, you, He says he brought, uh, he, he was interested in eugenics, which uh, to persons yeah. who don't know is improving the human race by carefully choosing natural parents. And he proclaimed that all Aryan Germans had a duty to breed the proclaimed that all such a Aryan Germans had a duty to breed oh, the super race of the Aryan seed. The Sorry, but on the subject of eugenics, like that was such a like an underwhelming way to describe eugenics because it's also like forced sterilization of undesirables yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, in the yeah. population so they don't yeah. fucking breed. They make right. more people you consider dunderheads or whatever. Um, you could say that like um, considering the 12th planet, the Anunnaki were trying to kind of doing it some sort of eugenics, right? Crunch created like well, yeah. a, a super, not a super slave, not a superhuman, but a super slave uh, race. Yeah. The ideal, um, the ideal perfect slave. Uh, yeah. Does not, not does smart, not question. Not stupid. No. Yeah. Yeah. Able yep. to get the job done. Able to be productive. Yep. <laughs> Do you think that's where the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears comes from? It's from the Anunnaki. It's just like, <laughs> this one's too stupid. <laughs> this one's too smart. This one's just right. Killed the others. 
Maybe they uh, grind, grinded, grinded those those stupid people into like porridge and shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, Chamberlain, again, we said that he was anti-Semitic, that he stated that the Jews introduced an alien influence to Europe and that they debased all cultures into which they became assimilated. And uh, Kaiser Wilhelm I of Germany, who was the guy who basically you know, threw Germany into World War I um, by invading France, um, he fucking he was inspired Chamberlain shit and is... Is even quoted as saying, "It was God who sent your book to the German oh, people fuck. and to you personally, to me, or and you personally yeah. to me." Sexy, which is fucking wild. Like, he was just like, "Like you are the bee's knees, bro." Like I'm down to fuck now. Jeez. So Wilhelm throws fucking Germany into World War One, and uh, Bramley brings up the. Uh, the Christmas truce, uh, I think it's like referred to yeah, as. Yeah, um, yeah I think uh, a lot of people Christmas refer to Eve, that 1914. One, <laughs> I would like to okay. read that part. Um, they where they talk about the uh, holiday ceasefire. Because I mean, um, uh, I think you should, Ray, because your voice is uh, quite soothing. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, I'll, I'll try to make everyone. I can use some ASMR right now. <laughs> can make no, everyone fall asleep right now. Right. Okay, yeah. so um, <laughs> regarding the. It says uh, this particular story that I'm about to talk about. It says, there was another story from World War I worth sharing, and it is the tale of an unusual piece. It was told in a parade, parade magazine <laughs> by the writing team of Irving Wallace, David O. Walchinski, and Amy Wallace in their Significa column. Here's the story as they wrote it. <laughs> I think you have to do this in a transatlantic voice, though, like... I made the horrors of World War One. <laughs> Come on, Ray, you can do it. Yeah, right. Uh, admit the horrors of World War One. There occurred a unique truce when, for a few hours, enemies behaved like brothers. Christmas Eve, nineteen fourteen. Christmas Eve, nineteen fourteen. All was all quiet on France's western front, from the English Channel to the Swiss Alps. Trenches came within fifty miles of Paris. The war was only five months old and approximately 800,000 men had been wounded or killed. She's your regular voice, Ray. This is, this is... Every soldier wondered whether Christmas Day would bring <laughs> another round of fighting and killing. But something happened. British soldiers raised Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas signs. Did they say it like that too? And soon, well, there was no one saying that there were signs. Oh. Uh, and right. soon carols were heard from the German and British trenches alike. Christmas dawned with unarmed soldiers leaving their trenches as officers from both sides tried unsuccessfully to stop their troops from meeting the enemy in the middle of no man's land for songs and conversation. Exchanging small gifts, mostly sweets and cigars, they passed Christmas Day peacefully along of the front. And at one spot, the British played soccer with the Germans who won three to two. <laughs> yeah, so... Um. It continues on. So but, it's a it's a cute story. Well, let me let me finish this. this is the the best part. The here. best bit of this is coming, yes. Poland. Where they turn around and stab each other in the face. <laughs> in some places, the spontaneous truce continued the next day. Neither side willing to fire the first shot. Finally, the war resumed when fresh troops arrived, and the high command of both armies ordered that further informal understandings with the enemy would be punishable as treason. Oh, 
Happily ever after. You guys are supposed to fight. What are you doing? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it right now. <laughs> I say, Reginald, we should be shooting them. Rudolph the Red Nose yeah, Reindeer yeah. had a very shiny nose. Stop it, you sons of bitches. Stop. <laughs> Kill that deer. Oh, holy night. Stop it, you fuckers. Stop it. Shoot the fat man. <laughs> uh, I don't know any more carols. That's it. That's okay. I've, that was that was good. Yeah. Right. Right. Go, yeah. Right. Wouldn't it be cool if they like were singing like Grandma got run over by a reindeer or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> Only it was a Nazi. <laughs> it was Hitler and. Uh, how would Santa. you say that and like sing that in fucking like? Uh, Grandma um, got run over by the Hitler. <laughs> by the Führer. So, by by, by my Führer. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma got run over by the Volkswagen. Inferior grandmother got run over by the Ubermensch. <laughs> <laughs> got, got picked up by. <laughs> Too many syllables. <laughs> Next. <laughs> I'm kind of curious what kind of small gifts they would have given each other. Fingers, well, said, fingers, sweets, and yeah, well, yeah, I know sweets, but I mean, maybe, maybe someone threw out a couple fingers of their like right. enemies, like we want to give you back the fingers of your soldier, like <laughs> man, countryman, yes. whatever, fuck you. Know. Here is Wallace Jenkins's dog tags. Yes, <laughs> I, I just uh, I, I just thought it would be a really good idea and really generous if I if I decide to give you back your well, balls. Many apologies, but we cut off the dicks of many of your soldiers. But we'd like to give them back. back to you. <laughs> right, we have them all here in this wagon. Come on, Heinz, roll it up. We were going to cook them for barbecue tonight, but we feel they would. Be, it's a delicacy for it's you. It's okay. It's okay. They're all on ice. <laughs> all on ice, God. <laughs> you can still you can still use them. They are like clams. You just get a mortar shell and you cut it in half. Once you put you get your pig. clam spoon. <laughs> <And> you <go. laughs> they are fantastic as jerky. <laughs> <laughs> they are fantastic. <laughs> Okay, back to the book. <laughs> oh, um, so that was the last four pages of Bramley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Episode's over. Um, but during World War One, you also have the uh, Bolshevik Revolution kick off in uh, 1917. Um, and, you know, it's kind of popularizes, you know, Lenin go shows up and just like, you know, Let's have the revolution, brothers, and they you know kick the shit out of the Mensheviks and the other uh, uh, factions in the country that are vying for control over the uh, provisional government. After I think the czar uh, got kicked out or he abdicated or Something he was like out. Um, but you have a uh, Lenin who apparently had uh, a lot of backing from capitalist nations. Um, so you had uh, English money and German money going towards uh, the Bolshevik cause. Um, and actually, it's also been documented that Lenin was transported uh, secretly by train from fucking in, in Europe over to fucking Russia. Um, so the idea that um, you know, he was a agent of these capitalist nations um and so Bramley wonder goes like, well, why would capitalist nations support you know a communist you know cause? Um, importantly for some of the Germans that were throwing cash at them, 
um, they wanted the Bolsheviks to win because they wanted to get fucking Russia out of World War One because Germany started to get their ass kicked and they couldn't fight war on two fronts very well. Yeah. So that was a question raised. This is why did Germany aid communist revolutionaries? Mm-hmm. Um, G- Germany, like at, at this time, uh, what what were they like? Uh, what was their ideology at this time? Like, is is it? It's um, not communism at all. Like, it's a uh, it's like a socialist uh, type of. It's like some kind of extreme. I'm not even sure what kind of a government that like uh, Wilhelm ran because, I mean, I assume it was kind of like, I mean. I, I'm not sure if like, like a standard a, republic. Not, I'm not sure if Kaiser means emperor in English, but so it, it might have been like the attempt at like a German empire or whatever because he did you know yeah. help unite like all of these you know uh, distinct uh, like provinces in the area and turn them into Germany and then went to war after that. So mm-hmm. perhaps. Like any old empire, you know, or any, any other kook that calls himself emperor and goes on a uh, path of conquest. Because also, you know, they had the whole, you know, idea of, you know, Germanism that was like supporting, you know, them to go conquer people because it was, you know, the Aryan master race that was supposed to kick everyone's ass. <laughs> so I guess, um, you know, perhaps that we, we, have been kind of like misled to think that, um, you know, most of this, you know, German master race bullshit was like mostly localized to like Hitler and his shenanigans, but no, perhaps it, they were really a big influence for like Wilhelm. Cause I mean, he was all like up on, you know, Chamberlain's nuts about, you know, his ideals and shit. So, so I, don't I, I, I don't know enough about the subject, unfortunately. And, and I mean, Bramley doesn't go any further into it. Like we said, like it's just kind of brushed over a lot of topics here. Um, but he does uh, bring about uh, capitalism and free enterprise. Uh, or often, like I, he just, I, I feel like he just jumps from that to fucking capitalism. Because uh, he's talking about Gives the, you like the most important fact about modern communism to explain Western like banking support is the fact that communism is actually capitalism taken to the extreme, Climber. which we had mentioned earlier. Right. Yeah. And he says to understand this, we must take a look at what capitalism really is. And again, we're going by the definition that Bramley is providing in this book. Sure. So it's capitalism and free enterprise. It says they're often equated, but that should not be. That free enterprise is unfettered economic ideas. activity, and it occurs where. There is a free and open market for the production and barter of goods and services. Entrepreneurs, no government. St- these are people who start business and take risks, are the backbone of a free enterprise systems. And that capitalism, on the other hand, has two basic definitions. The first definition relates to so-called capital goods. Those are goods that are used and manufactured for uh, uh, manufacture other products. And it says that the second type of capitalism capitalism is a uh, financial capital. The financial capitalist. Uh, financial capitalism is the control of resources through the investment and movement of money. Now, how is this playing a role in Germany? Though? Communism? Capitalism. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. But like, sorry, what was your question, Ray? I don't think I understood. I said it was like, uh, how is, how is, uh, is, he, going, is he going from uh, communism to capitalism and like trying to do yeah. Oh, uh, okay. So um, he continues on to talk about how um, the 
The economic system of communist Russia was an ultra-capitalist one because its industry was even more monopolized and the nation's economy was even more dominated by the same institutions which dominate capitalist nations. So um, so was Russia like a capitalist country at some point and then it kind of just moved on to like uh, communism? Well, it's I'm – not, I'm not sure how they – yeah, like I also I'm one of those like poor students of like European history when it comes to like like czarist Russia and their systems of banking or whatever. And Bramley also didn't do us a solid by talking about how their Probably banking developed. system was set up before yeah. you know, the communist regime took over. I think he just it just happened but, and there we go. But yeah, but instead of like, you know, a bunch of various private corporations owning, you know, the means of production and stuff in like most capitalist societies, uh, communism takes it a step further where all of that shit is in the hands and controlled by the state. Right. Um, and this is when we get into, as you brought up earlier, Ray, about how like the bank worked, um, and he gets onto that onto uh, the next page on three forty three. Um, talking about the Goss Bank. All right. Um, so he says uh, the Goss Bank was an even more dominant in Soviet financial affairs than our central banks and Western nations because all transactions between Soviet enterprises had to go through the Goss Bank. This allowed the Goss Bank to oversee the day to day financial transactions involving Soviet enterprises, um, but also. People's pay was doled out through the Goss Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no Bank of Russia and Russia Bank and, <laughs> you know, United Communist Russia, you know, financial services. It was all through the Goss Bank. It was incredibly centralized. Um, and also, and since it was so centralized, it eschewed competition, which also capitalism is not a huge fan of. Even though it kind of isn't capitalism kind of, uh, or is that just free enterprise or the free market? Free enterprise is where you want, like where like all the entrepreneurs, all of the competition is incredibly healthy, but you can have free enterprise in capitalist systems, but it's not required. Um, But like in a in a capitalist society, like ideally, uh, someone's just kind of like overtaking all these. Yeah, kind of like what it, the way it is now. You know, you have a few companies that own most right uh, media and all that kind of stuff. But whereas in communist systems, it's the government. Right. You have the bank of the government. Right. The and everything gets channeled through there, and the government owns all the lands, all the means of production. But in reality, how it works in communist systems is that a handful of people get access to all of the fucking power. Um, And Brantley even notes how in Russian society during uh, the communist years, there were special privileges afforded to the elites, uh, different shops they can go to that had different kinds of goods that weren't available to, you know, Joe Blow and his wife, you know, Idiota. Well, I guess Um, you could say that's, that's, again, uh, it's it's, uh, capitalism... uh, light in our society because like the stuff is available you just can't afford it like uh, a lot of uh certain types of foods or uh just like how like a celebrities or like uh, governmental services uh healthcare all that kind of stuff is uh a lot of people who have money but if you don't have money you're fucked so 
Yeah, so you can sort of um, you can sort of cherry pick between between both there. Your uh, your your communist uh, thematic and your your democratic bullshit, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you want you want communist, which is a capitalist uh, extreme capitalism, or, or uh, capitalism light, right? Which is which you, sort of, you have a little like bit of wiggle room. room. Um, and uh, Branley, once again, <clears throat> going back to tying in how this is just another reiteration of an old system, he ties in um, the new Russian regime to uh, ancient or ancient feudalism um, because. Oh, because of the caste uh, or whatever. Uh, well, they were tied to the land because, like, any. Uh, brings up like, you know, like in feudal times, there was a castle for all of the serfs to run to when yeah. an invasion happened or whatever, and that like the lords would protect them. Right. Well, that happened in Russia by way of propaganda where it was like, oh, the German menace, the fucking French menace, whatever, all of the terrors of the outside world, Mother Russia will protect you. Right. Um, so with through propaganda or xenophobic propaganda, they had people that were like, you know, scared of the world outside. And also they restricted immigration outside of the USSR. Um, um, and Bramley continues on to talk about how um, communism is also openly atheist, uh, thereby satisfying the custodial intention expressed in ancient texts of preserved homo sapiens as a, of preserving homo sapiens as a creature to toil whose, ex, toil whose existence from birth until death shall be one of long struggle for physical existence with no access to spiritual knowledge, which, which might set him free. Um, which just, so continue, again, yeah, just continues on with the custodial, uh, well, continues, yep. continues on with the custodial, uh, Mindset where you're basically yeah, back to Sumeria, you know, <clears throat> just you know, let slavery let man bear our yoke, plow the fields, good, good harvest good. my breakfast. <laughs> um, and he does uh, talk. We get into. He, he does, I'm sorry. He was. I was just gonna say that he does get into like uh, I guess a bit of a, I guess a prequel, if you will of uh, Russia, and it says, before the provisional government was established, Russia was ruled by a, a, an emperor, a Tsar, and that lasted, uh, the last Tsar had a disposable vast intelligence network known as the Orkrana. The Krana consisted of a several intelligence organizations that, which performed all the usual espionage functions. He goes into espionage. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's spy time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he's talking about their intelligence uh, department. It's, it's how uh, Bramley writes. Like he goes, he'll start talking about one thing, and then the just next, it's just another topic on this backflips this chapter. It. And now he's in, <clears throat> on espionage in Russia. Spies, yeah, right. So, and then of course uh, we talked. Uh, you mentioned the Bolshevik movement, Daniel, yeah, Bolshevik and then self. that was. Uh, it says that the Okrana was uh, heavily infiltrated and assisted in that movement as well. And that uh, agent provocateur, he talks about agent provocateurs, and those are like pretty much spies. Yep. And that it's someone who deliberately agitates yeah, or others like, you to know, like, illegal ass disruptive acts. He talks about like, you know, modern day sting operations where you have, right. you know, agents authorized by the state in some way, you know, whether it's a cop or military police or James Bond figure goes in, infiltrates these organizations um, to 
basically green light, you know, criminal activity uh, for various objectives. Um, in the case of the Okrana, it was helping the Bolsheviks uh, take control of the Russian state. Um, when it comes to these uh, spy activities, um, another famous Russian figure gets spurned out um, because he was a fucking agent of uh, the Okrana, but it was a uh, fucking Joseph Stalin. All right. Yeah, it basically says here he was a revolutionary who later rose to the top position of the Soviet government and may have entered the communist movement as an agent provocateur. And historians have pointed out that Stalin was the main contact between the Bolsheviks and the Tsarist police, and he was able mm -hmm. to get many badly needed items from the Okrana. Um, so after the Bolsheviks took over, they were supposed to disband the Okrana. Yeah. But within six weeks, they had reestablished the uh, secret intelligence uh, organization. Yeah, they made them larger. But, uh, they expanded. They called it, it the Cheka, which is the. Extraordinary Commission to Combat Counter-Revolution <laughs> and Sabotage. Yeah, that's um, great. But then it became the People's Commission of Internal Affairs, uh, the NKVD, and then finally the KGB, the KGB which was still in operation today. Um, the Kremlin. Yeah, the, I, I was familiar with the KGB. I didn't realize they went through many of these uh, iterations sure. to get to that point. Um and I, that's pretty much from like uh, Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> that's where, where I got that that information from. Um, but also during this time, we've got um, other espionage units that are fucking around in uh, in Russia because evidently uh, you had a bunch of eagle English secret agents that were there, um, and. Uh, some financial support for Lenin came from, once again, Alfred Milner of the fucking round table. Um, <laughs> and uh turns out that the NKVD at the time uh, set up massive concentration camps to uh, exploit the shit out of some, uh, some labor, right? And... Uh, so Bramley suggests that the Russians got the idea from the English <laughs> because not 30 years prior, the first concentration camps by the English were being set up in fucking Africa. And they mentioned that uh, like three to four million people had perished in the camps from the time of the camp's inception. Yeah. So that, um, is, uh, that is... A, and this was a, for, you know... Economic production, you know, just people as expendable cogs in the wheel, which is funny that, you know, Marx talked about how under capitalism, you know, workers are seen simply as cogs in the machine. But once the Russian system takes over and the NKVD sets up their concentration camps, uh, millions of people die. But also about half of the, uh, what was it, uh, chrome production and... Yeah, half the chrome and two-thirds of Russia's gold production was carried out by camp inmates in these concentration camps. Um, yeah, uh, just, and, to, uh, just to clarify real quick, it says that the Soviet concentration camps were decidedly capitalist institutions in that they were mm -hmm. designed to callously exploit human labor to an ultimate degree. And the downtrodden working class had be become even more downtrodden under their communist liberators. Yeah, because at the same time, um, 
they're trying to launch the uh, five-year plan, which uh, involves the collectivization of all the lands in Russia. Mm-hmm. And you had some people that were not too uh, keen into, uh, <laughs> on that. And uh, so what the Russian government decided to do is basically uh, – throw these people into internment camps or murder them outright to take their land. So he calls it their version of the French Reign of Terror, right? Where yep. they're just going around and be like, oh, I don't like your boots. Get in the wagon. You know, anybody that... Uh, Is that German or Russian? I don't know. One of those. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you were talking about the French too, so I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Get in the box. You know, this is the point in time where Brian's uh, Russian accent would come to. I oh. thought about that too earlier. <laughs> I was like, well, if we ever had a time uh, for it, if only. it's upon us, boys. But <laughs> yeah. have we have we reached the that? time to where we need Brian? <laughs> <laughs> Should ask. Yeah, Brian. Finally, your time has come. All right. And um, it says that millions of people were murdered for for no crime other than that they happened to own land. Right, yeah. So basically, I mean, like I said, the, that was the whole collectivism thing. It says, in response, a rebellion broke out between 1932 and 1934 in which defiant peasants destroyed half of Russia's livestock. And this rebellious act worse. coupled with the yeah. communist regime attempt to bring the outside money by... Over exporting wheat, 3.5 million tons within two years, resulted in another famine that claimed an additional 5 million Russian lives. So basically, they pretty much fucked themselves also. Yeah. Yeah. And so then Bradley continues on the next page. Uh, so due to like direct and indir- indirect results of the communist regime in Russia, roughly 35 to 40 million people died. Yeah. Um, That's no tragedy. It's like... Yeah. Well, I mean, better dead than red, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you shot me in the foot? Fine. I'm going to shoot myself in the dick. Let's go. <laughs> um, 35. You know, I have a note uh, here that just says murder. I'm trying to figure out why I just wrote murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think the reason I wrote that was because you, you mentioned the stats of the 35 to 40 million people. And yeah. that uh, so to this figure, we should add the deaths associated with the establishment of communism in other countries, oh, right. uh, mm-hmm. such as two million landowners murdered in China during Mao Zedong's crash, uh, crash un- industrial program in the 1950s, and millions of butchered in Cambodia in the early 1970s under the uh, Khmer Republic. In terms of the sheer number of lives lost, communism was one of the single most catastrophic events in human history. Boom. And it says communism is little more than a rehash of worn out th- of a worn out theme which has been repeated over and over again with the and same over tragic and consequences. Over and over and over. <laughs> it says communism is but another in a long line of destructive artificially oh, artificialities artificialities arising out of the <laughs> metaf- mystical brotherhood network that has helped keep people fighting, suffering, and dying for absolutely no purpose whatsoever. You know. Have you guys ever seen that one Monty Python sketch where, you know, I think Eric Idle opens up and he's about to like read a story to kids on TV, but then he like starts like fucking up, like he can't read the word <laughs> no, and then someone else that. comes in and tells them what the word is. And then they just like continue the story and then they have a fuck up and then someone else comes in and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, uh, to, not like to, little bunnies <laughs> playing in the forest or whatever. Not even anything hard. <laughs> to those to those listening, we, like we have trouble reading it loud, right? With us, <laughs> uh, yeah. To those listening, you have to realize that a lot of times we're not reading aloud. We're just reading to ourselves. So reading out loud is usually not rehearsed in any way. No. So you're getting the first take of every <laughs> of everything we're saying. So you're gonna get all the fuck ups straight and shit from like the that. brain. No, that's totally fine. Uh, just the last bit here about communism. Commun- communism was not an alternative to the enemies it claimed to fight, namely uh, monopolistic capitalism and end-of-the-world religions. Modern communism was their natural outgrowth. And then, of course, here, uh, going into the next uh, chapter, we have the severe ethnic and nationalistic strife in several former communist nations reveals that other warring factions have been regenerated and created to mar the peace that should have come from the end of the Cold War. Chapter 34. Robo sapiens. <laughs> okay, so uh, Bramley opens up this chapter uh, with another column uh, comparison from the spiritual reality to physical reality. And instead of like going through each one of them again, he basically sums it up and says that... Uh, the modern Western culture appears to be situated somewhere around the lower and middle above the chart, in the above Which, chart. All right, so... So we can read those. Yeah, I was fixing to jump into... I was going to stick, probably stick with like the last... Uh, I guess there's only three on... Or there's three on the spiritual reality side, but there's only two in the last bit for physical reality. Right. Um, but uh, I guess I'll read and go, and I'll cite the column specifically so it's clear. But regarding a spiritual reality, spiritual reality exists, but it is dependent upon and arises out of the material universe. If there is a supreme being, it is probably either a material being or a scientific law. Then the thinking of the, in regards to physical reality, is that Material processes alone account for any spiritual phenomena. Spiritual abilities such as ESP, clairvoyance, etc., if they exist, are solely the results as of yet undiscovered principles of the material universe. Then we regress down further, back to the spiritual reality side. Spiritual reality does not exist at all. <coughs> Everything can be explained as products of material processes. Then flipping over to the last uh, phase of the physical reality side, there is no reality other than the physical universe. Spiritual abilities such as ESP, etc., do not exist. And then the last extreme for the previous column is life does not exist. All motion is the product of lifeless pro- physical processes, which the which cause the illusion of life and thoughts. And Bramley uh, mentions that the the bottom part of that is um, a practice known as scientific psychiatry. And uh, so basically, yeah, um, um, actually, like no, uh, with, with this too, like, uh, do you think this is like some of the ideas where people go off onto like uh, that <clears throat> everything is a, like a holographic projection? I mean, yeah, it's the ma- like, like as matrix a springboard, kind of like from the easy, material easy side, like material reality side, but like taking the idea of like, 
okay, it's all just like, you know, simulation matter that is, you know, kind of like giving the idea that there's thought and life or whatever. Right. What it really is is just atoms being bounced around at like high speeds. Right. It's just a fucking hologram or projection. Yeah. Like simulation. Yeah. All those things. Illusion. Um, Yeah. So in this chapter. But Bradley doesn't go there. It's just, that's just. Taking it down further. I mean, because also this was like what published in eighty nine or whatever. So, right. like uh, thirty years later, you know, we've investigated some more stuff and had some other developments of thought. So, right, they're so, gonna come up. So in this chapter, uh, we're pretty much gonna get into psychiatry and the use of like uh, drugs. Um, to pretty again, it's called Robo. The chapter is called Robo Sapiens for a reason. So basically, yeah, it, and, it kind uh, of like dulls the senses for some people, like whenever they're taking uh, drugs that are prescribed by a psychiatrist. Right, talking about uh, how uh, psychiatry first started as uh, just sort of people taking a look at someone's, uh, you know, symptoms and and getting like trying to give them a, a scientific diagnosis as opposed to, you know, saying that they're possessed or you know, right? Just, uh, because it does like say to, they they're eschewing the the mystical aspects of medication and trying to go straight into right because uh, the Greek physician uh, is it Hippocrates? Hippocrates. Hippocrates. Yeah, um, so Hippocrates. Yeah, like you know the guy like you know who's still like whom the Hippocratic oath is named after right, exactly. in modern medicine. Um, yeah, he fucking was like, you know, he talked about, like, he classified different kinds of fucking, you know, mental illnesses and said, you know, bullshit, this isn't about, like, demons and Which those sort of things. Like, like, these people are just, you know, it's an imbalance of the humors. Then it was, it was continued by Galen, um, who was a Roman, who um, he was one of the first to theorize a connection between the brain and mental functioning. And then, funnily enough, after Galen did his bullshit, people in Western civilization just went back to thinking, oh, demons and witches cause people to be yeah, goofy yeah. in the brain. And the and you would probably ages. think that's like the Puritans that um, in uh, yeah, early like, America and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a witch. Burn the witch. <laughs> that's why little Jimmy Jenkins only talks about bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it goes on to say that between 1880 and 1882 uh, – is it uh, Venus? Venus uh, physician uh, Joseph uh, Brenner discovered that oh, he was able to cure a girl. He was able to cure, to cure a girl of severe hysteria by having her remember and relive under hypnosis and traumatic incidents from her past. And if uh, anyone out there is listening remembers, we did talk about this briefly whenever we went over our book. Uh, Michelle remembers because that's basically how. Well. The and book itself also is uh, communion. Yes, communion. Yes, they do that as well, and that was yeah, that was I pretty mean, much like our first sense. So, like, uh, they're regressing and like uh, remembering uh, the past in the psychology is kind of like a seems like it's a theme now. Like uh, we've already gone through three books that pretty much go through that uh, a theme that ties yeah. everything back to aliens. aliens. Well, in hell, um, in a chapter or a few chapters, uh, another you know alien abduction incident gets brought up, but it helps reinforce this, you know. Um, is it like, regre- is it regressive therapy? Like yeah, regressive, regressive therapy. Hypno- yeah, hypnotic, like, hypnotic therapy? Yeah. <clears throat> but anyways, um, uh, we continue on again. He, he's going through like a list of uh, psychiatrists uh, here. So he talks about Sigmund Freud briefly, and he says that 
Dr. Bonner had stumbled kind of onto something extraordinarily significant, and yet his discovery, though utilized to some extent in psychoanalysis developed by Sigmund Freud, was never fully explored in psychiatry. Even Freud's psychoanalysis failed to take the next step, which was to ways to develop precision methods for helping people accurately pinpoint uh, aberrational, is it? Yeah, aberrational. Aberrational, aberrational yeah. incidents from the past and discharge the mental, physical, and emotional pain contained within those incidents. Okay, anyway. so now I want to like take a moment where like Bramley should have like done his like, where in other parts of the book where he goes, okay, here's the tie-in, here's the tie-in. This goes back to fucking Luther's issue with like the incomplete confessions. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, he felt that their path to spiritual salvation did not, you know, actually, you know, have that actual absolution of the guilt or or the crimes or whatever the fuck it was. Um, same thing here. It gets people able to remember psychic trauma or psychological trauma or whatever or past events. But there's still that missing, you know. Uh, recovery, spiritual recovery, if you will, mm. um, there. Um, and that would have been a cool moment for Bramley to go like, hey, remember this? Kind of the same idea. And once again, the custodial plans are just reiterated here. And it's another case in point, you know. Um, so that actually be something if uh, the address that Bramley leaves at the end of the book to write him with comments or questions, uh, <laughs> that could have been one. That's a suggestion. I'll make a note of it whenever I'm doing the editing on this one. <clears throat> Bitching. And uh, we talked about that um, Brewer's, I, I think I was saying Brenner's earlier, was the Brewer's vital breakthrough was dealt an even mightier blow by what was happening in neighboring Germany during his day, and that was scientific psychiatry. And uh, that is considered, um, oh, actually, it says that the one of the earliest centers of scientific psychiatry was uh, Lem, is it Lempiegs, Lemzig. Germany. Leipzig. Uh, there was a man Leipzig. named uh, William Wundt, uh, 1832. Uh, Wundt. Wundt, yes. And, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> and he established the world's first psychological laboratory in 1879. Until this time, universities usually place the study of psychology in their own philosophy, philosophy departments because of a lingering belief that there, was exist, there exists a uh, spiritual side to man, and it was Wundt's uh, contention, however, that psychology belonged in a biological laboratory, and to Wundt's, uh, human beings were only biological orga- organisms to which there were no spiritual realities attached. Yeah, so to the robot, just kind of like <clears throat> sum this up a little bit um, as far as the perspective. Um, so this was the roots of something referred to as like the stimuli response behavioral model Mm -hmm. of psychiatry where all the brain does is respond to external stimuli and it just kind of like reacts to whatever's going on around it. But there's no like free will. There's no spirit. It's just matter reacting with matter and interacting with chemical interaction. And so once it gets that whole like materials bent that the custodial like and brotherhood networks try to like enforce on the populace. Um, Now uh, he he does, he does say that the wounds and his followers um, think that man was but a sophisticated robot type or uh, organism, but they didn't uh, believe that there was any sort of like, I'm saying the the brain wasn't triggered by 
anything internal. It was all external. Yeah. Right. So like, um, and, and what, like, they they, they pose a question like, what happens when like they're not stimulating the brain? Like they oversimplified to like to prove uh, the actual evidence of chem of chemical stimulus, or, or rather that this whole process is possible. But they like I think yeah, Gramley, basically they had some some lab based experiments where they were able to like you know shock uh you know somebody's skull that was open right, and all of a sudden they get hungry or whatever. like emotional responses in a subject so they feel like, like taking oh, so there must be sudden. something from the outside that causes Response, you know reactions right but so, so they had this you know like you know scientifically proven you know like you know causality or whatever outside um, of their direct instrumentation though like they had no way to prove these external triggers like, yeah, but it was just like, thing. well, where do the triggers come from if exactly. uh, you're not directly fucking with the brain? Yeah, if like, I'm not plugged into the wall socket or whatever the fuck, how do I know if I feel happy or not sort of thing? Um, yeah, Bramley kind of like dismissed it pretty quickly there, I think, uh, with that like one or two statements on on how yeah, like, but, you know, we're not. But unfortunately, and as Bramley says, like he even says like erroneous or not, like this um this model and take on psychiatric um care like becomes the new wave like yeah. it's just everyone starts doing it and starts you know adapting just their own flavor of this idea um so of well like psychiatry or what what's well, yeah cuz it means of like pavlov but also uh there's a BF Skinner who we talked about uh, in a couple of pages where it's just, you know, like one of the people that's like noted uh, to adopt this idea and push it because um, Skinner's like everywhere in sociology and other uh, social sciences. Uh, he's big dude. A lot of people buy into his shit. Um, <laughs> maybe not so much anymore, but it did hit like anthropology and shit as well. Um during the day. So like this, this new wave of psychiatric inquiry or, uh, or conceptualization of how the brain works mm -hmm. hit a widespread amount of sciences, not just within like psychology and psychiatry and like neurological sciences or whatever. Right. Um, <clears throat> And it's, then, it's just kind of wild, like just. He mentions here that uh, the missing elements uh, that appears uh, to be a spiritual entity that outputs its own energy when the actual, there's no like external, uh, <laughs> yeah. like electrodes being applied to the brain. And uh, so we, there's Bramley being tricky because he was like, okay, well, so what is that stimulus? Oh, you can call it maybe. A spiritual being, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we get a lot of that from Bramley even later on uh, uh, when yeah, he talks no, about the supreme it's being. Just, it's just kind of funny how he just kind of like softballs that in right here <laughs> when he's just so usually just you know candid about it in most uh, regards in this book. Seems like. to just poke fun at everything <laughs> here and there at some point. And he says that um, there were methods to bypass human free will and intellect. Uh, behavior modification were explored and developed because human beings were viewed as strictly biological, chemical, electrical organisms. All mental illnesses were said to be the result of phys physiological processes somehow going out of kilter. They don't have enough electrons. That's what it is. <laughs> it says that uh, 
The mental illness could be cured strictly through physiological means, such as with uh, drugs, shock treatment, and brain surgery. Mostly drugs. So they pretty much uh, limited themselves as far as like uh, what they could do to treat this mental illness. You pretty much got three options. Drugs. Well, they... Shock treatment and brain surgery. Yeah. They had to start somewhere. And I mean, they, they still kind of, I, I feel like that term has been used, uh, chemical imbalances, when it, someone talks about like depression or like any sort of emotional kind of uh, response to things. Imbalance, yeah. They just say it's just a chemical imbalance in your brain. Right. And on the next page of 356 is when we start talking about a lot of the drugs. And um, if anyone has been to a therapist or psychiatrist at some point, I'm pretty sure someone has taken... Uh, some drugs to kind of uh, alter their mood in some form or fashion. These include all the popular ones that, you know, you may not have you know, have any particular experience about uh, with what you've, you've heard of, like Valium or um, what else did they mention? Uh, <clears throat> well, I, I like how uh, um, Bramley seems like he's just having fun with this one here. Uh, whenever he talks about the types of drugs that are available for particular situations, he says uh, well, these drugs are designed like to, to really bring up the money yeah. real quick. <laughs> All right, um, go ahead. So psychotropic drugs are a mammoth industry, writes Bramley. Huge. They comprise a large portion of the total prescription drug trade, uh, which in 1978 amounted to an estimated $16.7 wholesale value in global sales by U.S. manufacturers alone. $16.7 million in fucking 70s money. That's got to be a fucking uh, like a trillion. I don't know what that is in today money, but <laughs> they're rolling in. Do- that's in that's a gazillions that of cheese. money. <laughs> that's all the dollars. Um, um, but fuck, man, you know. But Bramley you know, writes, you know, these drugs are designed to relieve every mental ill from can't get to sleep at night to violent psychosis. He says the most frequently uh, prescribed drug was Valium back in the. I think sometime in the 70s. <clears throat> oh, yes. Um, I mean, it's still used today. Oh, yeah, for sure. It says in 1977, again, mentioned like the, the amount of money. It says the, this epidemic drug use is not an accident. Powerful psychotropic medications are energetically promoted to medical community in a glossy Madison Avenue advertisements in such publications as American, American Journal of Psychiatry mm-hmm. and through workshops and seminars sponsored by drug companies. That's the pharmaceutical companies for you folks. As a justified criticism has been leveled against the drug-oriented psychiatry because of the number of patients who actually deteriorate as a result of the, their psychiatric treatment. And I guess yeah. says, for surprisingly, a large number of people who commit apparently senseless acts of violence, such as shooting sprees and other grisly headline-grabbing acts, are people who were previously treated with psychotropic drugs. And, and it's um, like... Oh my gosh! Is that today? Yeah. Like, did, did this come out last month? Like, you know, what are you talking? This came out like last week. Nothing's changed. Yeah, this good is good to know. And he and I mean, he goes for, on to I mean, mention for fuck's like, sake, though, like, yeah. really, dude. Yeah, it's still happening. Yeah, that's still fucking happening. Yeah, just so. like, and it it just you know it just mind boggling, dude. You know, like thirty fucking years later, this is mm-hmm. the same shit happening, dude. And he says uh, one of the, uh, it, it feels like him uh, being somewhat uh, comical in some ways. says one of the great feathers in the cap of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is its requirement that all drug manufacturers must list the side effects 
or the adverse reactions that their drugs have been known to cause. And we all know, like seeing any kind of a commercial on any sort of new drug or even... Yeah, they spit out all 300 side effects in like half a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like... And, and Bramley talks about that. He was yeah. like, you know, hey... And death. Yeah. And then he does go through and list, you know, like a, a few sample drugs and all of their fucking side effects and shit, which are right. fucking it's horrifying a pretty big list. for the most part. Like, Yeah, there's a lot of shit. Yeah, it says uh, confusional states, especially in the elderly with uh, hallucinations, deterioration. And, and that was, uh, I'm sorry, that drug. It says the drug, uh, Sermontil. What page is that? It's on the, the bottom of 357. So the drug Sermontil, which is promoted as a drug for helping a person overcome symptoms of depression, mm-hmm. this among its possible side effects. And again, this won't sound any, uh, this won't be anything uh, unfamiliar to those who have seen a commercial for Do you want to kill yourself? Drugs, yeah. Take this drug. Yeah. It says, confusional states, uh, especially in the elderly, mm-hmm. with uh, hallucinations, disorientation, delusions, anxiety, restlessness, agitation, insomnia, and nightmares. Hypermania, abnormal excitement, and uh, exacerbation, intensif- intensification of a psychosis. So basically, it might make you more crazy. <laughs> well, everything. But speaking of crazy and crazier, I'm going to jump down and take the one where I wrote LOL and underlined a whole bunch of shit in the following. I hope, Daniel, I hope that it's the same where I have a ha-ha at some point down oh, here. So perfect. please right. go ahead we're, and I'll... We're going to see, bud. And we're <laughs> going to have a good chuckle because I'm pretty sure we're on the same wavelength here. All right. So Thorazine, which is promoted <laughs> as a medication <laughs> for handling psychotic adults and children, belongs to a class of drug which has been known to cause the following. Blech. Psychotic symptoms, catatonic-like, catatonic-like states, cerebral edema, convulsive seizures, abnormality of the cer- cerebrospinal fluid systems. Note... Sudden death in patients taking phenothiazines and um, the drug classification to which uh, Thorazine belongs, apparently due to cardiac arrest or asphyxia due to failure of cough reflex, has been reported, but no casual or causal or causal relationship has been established. So Bramley like breaks it down because like, that's a lot of like uh, journalistic. You know, ninja ease. Um, but Brantley brings up uh, the last sentence in the above quote is a remarkable bit of double speak. It states that giving someone this class of drug is coincided with their suddenly dying, but the manufacturer denies that there is any evidence that the drugs were responsible for the deaths. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, that, my, my ha-ha was at the end of that, um, oh, when where it says keeps- no casual relationship has been established. I was like, that's very no, convenient. No, causal. So causal, like sorry, causal. Sorry. Sorry. No doubt it was no, just no, an extraordinary myself, coincidence. Like, no, like, really, like, like, yeah. Like, no, no, they're like, like, well, yeah, people took this and died, but we don't think that they took it. Like, but no one died because they took it. Like, what the <laughs> fuck, man? Like, this is absurd. Yeah. Fate must How indeed do you work in mysterious jobs? ways. Like, yeah, he's, he's, he's got um, I like how he says, like, it says, no doubt it was just an extraordinary coincidence that some people have had cardiac arrest or cough reflex failures at the time of taking this drug. <laughs> Fate must indeed work in mysterious ways. <laughs> yeah, dude, and like, <laughs> to fuck okay, you over. so once again, moment of fucking Bramley humor, and Bramley gets the funniest uh, in the Hitler chapter, I think. Yeah, I would think uh, so. Yeah. But uh, 
anyway, I guess like case in point, in uh, all of the the whole main point is like you know, hey, maybe these uh, psychotropic drugs are really bad for us, and yeah. it's not a good way to cope with uh, you know mental health issues, and also it reinforces the idea that you know. People are just material beings. We're not spiritual entities, you know, da 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 da. So material, so it must be a material cause that causes your material problems. So we have a material solution for all, all right. your material issues. Um, and uh, there, there's a point here where it says, as noted, physicians prescribe these drugs because severe adverse reactions reportedly occur in only a minority of cases. And many side effects are reversible and discontinued just by, uh, by, by discontinuing the drug. So basically, they're just like, we'll just stop taking yeah. it. You'll be fine. But the problem yeah. is, is that, um, as Brandon points out, he's like, yeah, but the problem is that usually when the problems uh, are, it's usually too late. Right, exactly. By the time that like the problems start presenting to take people off these drugs so they don't, these issues don't get <clears throat> exacerbated. All this shit is extremely habit forming. So the likelihood of them figuring that, that out at that point as well is. Yeah, I mean, and they're, and, they're and only going to fight. He does. Themselves. He does mention, like he said, like it's probably too late, anyways, because, uh, for instance, it says here, uh, regrettably, a few people will blame the drug, even in cases where the drug may be the cause, but will instead blame the patient. <laughs> says he was always teetering on the near the edge, anyways. <laughs> or society, look at the what society has done to this. Why do you have to go and die people. like that? So selfish. <laughs> it says the great tragedy is that some children may be affected by this, and many schools and treatment centers. Uh, are quick to give powerful psychotropics to problem children and adolescents. And I mean, yeah. being a former former educator, I know that for sure because uh, yeah. lots of kids who are like either hyper or um, they can't sit still, can't put their hands on their laps and shit. They just pump them full of drugs, sedate them, and they'll be fine. Here, play, play, play your Game Boy. Yeah, right. And, and you can see it in their fucking face too. And I mean, even adults too who yeah, take uh, certain antidepressants. They are sedated hardcore. Yep. They have they have no life in them. They have Anyways. too much life in them. They don't know what to do. <laughs> they, they, have, they have too much life, right? Get it, like, and of course, another problem. And uh, once again, kind of like circling back to the idea of that incomplete confession. Um, Bramley talks about how many psychiatrists acknowledge how these drugs are only suppress symptoms. They don't cure right. them. Exactly. Right. Um, and more often than not, the symptoms. And he mentions that like like some kind of cold medicine, like it doesn't cure the cold. It just like makes <clears> it feel good. It just treats it uh, for a temporary uh, time. It treats the effects, and you until your body spits it out or whatever. And then uh, so he goes into a fun bit about suicide by psychiatrists. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah, interesting. Right. That's an interesting <laughs> little metric he threw out there. Uh, yeah, he says a psychiatrist in the United States I mean, have uh, suicide rate about six times that of any of the general population. Yeah. And the highest percentage of those self-inflicted deaths occur among practitioners working in mental hospitals. And this high suicide rate is often viewed as an occupational hazard <laughs> caused by frustration and by a psychiatrist's continuous contact with mental illness. You think? So basically the mental illness is rubbing off yeah. and now you got to kill yourself. Yep. But what's what's really neat though is that then he talks about how like, you know, it's unfortunate that there's a large minority of psychiatrists that are not, you know, sane essentially. Mm -hmm. Um but that they may be projecting their own 
insecurities and mental illnesses upon people they're interviewing right, on right. their little couches. And so then, they have like so a bias writing stuff for their fucking mental illness that they think the other person is experiencing mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. causing fucking havoc on that person's life. Um, it's sort of like self-diagnosing and then treating somebody uh, as, as, as a layman pretending to be a doctor, treating somebody with those same, same problems or whatever that you have. It just, you're fucking nuts. That's interesting as shit, though. To, to uh, I mean, if if it's not Brownlee just bullshitting, I could believe the the suicide rates as far as uh, how it affects these folks. Um, but well, you could say. I mean, I know same thing with like either cops or like uh, military people who yeah. see people die and stuff like that. They end right. up like killing themselves because it's just too much. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 They. Uh, and it goes, he goes into the whole drug abuse problem. Um, That's also true. Yeah, they but, have access to. But he a says, lot you of know, them. like you know, drug-oriented psychiatry tells us: feeling depressed, take a drug. Feeling too happy, take a drug. Feeling unable to cope, take a drug. Feeling too able, feeling too able to cope, take a drug. Feeling confused and uncertain, take a drug. Yeah. Feeling too certain, take a drug. Can't sleep, take a drug. Too sleepy, take a drug. Seeing things that aren't there, take a drug. Not seeing things that are there, take a drug. (laughs) Maintenance-oriented psychiatry promotes the very attitude upon which the illegal drug trade flourishes. Want to feel better mentally and emotionally? Take a drug. Or just smoke weed, for God's sakes. (laughs) Oh, wait. Was Bramley also kind of like foretelling the opiate (laughs) <laughs> issue that's ravaging our country and many other countries. Well, I mean, during that time, he was uh, in the midst of that uh, the drug war with the whole dare well, campaign. Yeah, but that was just like say no, just say no like, and all this like shit. You know? Crack cocaine and stuff. Like, well, yeah, I mean, like that. that was, he lived through. Food, I, I, I don't like, think it was necessary to even like. Uh, I mean, you get to kind of tell uh, any kind of drug, especially if like uh, you said like the opiates and stuff like that. If uh, they're getting prescribed. Uh, fairly regularly to people like Valium and stuff like that. People are gonna get hooked yeah. on it, and they probably were hooked on it by yeah. that point in time. Yeah, they, but oh, it yeah, wasn't an sure. issue because they were still functioning, you know. Um, to to a certain extent, yeah. Um, a lot of these drugs were like, I mean, not even had before them. They're they're highly addictive, and so once you started taking your prescription or whatever, like you had to stick to it, or you you'd see like real, real. Well, it would have a really shitty effect. Like I've read stories about people having like. You know, like shakes and shivers and like, you know, seizures and shit, you know, in the middle of work uh, for um, for stopping their, their treatment or whatever and trying to go cold turkey on, on something that was just like very concentrated. Like, uh, what was it? I think it was Valium that I was thinking about. Don't say heroin. <laughs> I mean, it becomes that. <clears throat> it can become you know, that. It yeah. stops. Yeah. <clears throat> you got to keep topping yourself or whatever. Right? I don't know. Um, and he, uh, Bramley does go on to mention that uh, some of these people who are counselors uh, and uh, I think psychiatrists are necessarily or yeah. just assistants, don't, like don't have any sort of medical training. Oh, so actually, uh, um, uh, that's inaccurate. Um, he said that um, there's a lot of positive, he said like most psychiatrists, there's a lot of great ones out there. Yes. There's a lot mm-hmm. of great results from talk-based therapies. Right. And then, and for context, an important thing to remember about psychiatrists is that most of them have scientific degrees and thus right. they have like the scientific method, you know, the material. So but like, no my, they're medical not training. trained yeah. to be therapists. They're trained to be fucking curers. You mean physical therapists? Healers. Um. Right. 
Because I underlined that bit because it's like, because like Bramley, like, although he like, you know, because he's like, you know, it's not to impugn the medical, like psychiatric, uh, psychiatric field or whatever entirely, you know. Um, but he said uh, these people with medical degrees, um, it is perhaps why you remember that psychiatrists are people with medical degrees. Doctors are trained in medical schools to cure physical problems by physical means, bombard an infection with antibiotics or fix a broken leg with a cast. <clears throat> Where many doctors stray is their belief that a mental problem is the same as a broken leg or viral infection, so they bombarded the mental illness with a drug or they shock it with electricity. Yeah, I think that was my confusion there, but yes. Word. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was just like, you know, hey, lo, you know, these people are trained to treat, you know, what is conceptualized as a material problem with material means. Um, and not to think that, you know, there's some sort of, you know, Past trauma, perhaps that could be like brought about by perhaps talking or like regressive hypnosis or whatever, you know. Yeah, but, uh, but any of those like methods um, aren't exactly proven entirely. Correct. Yeah. Cons- um, there, there's. Yeah, but, they're not but consistent. I'm, I'm just. I'm, I was extrapolating on um, Bramley's brief, you know, nod to mm-hmm. talk-based therapies <laughs> right. because it could be, you know argued that like hypnotic or hypnosis sessions are in line with like the talking therapies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Bramley goes on to say here uh, towards the end of this chapter is that psychiatry started on the right track when it discovered that the mind could be cured uh, by inorganic ills of confronting past hidden traumas again talking and uh, psychiatry was derailed when it began to mask mental problems with chemicals and when it developed bizarre methods for bypassing individual free will in favor of stimulus response manipulation, uh, behavior modification. That's it. Chapter 35. Saint Germain, Germain returns. Return. Say it. Say whatever you're going to say. It's just fucking say it already. Do it. Yeah, Do I it. mean... <clears throat> It's just a uh, bearded Jesus or whatever. So that we recall. It. God damn it! Almost <laughs> <laughs> through my book in rage. Um, actually, we I- recall uh, from the previous chapter talking about Saint Germain. Saint Germain was pretty much. Uh, it seems like a man who could uh, infiltrate many First sort of international uh, man of mystery, yeah, immortal international man of mystery, like right? Highlander, uh, quite the musician, uh, quite the mystical person who claimed to have. Uh, what was it that uh, he had an elixir? That could uh, give you like immortal, oh, yeah, immortal life. eternal youth, eternal youth, or whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, so basically, in this chapter, we have an instance where it's basically starting off that uh, a guy named uh, Guy Warren Ballard um, was kind of trucking along in a mountaintop in California. Happens to come across a guy called Saint Germain. Come across a dude who's like, "Hey, man, I'm the Count of Saint Germain." <laughs> and he's he like, like Whoa, man. "Dude, haven't you been dead for like hundreds of years?" No, dude. No, dude. I'm here, dude. <laughs> um, he's like, "Dude, Saint Germain's here, everyone." And he's like, "Don't tell everyone," but you, then you tell everyone when I'm not around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, says uh, Ballard had become interested in mysticism before his trip, and he wanted. Uh, to use his off-duty hours on Mount Shasta, 
the cola that you find at the dollar yeah, store. Yeah, shots yep. to cola. I thought I, I, every time I read this fucking chapter, I'm like, hmm, a shots to cola. And that's advertising. Bramley is sponsored by shots to cola. I'm calling this whole thing. <laughs> And uh, so basically, he says, uh, Mount Shasta to unravel rumors of the existence of a secret branch of the Brotherhood called Brotherhood of the Mount Shasta. Shasta. The Shasta Brotherhood was said to have the great (laughs) underground headquarters inside a famous California mountain. And basically, he said there were secret dwellers living inside uh, Mount Shasta who practiced profound mystical traditions. And uh, basically, the secret dwellers were said to be the descendant from the inhabitants of the ancient lost continent of Lemuria, Lemuria, in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, which yeah, it's just a Pacific version of uh, Atlantis. Atlantis. Yeah, and then there's also the lost the Atlantic continent of New, which translates in Chinese to no no thing. <coughs> um, but that's another like ancient, you know, alleged sunken continent. Right. So, um, and it says whatever the truth behind such legends may or may not be. It is questioned that Mount Shasta has long been the focus of mystical activity. I was not aware of this, um, but it says uh, it, this this uh, magazine that it's quoted from here. It says um, associated with There's that mystical activity has been a significant. Here we go with the UFOs again, everyone. It's been a while. Hey, actually, like point of order, like real quick. Um, should we maybe ally ourselves with the U.S. government for once by calling them UAPs from here on out? I guess we can call them UAPs. It's going to be our it's a, it's a current term. Whatever, yeah. It's but, a current term. You know, we should help, like, try to normalize this terminology because, like, finally the U.S. government is like starting to release some shit. You know, like they're actually kind of getting like serious about this, um, and so maybe we should, you know, help support that. You know, like, okay. Well, we can go on saying UAPs from now on. Every time they we mention the word UFO or the term or the abbreviation UFO. Um, so it says mystical activity has been significant and from here on out we'll re- refer to UFOs as UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon. Uh, for example, uh, in May 1931, issue of the Rosicrucian Digest, published in the year uh, following Mr. Ballard's trip to Shasta and a decade and a half before the UAPs were popularized in the media, we read the following description of a flying boat in the article. About the Shasta mystics. Roland, do you want to read that little? Many testify to having seen the strange boat or boats which sail the Pacific Ocean and then rise at its shores and sail through the air to drop again in the vicinity of Shasta. The same boat was seen several times by the officials employed by the cable station located near Vancouver. And the boat has been sighted as far north as the Aleutian Islands. Whoa. Amazing. Yes. And uh, says the stranger later introduced himself as the guy that he came across was the Count of Saint Germain. Did did anyone else pick up on the name of the publication though? The Rosicrucian Digest. I mean, come on, dude. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like I don't know how how uh, how uh, serious you can take it. Yeah. The fact that it's called the Rosicrucian Rosicrucian Dina, uh, yeah, it's Digest. Yeah, invoking a secret yeah. society. Yeah, secret exactly. society, or, and like you, you read their magazine on the shitter. Or this something is not like Reader's Digest, you know. <laughs> no, we're not talking about high class, about, like critical nature for a second, and be critical another way. Like, say this was a Rosicrucianism inspired uh, publication, and they are affirming 
a story or reporting a story on a UAP. Um, so then again, are they kind of like going out in the open and saying that like the custodial society is out there without saying the custodial society is out there? Well, I don't know because I mean, like, you it know, could be like, it could be someone's like, just bold, like we're gonna show our um, we're gonna show our ass for a second and ha ha because you guys aren't gonna get the actual gag. Well, I I would say that even today, uh, most folks who who are, I guess believe seen abducted, they've never I don't think anyone's ever associated. And again, I don't know if they are aware of this uh, whole overarching kind of a uh, uh, race that's kind of supposedly like. Uh, controlling mankind, that anytime they are talk about UFOs, UAPs, or whatever, like no one ever mentions the fact that it's connected to like some kind of higher order. It's just right. these aliens from another planet doing their thing, you know. Like, so I don't know. I don't know if the the I mean anyone who's reporting on this on this uh, digest, the Rosicrucian yeah, so digest, like, could be so just I, like reporting that it. That was actually as, kind of like a a nice way to kind of like reaffirm what I was trying to get at. Like, so it's the Rosicrucians that are like all in the, the mix. The yeah. So they know about the brotherhood and the custodials and all that bullshit. Um, but when they publish this stuff out in the public eye, even though the Rosicrucians are people with the goofy handshakes and weird symbols, they're just talking about aliens that are off doing their own thing. Right. <laughs> but they don't know that connection. Yeah, Which exactly, I think is exactly. kind of, it, it's fascinating. Like it's, so like really like that was like a fucking ballsy, like, you know, sticking the tongue out moment by, you know, these, you know, brotherhood, you know, inspired. You know, and you have to remember that it was done in 1931. So yeah, this was like. So it's like. It probably fell so on the, it, under the radar too. I mean, like I, I wouldn't say that that was, uh, I mean, most people wouldn't know dude, that fact, you know. Dude. Yeah. And like, actually, you know. Because almost everything goes back to Roswell, and then after that, you know, Project Grudge, Paperclip, and blah blah blah. blah. Um, but and then, or they go super early, like look at this old, you know, painting from Venice in the 1500s, and look at this object in the sky in the background. Why would they paint this? It must have been significant, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but but basically there's like kind of like a, a large time gap between like, you know, the alleged, you know, UFO portraitures in antiquity and Roswell. You know, you don't hear shit about like the 30s generally. Um, right. Well, again, all this was like under the radar. I, I wouldn't say like it, it was it wasn't popularized at the time. So. <clears throat> yeah, because also like, yeah, it was in the 30s. It wasn't like people could, you know, log on to, you know, the internet, yeah. Google News and read obscure bullshit from well, whatever yeah. interest lead them into. Was anyone going to the their local news stand and be like, can I have a Rosicrucian digest, please? Like, Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, one so please. then it's like, so, oh, did Bramley make this up then? <laughs> right, I kind of wanted to see like, if there's no way I kind of really wanted to see if there's any sort of uh, no one bought this magazine. <laughs> <laughs> he just made up the fucking uh, this magazine just to make up some kind of other point. Um, so again, we we're we we're talking about the the encounter with uh, Count Saint Germain <clears throat> and, and Mr. Ballard. Ballard began a full time career spending teachings of the new Saint Germain. 
uh, established the I Am Foundation. I think we refer, referenced that uh, earlier in our one of our episodes. Yeah. I Am being um, kind of a reference to the biblical story of Moses whenever he asked God yeah. who should he say sent him uh, to the Hebrews. And he says, I am that I am. So uh, do you have anything to say about this? I am... Foundation. Actually, uh, before we get to the I am organization, um, Mr. Bollard and St. Germain went tripping together. Yeah, they did. <laughs> um, they took some drugs. So apparently, you know, they took drugs so uh, Bollard could have out-of-body experiences, but apparently they went places together. Mm -hmm. uh, two places out-of-body, two places terrestrially. Um, one was to the... Uh, the Teton Range in Wyoming, where apparently there were underground wonders of bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then they went to South America, also out of body. And then they went to India and where's the fourth spot? Terrestrially? Um, fuck. Mm. Ah, so they went to the Arabian Peninsula, which matched the ancient Mesopotamian Egyptian civilizations. Then the fourth location in the mountains above the city of Jarjeeling, uh, India, corresponding to the ancient Aryan civilizations right. of the Asian Indian subcontinent. Um, and basically, I mean, if um, they're basically astral projection, they're projecting like yeah, uh, in yeah. two themselves. of the instances. The other two, they actually went to these places. But right, right. In all these places, uh, there was like custodial influences or whatever. Like there was uh, iconography and or in other spots, there were actual like gold and precious uh, stones and shit. And Bolar learned from what he called the ascended masters mm -hmm. that – and St. Germain, like, basically it's like, oh, they're controlling the wealth or whatever because humankind has to get to a point of enlightenment before we actually start doling out the riches because mm -hmm. people are too greedy and, you know, stupid right now and they're not ready for all this, you know. Right. They're not ready for this jelly, you know. Um, <laughs> their bounty is too bootylicious. Yar. <laughs> Yo-ho. Um, um, Prior to that, um, of them going on these uh, terrestrial trips here, um, he does mention that uh, the claim that the – hold on here. It says that the idea of uh, – they were talking about behavior modification through electronic radiation by no means was an absurd oh, one. Right. In recent years, the Soviet Union had been developing and using electronic tranquilizing machines to behaviorally affect large populations. Yeah. And uh, I had mentioned, like, I'd put a little, like, 5G kind of thing going on whenever David Icke yeah. talks about that shit. Um, that, yeah, uh, where you, wave of light you, of it. If you have a low enough frequency, it will affect biological systems. Well, that's what they said, like, is that yeah. they were using, like, low frequencies to kind of, like, control. So those things have be been cool tested. If the custodials decided to do the Howard Stern frequency for all of us. <laughs> 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 or, the, or the brown note. <laughs> No, nah, that's that C note, baby. Yeah, it's all about that B note, man. Just, just like shoot a little whistle. And 
and everybody poops their pants. Yeah, it's hilarious. That'd be pretty cool to do, actually. Yeah. Right? Um, everyone would fear you. Yeah, you walk <laughs> in, uh, hello, everyone, you're at work and shit. Just give it a... Right. Oh, it smells like somebody had a heavy lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't invite me? Oh. Going to different parts of your place of work and just fucking... Right here, puss puss. Who's out there? Who have I not said hi to? Jeanette, Jeanette is the that you? The only flaw in this pr this plan is that Roland would have to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> Foiled curses. It'll never work. <laughs> It'll never work. Foiled I again, say. Roland. You're gonna have to sit in your own room, just going. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> right. Ha ha. Take no. that bookshelf. <laughs> if you had a something to shit with, you'd be doing it right now. No, man, you'd be fucking do, doing it to your family and shit. <laughs> <laughs> your so your my, sisters come over, you're just like, <laughs> just like dip back back into your room. <laughs> oh my god, I just took a shit. Anyways, <laughs> mm, mm, how did we get here? How did we fucking get here? Like this is. This is way beyond dumb. Nah. Even if we're talking about a book on I think it's about this caliber. About about average dumb. Uh low frequencies that can cause you to take a shit. That's right. You, uh, you, you wanted you wanted the C note and I wanted on. the B note. I was like Okay, so what else did Saint Germain uh, propose to Mr. Ballard that uh, was of note? Um like I I mean basically we talked about most of this stuff here. It says that at some point they uh they talked about like the the Bank of England was one of the most earliest institutions founded in the inflatable paper money system. Mm -hmm. um, let me see what else. Right at the center, the center of the system. Uh, doo -doo -doo. And he mentions that uh, considered the assistance that the Bank of England's director Montague Norman gave Adolf Hitler and the German Nazi movement. They gave them assistance. Yeah, so they were they're doing the whole. Corporation banking, like old old world bastard uh, aristocracy, uh, That's business aristocracy, playing both sides again. Yeah, right. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, like later, I think on the chapter on World War Two, uh, Bramley writes, you know, like the petty princes of the 18th century, you know, you have these, you know, same kind of like banker dudes that are, you know, the paper aristocracy has been playing the same game, you yep. know, because whoever, because like. And spoiler alert, you know, to that chapter, but like multiple major corporations still exist in existence today provided funding both to English, American, and uh, Axis powers. Right, during World <laughs> War II. Um, um, correct. They, what did they mention? One of them because, was- like uh, no matter who won the war- they still won. Right. Yeah, they actually charged one of the company's uh, exec board of executives yeah, with war crimes. I, yeah, somebody from IG Farben, who yeah. is a company that helped I mean, like produce they, the fucking you know gases that helped kill millions of fucking Jews. Yeah. Um, so like they're still around apparently today. They've just sort of restructured a bit and yeah. they're still. But um, but back to the the Jermaine and the Great I Am program. Um, <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, basically, the, the I am taught that communism was evil. Um, oh, right, it would right, soon right. be destroyed um, by the ascended masters. But they, but then Branley notes how like they didn't like shit on Nazism, which was already no, they like, didn't right. in the works. Um, but uh, 
uh, one of the things you want to like uh, mention in all this is that like uh, there was a it says one of the I'm sorry one of the paragraphs he goes into is this, as if the reappearance of Saint Germain in 1930 wasn't I was enough, just about to go there yeah the I am movement Sean. hosted another oh. most distinguished speaker this Jesus Christ Jesus Christ he's back baby. <laughs> and they consider this some the, the second coming. It's the only time he mentions it, though, right? He just, well, like, whoa, and basically. Bramley does, like, like, no, in his, like, because Bramley is very funny. He's like, but he's like, you know, this is probably the most bona fide second coming that the custodials yeah, yeah. are going to, like, allow to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it says the second coming, in, in quote uh, quotes, it says the, in the 1930s, was sponsored by the same Brotherhood Network, which had sponsored and betrayed Jesus centuries before, yeah. and which has kept alive apoto- apocalyptic teachings, predicting Jesus's return ever since. Naturally, the newest Second Coming did not result in a thousand years of peace uh, and so- spiritual salvation. It merely helped set the stage for war, World War Two. Yep. So like there's another Jesus, the, and the, then everybody. the foundation pretty much died off. Like it wasn't as big a thing as they, I was assuming they were hoping it would be. Yeah, there's still a few vestiges of like uh, splinter groups and the main like I am movement around, but like they ain't doing shit. They're probably like putting some pamphlets and like people just dump them in the trash once they get stuff in their doorstep. So this is just stuff. like a like a retired folks pension. That's uh, the what I thought was pretty funny is that like he's basically saying like they're just retired folks. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a bunch of old farts. Collecting <laughs> Still talking about this nonsense. <clears throat> oh, and that's actually really funny because earlier I was talking to a friend of the channel, Christopher, um, because we were like, you know, what do old people do with their time? And we entertained a few theories, but they we weren't fuck. really like come to any conclusion. But <laughs> Bramlin to the rescue. They're often like, <laughs> Learn how to use like the I am and uh <laughs> let's see, the summit lighthouse and Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Bridge to Freedom. And uh yeah. Very uh intriguing names, you know, like really really to attract the, ah, the late 60s quote, uh, person. <laughs> some Bramley fine text, just like a good, you know, medical drug, you know, side effects thing. They um, vary. The Summit Lighthouse is worth mentioning because Miss Prophet teaches that many UFOs are hostile to human well-being. <sighs> right on, Miss Prophet. <laughs> now, but I mean, we'll get into it a little later that uh, there's a lot of... Uh, Various types of perspectives on like the UFOs and alien races on whether or not they are uh, good, bad. Uh, if they're not also bad, yeah, they're, they're, they're all right. You know, like they they bring people back. You know, <laughs> but do they? But do they? And you know what? Technically, we do have at least one instance, or even a few. Uh, Betty Barney Hill, uh, Travis Walton. They brought them all back allegedly. Wheatley Strieber, who got but raped. I, I want to make fair, I want to make it absolutely clear that Whitley Strieber claims, and I mean he's saying now that it wasn't just a probe; he was assaulted, he was raped. Yeah. So we need to make sure that we uh, bring that to light. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no but also, um, Bramley does problematize the whole like: do aliens necessarily bring everyone back? In a yeah, few he chapters. does. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and he does bring up some very startling statistics. Um, 
which we'll get into. But before that, we get into oh, kind of the main event. <laughs> chapter 36. The like one of the wildest fuck and one of the longer <laughs> chapters of this fucking book, man. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, chapter 36, uh, the Hitler chapter. It's not Dude, okay. So, guys, I want to show you this. Like, is this showing up right on your screen? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, uh, Daniel, you want to tell like our listeners what you just showed us? Uh, yeah, camera? so um, in my copy of the book, Underneath the actual title of this book or chapter, Universe I of Stone, wrote what Roland just said, the Hitler chapter. <laughs> because uh, actually, that's something I've done with uh, a lot of the chapters in this book, uh, just to kind of give myself a, like a shorthand reminder of what the chapter is like. Sometimes the titles are like misleading or whatever, or they're short enough to where I can just kind of get to brass tacks. Like, so if, like, Chapter 34, I just wrote, <laughs> like, development, of, which was the robo-sapien, so the modern psychiat or scientific psychiatry uh, bullshit. I wrote uh, development psychiatry, uh, Hippocrates, Galen, Funt, Freud, scientific psychiatry, drugs, shooters, and drugs. Quaaludes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Wait, once again, yes. with 36, got the Hitler chapter. Um Ah. And we do. I do want to reiterate that the, um, we are recording this episode on. Can April I go ahead and read 20th, the uh, so. the first few sentences? So happy yes. birthday in hell, Hitler! Yeah, yeah. Son, son of a, of a bitch. bitch. <laughs> uh, hope you're nice. And Fuck warm. that asshole. Saint Germain and Jesus were not the only messiahs to appear in the 1930s, bearing promises of an imminent utopia. Another messiah was gaining a large following in Germany. His coming was said to be the beginning of the millennium. Using one of the brotherhood's most important symbols, the swastika, that German messiah's name was Adolf Hitler. You know, Nostradamus actually considered him one of the antichrists. Yeah. No. Not the messiah. But well, I mean, it's the messiah of sorts. Just uh, the German evil. messiah, man. For everyone else, he's not a messiah. No. He's a short little shit. Angry, angry, little, angry little, complex. little guy. <clears throat> What's this wrong? Nobody wants your paintings. Okay, then. I guess it's time to kill all Jews. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, it says, during his... like painting of German shepherds. <laughs> the German shepherds are the best. They are the super dogs. <laughs> it says, during his young adulthood before rising to power, <laughs> Hitler lived in Vienna. And one of Hitler's friends, surprisingly, he has a, a friend. Shitty hipster. Uh, during that period was Walter Johannes Stein. Johann. Johann. Oh, sorry. Walter Johann Stein. Says I, Johann. Uh, during World War II, Dr. Stein... Stein. Became an advisor to England's Stein. Prime Minister Stein, uh, Mr. Winston Churchill. Uh, much of what Dr. Stein had to say about Hitler's early life found its way into a book entitled well, The Spear Steen? of Destiny. Stein, right? Is it Stein or Stein? Taste my steel, Stein. Um, so basically, um, in this uh, book, The Spear of Destiny, 
It's mentioned that uh, higher levels of consciousness by means of drugs. Basically, Hitler took a lot of drugs. Yeah, he was a, a, a devotee of, uh, of mysticism. He was a drug addict. And loved his... That's he loved to, he loved to get 420 blazed. He liked peyote. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. yeah. He got, well, oh, he got like and an heroin and peyote. And he was like a and all that good shit. gateway by... Uh, he uh, yeah, he didn't seem particularly discerning. He just just when 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 Hitler's brought a plate of drugs, he has all the drugs. <laughs> Maybe that's why they everyone everybody followed him because he had all the drugs. Were, yeah, <clears throat> he was the supplier. But like Hitler was like uh, just a druggie who was into like magic and the occult and yeah, stuff. Yeah, the like, society. He was a hippie. Mm-hmm. Big time. He had, he had ideals. Ideal. Up until he became a double-crossing spy and started like getting people murdered and uh, <clears throat> manipulating other folks for his own political gain, slowly becoming the biggest bastard in Seewald. And yeah, and um, and it's noted that like you know, you know Hitler was like definitely a druggie because even when he was like you know the Führer. He was, you know, constantly being injected with like cocaine, morphine, and uh, ritual ceremonies. Daniel have their, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> have their sacrifices, right? And uh, he obviously was, he did did he, did he like outlaw drugs to his like German people, mm, or did he oh, allow them no to idea. kind of like take a hit every so often? I don't know. Uh, you know, because I mean, if he was the only one with the drugs and he wasn't sharing, that's total fucking dick move. That just elevated his shittiness. Well, I mean, Probably. they're called dictators for a reason. <laughs> that's There's a good a, joke, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just put a laugh track in; it'll be okay. Um, <laughs> I'll do it for but you. But fucking toilet um, flushing. <laughs> Hitler's earlier life, though, like after his like early twenties, you know, all like. Down with, you know, like just all sorts of you know, trippy drugs and he uh, weird enlists as a soldier, doesn't he? Uh, mysticism. Uh, he was a soldier and, uh, and he fucking enlists in World War One. And apparently, he's like a fucking like war hero, even though he's like a little enlisted dude because he <sighs> won the highest honor awarded to uh, a corporal enlisted men, like to a corporals corporal. in the German military at the time. But he was still like a nerd the whole time because he was still like into his like mysticism and like life is this. Everybody else just wanted to drink, go home, and and crush puss in that order. Yeah, the other guys were just like, man, this guy's a fucking weirdo, loser. Stuck him, stuff him in a locker. (laughs) I probably like fucking nerd. Yep. Yeah. Fucking nerd. Nerd. (laughs) We don't need nods around here. We need ladies. Yeah, didn't you know that um, the word nerd is actually like from a German word, uh, nerdstisch, uh, which uh, was applied and popular. (laughs) Yes, yes. The things uh, that we learn. Thank you, Germania. During World War One, Hitler got hit with mustard gas and was blinded temporarily. And was sent to a fucking mental hospital because he was like freaking out 
Um, yep. Probably because he was so, blind, you know. He's yeah, just like, maybe. I can't see. Like, yes. what? How would I masturbate? Oh, wait, pretty I'm much the same as superior, always. Okay. You know. Yes. Um, My superior <clears throat> eyes, how could they be hurt like we did, such? We did mention that he was mistakenly diagnosed, right? Uh, yes. Oh, uh, no. Yes, no, they, well, they, like, they mistakenly di diagnosed him with a mental condition. A psychopathic of, hysteria. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and it was oh, li and, little and, Hitler is having a cry, cry. Okay, send him up to Silunibin. Uh, again, little, he was he was Hitler. placed under the care of Doctor Edmund Forster, and but they they, they don't know exactly enough. what was done to him. No, but like time. later on, yeah. but later on there was a story that uh, that that guy put out and. Uh, it was it was supposed well, it was to be like in his journal or something. And yeah, it was, it was supposed like, to be like a like a like a nonfiction a, a fictional uh, a hypothetical story, and it seemed too specific. They to named not. the person yeah, and a it was coded like a yeah. five year old fucking thinks that spies <laughs> yeah. work. A yeah. if I use H. your initials, yeah. they'll never figure it out. Yeah. So uh, the the story went that uh, Hitler came in there and. Um, the, the good doctor cured him by giving him a shitload of drugs and like mm. using like uh, psycho uh, uh, psychotherapy like well like a, I guess a, a, a form of, uh, of hypnotic suggestion because like he was able to uh, ha get Hitler to have what I guess essentially became like prophetic visions or whatever because yeah. Hitler takes these you know, these fucking hallucinations that he has and and he like expounds uh expands you know that into uh into the ideas that that he uses when he became like the 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 head of of the Germans or whatever you know the the ideas of the the super race and how everyone else is unclean and uh they must be purified and then he mixed that in with like the you know the original not totally crazy at all ideas that he'd uh, picked up from the Thule Society about uh, um, mysticism and how the universe is like a piece of Swiss cheese, right? And uh, each planet is uh, <clears throat> uh, is actually like a hole, a hole in the yeah. cheese and we're all standing on the outside of the hole as a... <laughs> Uh, uh, as gravity pulls us or secures us to the hole and, and being the planet uh, as the hole itself means that our planet itself is, is hollow and they had some really wild ass fucking funky uh, um, takes on like on the universe uh, which I wasn't expecting um, I've never even knew there was a Thule Society before uh, farting through this book uh, I knew there was some sort of like mystical secret society uh, yeah. that was involved with the Third Reich kind of thing because like at this point like it's it's a pop it's a it's a, a fucking pop popular culture thing like that uh, the occult the like the occult occultism had a had a like a a pretty big part of uh, of um, uh, the, the the well the German the German uh, uh, executives or whatever the people in yeah charge. there's entire books on like Nazism and the occult or hmm. yeah. the occult yeah this and know, the supposedly occult. they had the spirit destiny at some point uh, forget Bullshit. what else um, all sorts of stuff but so and then there was the documentary uh, 
Indiana Jones and <laughs> Matt. I knew you were going <laughs> to. I, I was about that. to say. I was about to say Hellboy, but that's fine. I knew you were going to say fucking Indiana Jones. You mean, <laughs> and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? <laughs> no, no, the, the real no, one. I, I, no, I asshole. Say that. <laughs> Nor imply it, you bitch. <laughs> so. Um, there were actually two documentaries. Uh, one was called Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the other one was called, uh, I forgot what was it called again? Uh, Temple of Doom? No, not that one. Uh, that was actually a fictional movie. Uh, Back to the Future 2? Also a fictional movie. Lethal Weapon 3? Mm, is that with the, the racist guy, right? Yes. The guy who made that Jesus movie? Yeah, I think so. Wait. What Jesus movie? You mean Are you the, talking about the Jesus movie? Are you? You're not talking about. <laughs> wait, no. I was thinking of Mel Gibson. No, you I, yes, yes, yes. But sorry, I I was thinking of something. I'm just fucking with you. Yeah, and like, yes, yeah. you are. But I was about to go somewhere else that was like three steps uh, uh, further stupid. So just never mind. Oh, three steps ahead, huh? Yeah, that's let's Only call three? it that. You're getting soft. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. Okay, so we, I'm getting, I'm barely starting to get hard. We know that uh, Hitler was basically on drugs, yeah, getting visions, um, right. basically giving him the idea that he was going to be because after the this top dog in the German politics or whatever, yeah. Um, and uh, but following a little Hitler further, um, he gets he gets assigned to an espionage unit right. to out commies. He becomes the spy spy, uh, working for a literal department of espionage within the the German government. And uh, he helps like bust up like a huge like you know ring of uh, commies. And uh, yep, it's written. You know, we're just gonna sum it up where. Basically, you know, Hitler told high command or whoever the fuck it was, you know, like, here's all of these, you know, fucking, you know, subversives. And yep. they lined everyone up. And then Hitler just went down the line and was like, you know, him, und, him, und, him, und, him. Um, and maybe you should have left that last, do last donut in the box for me after all, Diane. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, interestingly enough, um, and sadistically enough, uh, fucking Hitler um, apparently sat there and watched these guys get shot too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, Hitler was a cold bastard, uh, or cold and calculating. Uh, he was, uh, so which is then after that, you exactly know, he just, you why know, rises to another rank in the you know high command, then another, and another, then right. Eventually and then he, becomes, he uh, you know, the chancellor and shit. He, he, uh, he develops the uh, political aspirations and joins uh, like a, like a sort of a union party or. A, yeah. The, the German workers party. Yeah. Which, uh, which, which itself had been infiltrated. To the whatever Germany's, but it translates so, to, you know, the Nazi party. Bra yeah. Bramley talks about or mentions that, uh, that, yeah, that Nazi party eventually became, became the uh, people behind the, uh, the ideals of of Hitler or whatever uh, uh, themselves that organization was manipulated by by Hitler and uh, the uh, the uh, political department within the government. It was that was basically a tool uh, mm -hmm. used to put Hitler in in power. Uh, so like it was something they had all planned uh, before. Yeah, and before, so then yeah, beforehand. because basically you know Hitler's on the up and up, and then so then like the kind of the grand poobahs and the you know weird. Brotherhood network associated, you know, yeah, 
societies, you know, a dude introduces like, Hitler got to, your back, you know, dudes in the Thule Society, and then you had the Vril Society, the Edelweiss, and, um... What was the third one? I forgot the name. Shit. Yeah, there was the Vril, the Thule, the Vril, the Edelweiss, and... Wasn't it just the three? I think it was just those three, Yeah. But all of them had the, the kind of the same idea that there's going to be some sort of, you know, Germanic or Nordic or just a messiah in general in the region to come up and, you know, and uh, lead them set to, things right in right. their crazy scheme. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of them went, Adolf Hitler, you're our man. You go get and him. Hitler just ran with it because he was all coked up just like... Yes, yes, I I will beat the fear. And you have Um, like Goring and Himmler just like held him by the elbow, like, let's go to this old rally. And, you know, just, you know, basically hate the Jews. Why not? Basically, fucking, uh, we we can get Bernie love it, you know. Yeah. Um, And it says like, well, within the the fact that that he was going to become the Messiah, there was going to be the the thousand year Reich. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's pretty much their their form of religion. Well, their yeah, form of like after that, the like, apocalypse kind of thing. Peace, and then <coughs> right, um, the rapture. Bradley can talk about solution. how it's like conceptualized as like how the Third Reich is going to be viewed as like a holy or kind of operate like a holy order. Right, and this is a divine uh, uh, edict. Uh, Bradley's like, yo, hey, you know that's laughable, but hey, remember the Dominicans? Yeah, yeah, like the, they the position. Uh, went about with the Inquisition, you know, but they were still like a holy order in their own right. So, like, it's not that like crazy of a notion that no. Hitler was trying to push like the Third Reich into that kind of a a role or whatever, because it wasn't unprecedented. Um, no, it's just the modern, uh, inter- the modern version of the same shit. So and so then once again tying in you know the custodians he's like you know Bramley's like you know this is a custodial ideology as much as a political one. Um. Yeah, he he says uh, that the 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 Nazi party is total image. However, however, it is like a holy order. We did mention that uh, <clears throat> Nazis, um, I want to say, perfected the concentration camp in a sense. Refined it. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's say they were innovators because <laughs> apart from just or so apart from just, you know, using these people as, you know, slave labor, they did very gruesome yeah, things to I, I was, people. I was reading here, he just mentioned, yeah, that uh some people was like their flesh was used to make lampshades. Lampshades, yeah. Like whatever the hell else, door shutters or whatever kind of um, gold Crap fillings bigger. from teeth were, you know, sent oh. to the German treasury to right. melt down and shit. Comes uh, property of the state. Give us your teeth. Uh, but hmm. um, yeah, they they were they were imaginative enough in their. Uh, uh, but then we get into. Uh, Kind of all the various uh, now really dubious and shady business ties that modern corporations 
had with uh, Nazi Germany. Oh, right. The main, uh, from banking to industrial mean or industrial. Yeah, so they had the business corp- large large business corporations and uh, and the the well the banking. Uh, I mean, systems. General Electric, ITT, IG yep. Farben, Ford Motors, Chase yep. Manhattan. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, all, all people that, all banks and like businesses that are still once again, Miller popped in, donating money to the cause. Fucking <sighs> the Schiff family, which becomes because they were like, I think the Schiff aren't the Schiff ties of the Rockefellers, or is it the Sh- uh, Rothschilds? No, it's the Rothschilds. I think it's the Rock- Rothschilds that were um, mentioned. But I mean, like millions upon millions and millions of various countries former currency was being flowed to support the nazis you know yeah this is fucking crazy man it's all like, a fucking uh uh a game that they're playing with uh with everybody's wallets yeah and all the like puppet di- dictatorships get set up you know like because i mean Arguably, you know, there's stuff. There's arguably this that's what that put Hitler Bramley in power. could have addressed because it was going on. Because he did bring up like, uh, and we'll get to this later in the, the book, but um, like the the death squads in like Nicaragua and other parts of mm. Latin America. Oh right, eighties and shit. Um, yeah, yeah, that's just kind of an extension of this same kind of bullshit, man. Like. Yeah, he talks about uh, Peru just because and all Columbia, these little puppet dictators were set up by the like, United States and other foreign interests, and uh, because all this because these guys were anti-communist, but they were complete pieces of shit <laughs> that murdered and exploited, you know, yeah, millions of fucking people. There's this uh, this uh, just another this is like an ending example. Where I don't know if you want to keep talking about it, but specifically here, like. Uh, says the Bank of New England continues to support Hitler even after the Nazi dictator embarked in his uh, program of conquest after he invaded Czechoslovakia in violation of the aggression pact between then Prime Minister uh, Chamberlain uh, of England and Hitler. The Bank of England gave uh, Nazi Germany six million pounds of Czech gold uh, mm-hmm. reserves held by the bank. So like they weren't supposed to fucking do anything and he went in there and did it anyway and they got paid for it. So... It's fucking great. Yeah. And so it's interesting because like in like high school American history, they talk about how there was like kind of like the, I can't remember the exact terminology they used for it, but it was like the policy of appeasement, I think it was, where Hitler kept like breaking rules, breaking rules, breaking rules, but all these world governments were just like, ah, it's okay. Ah, it's okay. Oh, he only took over the Rhineland. I was oh, just angry little, angry, angry little German boy. But, so cute. There they are, little German boy. It's interesting to think about like the financial and commercial uh, like interests that were at play to support, you know, fucking, you know, various, you know, crazy, you know, world views of how things should be. Yeah. No. Uh these these are things that are very uh rarely if at all mentioned in uh any any modern history setting. Uh yeah, I did I I like didn't that. Cause I always wonder about that, like, is like, you know, cause it, it felt incomplete because it's like, oh, Hitler conquered another area, he invaded Poland yeah. or whatever, and then you know, what the, the fuck happened? The United Nations was like 
It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about yeah, it. It's fine. But then you get into stuff like Bramley and other crap. And Czechoslovakia is into country. Like, anyway. I'm sure, like, you know, I just never took any courses on, like, you know, more modern history or whatever, which I'm sure would uh, investigate the economic, you know, considerations um, behind it and ulterior motives. and Maybe a good class, but I don't think, like, your common one would go into oh, no, those sources. Like, like a graduate level course. Like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Because, like, because the way that, like, history works is, like, high school, you get kind of, like, the broad sketch. Right. Your geography. Undergraduate, you get, you figure out you got lied to. Right. <laughs> and start getting, like, your mind blown in some regards. And then graduate school, you learn More how than you exactly that shit fucking worked out. But it's still kind of a mostly kind of, like, you know. State level approved interpretation. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. Oh, oh, can't can't do shit. <clears throat> Way to go, government. I do want to bring it back to the fact that um, we again, the Nazis were involved in the where well, there was a lot of banks and um, people yeah, that were supporting like, the Nazis and stuff like that. But we also have to remember that uh, the Nazis also believe themselves to. Uh, well, the Nazis themselves claim that uh, an extraterrestrial society. Was the source of their ideology right. and the power right. behind their organization. The, Again, this is which was going into like what Roland was talking about earlier with like their, the their Earth, cosmology because uh, they cosmology thought right. basically the universe was a big rock with you know right. holes, holes in, in, it, in it, like Swiss yeah, cheese, exactly. And yeah. and we live in the holes. The holes are actually planets. Yeah, and so it, like the underground. It, yeah, super race super is actually just in a bubble that's next to us or a hole in the cheese. Yeah, and they'll come out once uh, once we, that is to say, the Nazis uh, purify the world. And uh, yeah, make would you it, think like you know, with their, roll out with, the red carpet? If it, yeah. oh man, that's actually pretty good. Like roll out the red carpet with all the bloodshed. It's <laughs> graphically Oops. kind of like ooh. That's, do you, do dark, you think that maybe uh, their involvement in the, in the occult and their belief in the underground Superman could have like um, been tied to like some kind of like demonic kind of thing? Oh, uh, you mean not necessarily extraterrestrials, but maybe some kind of like evil force? That I mean, did they think they were? Did, did they did the Nazis think they were doing something good? For the world, uh, obliterating the Jews and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, they were. That was well, their plan. I guess, like, by association, yes, because they're doing what's best for the Aryan race by getting rid of all of the impurities in the planet. Right. So they can prosper. Right. And so also guess, killing like, all those Jews who own that pesky land that we want. Crazy campaign of. Xenophobia, essentially. Right, and, and Roland, you did bring up the whole uh, Swiss cheese. Yeah. Thing. Uh, and that's on page uh, 389. It's uh, it's, it's pretty fucking wacky. Um, it's an interesting perspective, but like Bramley doesn't preface anything to this. He's just like, oh yeah, by the way, like their, their beliefs and shit were weird. Look, Swiss cheese. Yeah, and so Bramley, like to get... Um, past all this, we get to like the funniest joke that Bradley made in this book, I think. Oh, which one? Um, so to preface it, um, 
Lest it be assumed that the Nazi Swiss cheese model of the universe was one of Hitler's big lies, there's evidence that Nazi leadership took that idea quite seriously. For example, an attempt was made to locate the British fleet during World War II with infrared rays pointed towards the sky uh-huh. because they thought it was all in a bubble so it was going to bounce yeah. off the something to yeah. like hit the fucking ships in the ocean <laughs> yeah um, the, so the, the air in the in the hole is also blue by the way I forgot to yeah, mention that so the believe. Nazis believe that the rays would hit the opposite side of the concave earth if for no other reason we we let the Nazis lost the war so that we were spared their astronomy lessons yeah just <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a pretty pretty good dig. Um, Bramley does mention that uh, Nazism was kind of a culmination of like all the ideas that he's mentioned yes. put right. together towards uh, the end of this book. And uh, just to quote him directly, in Nazism, we see all the elements we have looked at in this book come together. The Brotherhood Network, Apocalypticism, yep. the paper money banking elite, genocide, and an extraterrestrial race worshipped as gods, and owners mm. of the earth. And Nazism should have happened 2,000 years ago, but it occurred only decades ago. All in the history we have looked at in this book may still be happening today. Oh, so that's and the also, answer, right? but Nazis before that section, and before we get UAPs. move on from this chapter, it is important to bring up how, um, once again, um, secret espionage uh, groups are... Um, tied into uh, the Brotherhood plans because former Nazis become like head of the CIA. Yeah, know, right. Fucking yeah. Head of various intelligence organizations. These people don't disappear. Uh, They're Interpol, adopted by know, various uh, governments. It's, 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 it's crazy because, I mean... The CEO the, of Shell Oil. The governments, right. uh, the, like the U.S. government pretty much knew that they were like smart and they were useful, so they pretty yep. much just... They gave them a pardon. Yeah, we and then, pass. I mean, like, oh, yeah. and those, those, how, those like, ideals don't just go away. You know, they just kind of, well, like... And that's how, like, you know, fucking, like, Einstein and Oppenheimer got to the United States right, and shit, exactly. you know, through these, like, you know, like, like, hey, you're a Nazi scientist, whatever, come over here, give us your fucking knowledge, and, you know... Oh, we won't kill we'll you. you. And give you a free pass, you know, because... Yeah. We'll play nice. Would be, would be a shame if something happened to that freedom. <laughs> Um, yeah, they were very opportunistic. Um, they didn't really have any particular qualms about uh, the acquisition of of knowledge. Yeah. All right. Was there anything else to add to this uh, chapter before we move on to the next? Nothing but um, to transition it, which uh, I'll just quote Bramley directly. Go ahead. Um, if we hypothesize that human society is still being manipulated by a custodial society in the same manner that it was thousands of years ago, then we must determine that UAPs continue to behave now as they did in the distant past. Two questions we might pose to make this determination are, are UFOs still spreading the same corrupted brotherhood mysticisms today that they did earlier in history? Are they still implanting the false idea that they are God? If we were to believe the testimony of recent UFO abductees, the answer to both queries is yes. Chapter 37, Modern, Modern Ezekiel. And another chapter where I've written a little thing about what it's about. <laughs> I can't see. What does it say? Um, 
abductees and discussion of the Andreessen case. Yeah. So uh, Ezekiel, for those who don't remember, um, was a character in the Bible who was taken up to heaven. Um, you mean by, a real man. A real man. Who's talked about. Yeah. And he's taken up to heaven by God in a human, in his entire human form and shown all these things and stuff. So, I mean, this, ba- this uh, basically talks about uh, being taken up into the heavens, a.k.a. the skies, UFO, uh, UAP, ships, whatever you want to call them. But I do want to give this quote from, uh, it is uh, UFO magazine, but uh, remember we refer to them as UAPs now. I have known some people who claim that they've had UAP experiences and have said they are very pleasant, very dreamlike and wonderful. But invaders don't always come armed to the teeth and threatening. Sometimes they come with happy smiles, waving flags, burying Bibles and crosses. What the fuck is he talking about? Uh, it's basically like well, this, like he's a threat. alluding uh, to. So he's he's alluding man. to. You can't you can't as, like assume that the abductees or the abductors the aren't uh, coming uh, with a th- in a threatening manner. Right. So like yeah. they could be or they couldn't be. You don't really know. So. They could get you really stoned and you won't remember shit. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, you've got like the three kinds of like alien classes. You've got the, you know, the Space Brothers. You've got the <laughs> more like messengery dudes who are trying to like yep. correct humankind's path with, you and know, then, like, oh, you guys are on the pathway to doom. And then the third the are just invaders. like the assholes that are like want to subjugate us. That's right. And these aren't all inclusive. Like they can filter. Our you custodial know, over Each us. class can appear in the other in various uh, shades. But what we're talking about are the more like friendly versions. Yes. If such exist. There's really not a whole lot to say about, about this chapter. Just like things that... Bramley's talked a lot about before, um, but like in relating to the ideas of of like Ezekiel, that is to say, uh, these certain people are quote unquote abducted or whisked away and shown these 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 wonderful sights or these they have these prophetic visions and are told to like either remember it uh, and 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 speak to others of these you know of the things they saw or. Or they're given like a small figment of truth and like told to prepare kind of things. Like, look, this is what was going to happen to you in the future. Yeah, uh, you are you the know, chosen one. Right. The <laughs> one who will deliver the message. Yeah. The one who will provide the way. The right. one oh. who will herald our message. Oh, oh and, uh, and by the way, we're God. See and, ya. Uh, could hey, you thanks. just uh, take your pants off? Right. <laughs> it's easier that way. Yeah, just bend over over here and and yeah. So relax. so um, he does bring up the case of uh, Betty and Andreessen, and, and who's a well documented and extremely exhaustively researched experience <sighs> was subject of an intriguing book called the Andreessen Affair. Okay. Sure. That I own. Yeah. Uh, so basically, it said it occurred January twenty fifth, nineteen sixty seven, and later, while under hypnosis, again. Using hypnosis yeah, to uh, bring back these memories. It's a hypnotic suggestion, baby. It shows that she was uh, on an alien craft, flown to unknown locations, uh, went into red and green un- underground passages um, to some sort of city. Right. And then uh, her experiences, uh, she said the story was so unbelievable to many people, but to us, it is experience which may give her story the most credence. It says, according to Miss 
Andreessen, her abductors took her to the special room. Hmm. And there she underwent what her investigators describe as the most painful and emotional segment of her life, of the whole, total experience. In the room, Miss Andreessen saw a large bird about 15 feet in height. The bird resembled an eagle, but it had a longer neck. What it was so it in must fact, be a phoenix. A phoenix, Christ exactly. <laughs> and again, we mentioned the phoenix in earlier chapters, uh, previous right. episodes. Yep. Uh, it says, the, the great bird had stood there, now burned small fire. The fire died, and down to the pile, great ash, were a few red embers. And as the pile continued to cool, Betty saw something in the ashes. A worm. It looks like a worm. Kill it. She was like, ew. Yep. Squish. Squish. Motherfucker. Now, uh, I guess this is a actual excerpt from the book. It says, it was only too obvious that the aliens had brought Betty to the bird as a focal point of her whole experience. And it seemed to be the purpose of her travel to the red and green spaces. It doesn't make any See sense. See the bird. See the bird. Love the bird. <laughs> they called my name and repeated it again. Love in it. Voice and said, no, I don't understand. What is this all about? Why am I even here? And they, whatever it was, said that I have chosen you. For what have you chosen me? Betty asked. We have chosen you to show the world. Are you God? <laughs> I shall show you as your time goes by. Are, are you the Lord God? <laughs> yeah. Then I just answer your question, bitch. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so it says again. Uh, it says that Mrs. Andreessen was a Christian. And as a result of her experience, she began uh, to include UFOs or UAPs in her own Christian apocalyptic belief. Yeah. yeah. And researcher Raymond Fowler probed those beliefs. So he really probed. <laughs> yeah, interesting those choice of. Uh, uh, do you want to take on the, the role of Raymond Fowler or Betty Rowan? I'll do Betty. Okay, so <laughs> I'll be Raymond Fowler. This is Raymond Fowler. Have they, the UFOs, anything to do with what they call the second coming of Christ? They definitely do. When is this going to occur? It is not for them to tell you. Do they know? They know the master is getting ready and very close. Fucking <laughs> stupid. Uh, if real Betty Anderson's experience was a remarkable one, and it would indicate it was <laughs> Andreessen Ray. Andreessen, sorry, sorry. What do I keep saying? Andreessen's, yeah, Andreessen. And like Fuck. Ezekiel's, who preceded her story, Betty Andreessen's testimony You're suggests such a racist, that Ray. she suffered considerable mental tampering at the hands of her abductors. Uh, she was manipulated. Ezekiel's preceding her in history. <laughs> and then again with his humor, unlike past Ezekiel's, however, Mrs. Andreessen's a vision will probably not be added to the Bible, nor will it cause her <laughs> to rally an army and embark on a campaign of religious conquest. What a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you say conquest. Uh, I, 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 I started. Andreessen, conquest. That's right. Yeah, we're just like mispronouncing words all over this fucking place. Uh, do, do, do. Um, I mean, I mean, that's basically it with the modern Ezekiel's. I mean, I feel like there could have been more instances. I mean, there was the Travis Walton instance very, very where he was abducted, yeah. and he could have put that in there. If he's gonna pronounce, uh, there I mean, was Willie Strieber. That was yeah, Willie Strieber. But was, uh, and that, like, I mean, he's in '86. Was it? He, he fucking he used the word Ezekiel's plural, and he only mentioned one. Yeah. So I mean, like, there were many cases. Just he like the 
you know, few articles and one book accounting Saint Germain's life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he cited three fucking sources. Yeah. I think there was the same. He uses like the same ones here, but. Chapter, Chapter 38. 38. The, new, the Eden. new Eden. This one's a doozy. It really fucking is. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wrote it here, Daniel. A doozy. I'm just kidding. I didn't write anything. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, I forgive you. Yes. Uh, so Bramley, like uh, Bramley characterizes the new Eden as um, sterile architecture and stylistic um, homogeneity. How do you homogeneity. Homogeneity. Homo- sorry. Homogeneity. 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 It's eighty. Yes. And it says among them are drugs that promise to change and control nearly every. Negative human attribute, and the new Edenites are taught philosophies which promise materialistic utopia within a um, spiritual that's wasteland. That's Eden You're saying it wrong. You forgot the accento. And like he says, like uh, Edenites. Oh my bad, Roland. The Edenitos. Edenites. There you go, Ray. Edenitos. Edenites to commit suicide. Uh, At a surprisingly high rate. Wow, then you went just super racist with it, Ray. Yeah, you well, did. Well, I, I went like straight up... Uh, indigenous. Is it indigenous? Well, yeah, I mean for us. Hmm. Shut so, up, Ray. So be it. I mean, you Americans? do fucking, you do fucking Asian <laughs> books. I do. And it's amazing. Um, so <laughs> uh, the New Eden, what what is uh, what are the things that uh, Bramley is proposing for this New Eden? Saying that uh, the world is the world that we're living in currently or going to live it's in. It's still just uh, that, you know, gilded cage, man. It's just a pampered prison. Uh, people are still like living the within their ignorance. People are just toiling about without access to um, True their freedom. spiritual selves. They're not actualized beings. And uh, there are two points that uh, Bramley uh, brings up, and he has, he has, he lists them. So I would like to read those, uh, not the whole thing, but at least just yeah, half no, of it. like yeah, like the first sentence or whatever. Yeah, the first like two, three sentences. Of each each bit pretty well. So uh, number one, the vast majority of people who join movements and organizations do so for the right reasons, including those who join the Brotherhood branches and custodial religions. They have heard a bit of truth, and they have seen a solution to the genuine problem. And they work in those organizations to dis- disseminate that truth or to solve that problem. And uh, it goes on to say, like, throughout history, like, um, the, most of their top leaders are normally engaged in Machiavellian activities. So right. basically, they're, back to the, it's just an opportunity. But the rank and file folks don't know that. Like, exactly. They think yeah. they're just doing good stuff. Like, it's you just know. Top, yeah. the, the cream of the crop, the top of the top. The officers. They know what they're doing. And it says, uh, number two, my purpose is correction, not condemnation. There are no saints on earth and probably nowhere else for that matter. Yes, there are great, many very fine people who deserve to be helped, but there is probably no being on earth who has not at some time, in some way, contributed to what we have discussed in this book, to engage in blame, punishment, recrimination at this stage of the game can only make affairs worse. 
I hope to encourage the idea that no matter what we have done in the past, it is the present and the future that truly count. And uh, yeah. So, so like he just pretty much summarizes, like this is an early conclusion to him. Like there's still more of the book to read, but like when I, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, he's already phoned it in. Yeah, then he's, yeah, just like, he's, oh, he's bringing it to an end already. You know, yeah. There's all these, you know, people that are members of these organizations that we think of as good people from like, and they are good people. Ministers to free this me, is, but their bosses suck. This, uh, Daniel, this, uh, Roland, this was written uh, year seven, about eight months in, and yeah, he's like, and oh shit, like, in like two weeks. He's like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> He's just hitting his typewriter and yeah. just like monkeying He's out like, whatever well, words. Not going to publish like, my original thesis. So I might as well try and make some money on the side. UFOs. So, uh, he then uh, just once again jumps back to fucking money created out of nothing and how like banks make money. And oh, and how there's an easy an easy solve to the banking system, to the inflatable paper money system, that is to have yeah, so banks being controlled by the government. Of a conversation like, oh, about kidding me? how these centralized banks that are supported by like the round table and uh, things like the Intermonetary Fund, which is not invoked in Branley's work, but it is a organization set up by like these centralized, you know, think tanks to, right. you know, nego- uh, to direct uh, world banking affairs and uh, economic activity. Blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> blah, 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 bourgeoisie, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, hegemony. But we're about to get back into all Status of the problems quo. that the yeah. modern you know, like uh, banking system causes worldwide. And uh, there's a lot of uh, hardship we're going to talk about. Oh, he does talk about the IMF. I see right there in the center of this page here. Yeah. In, Bra- in uh, Brazil. Oh, the uh, is, what does it stand for? Illuminated... Uh, the International Monetary Fund. International oh Monetary shit! Fund. I was thinking. Of, <laughs> I was thinking of the damn. Never mind. The shit we were talking about earlier. I was thinking of Illuminati, the Illuminati uh, Mason <laughs> friendship. I was thinking of the uh, <laughs> the uh, um, the domestic terrorism groups. Never mind. <laughs> Illuminati means Freemasonry. <laughs> you shut your face hole. All right. <laughs> Because all um, I smell okay. is bullshit coming out of there. Irrational, momentary fuckitude. There from you Roland. go. <clears throat> what are you saying, Ray? No, I'm just. Oh no, that was that was the IMF. Do do do. Uh, basically, he goes into the talking about the IMF. He says the result of the whole system is massive debt. Entry level society today says the banks are in debt to the depositors and the depositors' money is loaned out and creates indebtedness to the banks. And basically, he talks about the International Monetary Fund. I have the right to dictate economic policies and demand austerity, austerity measures within the indebted nations to get loans repaid. And he mentions Brazil as an example. Um, yeah. Uh, was it uh, during the 80s? They uh, yeah. had them... Uh, uh, drive down the uh, salaries for the workers and uh, drive up the price in uh, 
uh, products exports, exports and also start slashing down the rainforest. And then right. also in the eighties under the Reagan administration, social services were cut to mm-hmm. pay back debts to the banks. Um, but it was to spend on the military though. Sorry. It was just to, to spend on the military. Word. Yeah. It was always reallocated. And also like, let's not forget, you know, Reagan's like war on drugs, which he really <laughs> like ramped up, you know, like, which is something that, like, interestingly enough, like, you know, with drugs and shit, you know, like, Bradley could have been the whole, talk about the whole, like, you know, crack cocaine crackdown, which was going on at the time, and just talk about how, like, oh, isn't it interesting how they promote all of these, you know, psychotropic things with terrible detriments, but they're not, you know, doing anything about it versus this other thing, you know, which is also a drug that is causing problems, um, because it's not regulated, it's not a part of the industry. Uh, that oh no, uh, but it's just another know. like you know Bramley soapbox moment that could have been like a page and a half of text. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bramley sure. does also bring up uh, taxation, and mm-hmm. I, I know I said I don't know if this is how true this was at the time. It said that most Americans believe that the U.S. government creates its own money. Um, maybe that was true, uh, but. Not uh, aware that the Federal Reserve was the one creating right. money. Right. Yeah. And it was still this, you know, money out of nothing, you know, mm-hmm. approach. Yep. So, uh, like again, he does refer to taxation and he talks about uh, Ethiopia. The monarchy in Ethiopia was overthrown by the military coup six months later. I yeah. Marxist yeah. Uh, state took over. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Importantly, to tie it into the Brotherhood uh, network influences, uh, their uh, primarily emblem was the all-seeing eye. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does bring up the fact that a, a lot of these were ended in genocide. So the amounts, uh, the amounts to an act of genocide, people died horrible deaths as they found themselves caught between two equally brutal factions. Behind all of this, we find once again the evidence of the Brotherhood. Again, you mentioned the Marxist uh, all-seeing eye. And then he brings up another example on April 17, 1975. Um, the capital of uh, Kampuchea, uh, formerly Cambodia, fell into communist revolution forces. And um, I'm only uh, familiar with the name Pol Pot. I don't really necessarily know what he did. Uh, but it, apparently he also killed a lot of people too. Well, yeah, because they... Uh, the... Uh, the... Uh, Eggheads of the governmental influence wings uh, were like, "Hey, we need to be an agrarian society now." So they basically just turned people into fucking peons to farm. And in this campaign, you know, millions of people fucking died in the name of like economic activity. Um, and. Uh, Bramley talks about, you know, also people, you know, people that like tried to oppose got murdered. And mm-hmm. this is when you start seeing the rise of like child soldiers because right. the government recruited children to uh, carry out these executions. Um, so. But he does bring up the fact that the United States did uh, back Pol Pot. 
Uh, yes. Yeah. And to, to get into power. Yes. With most of these regimes, once again, you have these, you know, Western capitalist, you know, democratic free nations supporting people like Fidel Castro, which comes up later. Um, uh, Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam, uh, Pol Pot in this chapter. It's just crazy, man. So I'm kind of curious. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys know the answer to this at all, but I mean, like, is the United States trying to just make sure that other countries don't have that kind of like democratic uh, leadership and they're just trying to like, because it's, it benefits, it benefits See, them financially. It depends, weird, depends though, on the country. Like, you look at like, <clears throat> kind of like long-term, like just the United States, uh, you know, sponsoring of, you know, despots. It flexes from Marxist groups to complete tyrants that claim that they're democratic or Republican in nature, but it's just the fact that they oppose communism, why the United States supports them openly. Um, and I just, I just don't get, you know, maybe they took the advantage of the fact that, you know, most people wouldn't pick up on the fact that they're doling out millions of dollars to support fucking gorillas in, you know, well, Asia or whatever to the, make terrible the, systems. The CIA you know, also I wonder what kind those, of backdoor dealings those as far kinds as like of what, deals what to like kickback, make their you know? own. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't didn't this, like didn't the CIA do that kind of shit as well to like be able to keep their own budget off the record? Like they would sell a lot of drugs and a lot of weapons to regimes so that they could. Oh well, yeah, fund certainly. Their own, but there's uh, also still like, it, and it's publicly acknowledged, acknowledge like the <clears> like the black budget operations. that mm-hmm. like exists in the American system, where it's like, yes, there's a a bunch of money earmarked for stuff that you guys aren't going to know about, and but we're going to tell you that there's a fund that sponsors stuff that you're not going to know about, but that's all we're going to tell you about. <laughs> It's just this fun, circular little, you know, merry-go-round of go fuck yourself. <laughs> go for, yeah, give us the money. <laughs> and it also, it is also mentioned here, we did mention it briefly earlier in this episode that uh, the Mormons had high ranks in the CIA. And again, the CIA is kind of like backing a lot of these people like Pol Pot and stuff like that who commit genocide on their people and for some mm. reason that's okay. Again, we have uh, Mormons who are high rank in the CIA it says the American CIA is also influenced by Mormonism, Freemasonry, and other lesser known brotherhood uh, organizations. Yeah, a lot of the secret societies make it into. Yeah, the Mormons are often sought by the CIA recruiters due to their overseas experience many Mormons receive in their missionary work, <laughs> and a few have reached very high positions within the American intelligence community. And some Masonic groups provide special scholarship for young members to attend foreign service schools in Washington, D.C. And immediately after this, uh, we go into... Yeah, so I'm actually going to like just ask our listeners to bear with us because this is Bramley's fault. All the jumping around we've done in this chapter alone is about to get even crazier, but it's not us. It's this fucking book. Like, pick it up, guys. (laughs) It's like eight bucks on Amazon, and you can see for yourselves that like... Good fucking luck. Why we have a hard time with this shit because (laughs) it just goes everywhere because now we get back into the idea of 
the lone assassin. Yes. <laughs> like, fuck. Like. <laughs> Earlier in the book, we looked at the origin of the lone assassin phenomenon as a political tool. The substantial conspiracy evidence surrounding modern day assassinations indicates that such killings continue to be crude political weapons. The primary difference today is that some lone assassins appear to be a cover for a second hidden assassin. And a pretense is made that the lone assassin really did act alone. And he, he does uh, give examples, starting off with probably like the most famous uh, quote-unquote lone assassin, which is uh, Lee, Har- Lee Harvey Oswald, who allegedly shot and killed John F. Kennedy. Right. And um, there's that's like a whole like oh, fucking thing oh, that you, I don't oh, know if you want to get into. My brain just wants to jump to something real quick. Okay, so... The kickoff of World War One was because of the assassination, France, or partly because uh, of the assassination France of uh, Ferdinand, Archduke yeah. Fran- uh, Franz Ferdinand, and yeah. his boo mm-hmm. by yep. those Serbian assassins uh, from the Black Hand. But there were two of them. So is that like potentially precedence for like to help acknowledge what Brandon was about to talk about? Was like the idea of you know second gunman. It's possible because be I mean, too I mean, much credit. Um, was that no, considered? No, no, no. Was that considered a lone like, assassin? I'm just like saying, like you know, perhaps like no. you know, because of I this, mean, like it's acknowledged that like two known assassins yeah. were involved in that assassination attempt. That perhaps it was a common practice of assassins to have, have at least uh, a couple of people a partner work because also it's a failsafe. You know, if one guy fucks up, maybe the other one can take it take care of it like Maybe. that one assassination attempt that happened uh that it's later in uh bramley's list the of woman walking cool up to history. the dude but the one chick that had the knife right she yeah. was sort of the stage by a security guard so maybe if she failed that guy was there to finish the job like oh i missed her and i Maybe. shot the fucking i dude. mean like there were other instances that he mentions here where the gunman oh, yeah. like, is a patsy uh, uh was that guy? Um, yeah, I mean, he he does mention like. Are you talking about John F. Kennedy or? Well, yeah, J- J- yeah, John F. Kennedy. Yeah, like Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, said he was uh, a patsy, and then Jack Ruby offed him. You know, yeah, and then Jack Ruby died in prison, like a couple years less later. Than a month after that, something like that. I don't know. Well, I mean, there's a but lot was, of uh, there's a lot of uh, research that's gone on into that particular uh, assassination, but I mean, like. Uh, we talked about Daniel. Uh, you mentioned the last podcast on the left does a very pretty good job about the Mormonism, but yeah. they do have like a six part series on just the JFK assassination alone. Well, like oh, they shit. they mentioned yeah. his brother. Uh, they mentioned Martin Luther King. Uh, they mentioned yeah uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Right. Um, I I mean you can go into a lot of the conspiracy theories on this and like Bramley literally just touches them very quickly. Because, again, one of these alone is uh, enough to fill, like, an entire book. Yeah, he, uh, I think he get, even like, mentions kind of that, that, like, some of his chapters here are, like, a thesis to themselves or whatever. Yeah, because he does well, talk, yeah. again, like, the lone assassin for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was uh, the Sirhan Sirhan. Yeah. And then, uh, they said that, like, he, he goes into, like, very briefly that... He was too uh, far away. He was to too far away to get, like, the kind and of, And what like, actually happened was one of the guards shot him, that, yeah. that was there. And I think he also makes... Uh, like with Reagan uh, himself, yeah. even uh, he he didn't feel Reagan. Reagan didn't when uh, in the Reagan uh, assassination attempt, he didn't supposedly feel anything until he got into the car, 
And, and he thought it was just like an accident that one of his right. uh, one of his yeah, agents like, shot you know, him because they originally reported the bullet ricocheted off the inside of the door and hit him. But it was the type of bullet that would fracture, what that would um, explode. Yeah, because yeah, Hinkley fragment. used a uh, twenty-two round, which yeah, uh, which is basically like when it touches paper, it's gonna fucking it's, you know, it's, shatter. It shatters in into like it, it. It turns into a fucking landmine. The goddamn thing turns into just metal shards everywhere. And so, if a twenty-two <clears throat> caliber round had hit the door. Yeah, like the interior of the car would have been sprayed and shred, and you know, like uh, uh, metal sh metal shedding or sh shrapnel, basically. Shrapnel. Uh, and that wasn't the case. Um, Reagan was just sort of like he had a punctured lung. Shot he was directly, coughing up lung. Like just, yeah, exactly. You know. It was it was apparently a, a clean clean wound or whatever. And so, uh, but they never checked that gun, so they have no way to make sure if. Uh, well, and then also uh, circle back quickly to. That's Hinkley, sort of the shooter himself, you know, he was under psychiatric care and right. uh, mm -hmm. powerful antipsychotics, which were, right. which uh, Bramley did bring up in the, I think the Robo Sapiens chapter, but we just jumped past that um, because we were going to get to this. He but does mention that a lot again, of the lone assassin types have mental health, kind and of psychotropic uh, influence <laughs> or or relation, rather, you know, and in, 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 in going back to like, the the original assassin sects and how they would supposedly, well, they they postulated the idea that like they would drug people and take them to an imaginary place and yeah. let them think they were you know in heaven, it's just and the, bring them back know, the to earth and send them out on a know, mission. The brainwashing basically, <clears throat> right? Their their conditioning is. Uh, um, but so at this point, Bramley has kind of suggested that like you know, there may be a, more than one shooter. Right. at hand in a lot of these assassination attempts. So then he goes into a discussion of a leader in the Philippines who was undoubtedly right. uh, assassinated by someone on the security team as yeah. part of a fucking conspiracy. Right, and they flat out killed someone else to, to try to cover it up kind of thing. Like it was a state, uh, well, like it was state sanctioned and uh, uh, executed by the military, right? And uh, they killed this guy the second he came back. Yeah. Um, and then there was a commission, kind of like the Warren Commission in the United States that investigated the JFK assassination that was enacted in the Philippines in response to the Montecos murder. Mm -hmm. And the fucking commission came back to say, yes, he was fucking murdered. Yeah, but like, nothing happened. By like our own people. And so- yeah. Bunch of people were acquitted. Some people went to jail or whatever. Some the the uh, the dictator at the time was like exiled to Hawaii. The irony, or some bullshit the irony for a to life uh, of leisure. <clears throat> the um, irony to this uh, being that that uh, that investigatory like panel or department or whatever uh, they they'd been sus suspected of 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 their like being just like an inherent bias into their their investigation, and it turned out that they actually did their jobs and like. You know, showed their showed all the ridiculous bullshit, and the wife, I think, of that uh, that particular guy that was killed was uh, responsible for overthrowing the uh, uh, the government. I think uh, at the time, I forgot her name. It says in here, um, but whatever. Yeah. So. Oh, his wife. Yeah. Corazon Aquino. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, President um, Mark Marcos uh, was overthrown by. By the guy's wife. Um, yeah. Um, but then moving on, another popular assassination attempt was uh, Pope John Paul II. Oh, right. Um, 
And it turns out that investigators had found that there was a Bulgarian connection for a second gunman. Yeah. And potentially, probably, likely, the CIA of the United States applied pressure to drop investigations into the second gunman uh, Bulgarian connection nonsense. Um, um, yeah, the Italian police accused the Bulgarian intelligence agents of being involved, and that's where they got the ideas of the second gunman. Russian accused the American, or well, because Bulgaria was still a communist nation at the time, Russia accused mm -hmm. the American CIA of manufacturing so-called Bulgarian connection uh, for propaganda purposes. And then that's when they put the pressure on the Italian police to drop the second gun case. And yeah, that was uh, pretty much it. The witness uh, in that in that particular instance uh, uh, basically fucked himself, and uh, I guess it was just inconclusive at that point. Um, and then we can skip ahead a little bit, but once again, Brantley brings in the whole idea of like you know the mental health of these you know quote unquote lone assassins. Mm -hmm. um, it makes them more suggestible. And, uh, goes on to say, in light of the above, it's perhaps not surprising to discover evidence of the Brotherhood network directly or indirectly linked to the modern assassinations. John Hinckley Jr., for example, belonged to for a while to an American Nazi organization. Yep. Uh, then he goes on to talk about a uh, Squeaky Fromm, who was a follower. She was part of the you know the family of Charles Manson. Yep. Um, but, who preached uh, a bizarre apocalyptic mysticism. Himself, but interestingly enough, as Brownlee points out, Manson himself was once a police informer. Yeah, that, um, I didn't know that. I thought it was kind of funny. Like, hi, he was a narc. <laughs> and uh, I wonder what Bramley would have to say today. Um, we're not done with this chapter yet, but in the because he invokes, uh, you know, more modern groups engaging in acts of terrorism. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what he would have to say about you know the current state of affairs in the world where, you know, there's openly groups that, you know, invoke Actually, acts of terrorism he, that are floating around like Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Doesn't and he mention some of the people um, in the Middle East, like at the time still fighting over oil and... Uh, well, yeah, but now you, I mean... Which, I mean, is, is pretty much the same thing. It goes without saying that, you know, things have scaled up in the Middle East, you know, in the last 20 years. Um, so I was curious, like what, you know, like if Bramley was, you know, kind of like still working on this book, you know, for another 20 years, you know, <laughs> yeah. what he would have to say about that, you know, particularly with, you know, uh, the CIA training, you know, Afghani rebels against the Russians and then how Al Qaeda kind of, you know, came out of that, you know, support network. Um, sure. But just. Trailing off away from the point, I guess, a bit because this chapter is just so abusive. Uh, um. <laughs> and again, we uh, we go on to like from lone assassins to uh, pretty much uh, something so the so called uh, permanent revolution. Yeah. Uh, and again, Marx's concept that class struggle is inevitable and it must continuously occur for a utopia to emerge. So it's basically just again, telling people Calvinism. Yeah, um, there must always be a struggle. With Mormonism, you have to constantly be battling evil because the minute you stop, that's when evil is going to take over. So you have that's to right. constantly be in a 
Idle hands. Perpetual state of mind. Yeah. Back to the old, yeah. uh, even more OG than Calvinism, but the Puritan belief mm -hmm. of right. glorifying warfare against evil. You know? Right. And uh, he, he does mention that uh, there were powerful atomic weapons built in preparation for yet another final battle. Mm. Um, says there's a great irony in the civilizations in the ancient past. There is, a, oh, sorry. If manipulations by the custodial society do indeed ultimately lie behind human turmoil, the custodial society could soon find itself owning a very large damaged piece of real estate. <laughs> that was funny. And it is true that the nuclear weapons are notoriously unstable so that many atomic warheads will not explode if launched. But if there is enough of an overkill built to ensure that considerable damage would result from a nuclear exchange... Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, happily, Overkill. the end of the Cold War brought about pledges for significant reductions in U.S. and Russian nuclear arsenals. And then it go, he goes on from there to talk about briefly about Reagan's Star Wars. Right. The uh, system would encourage a hostile foreign power to smuggle and plant atomic bombs in the United States. If it felt that its missiles would be ineffective, such bombs can be easily Words. stored and kept mobile in trucks or vans. Media publicized nuclear terrorism scare of the 70s indicates that some stationary bombs may already be in place in the United States. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So everyone kind of like at that point starts cooling off with uh, nukes, right? But then they get into germ warfare and we get into a real fun section where Bramley has documented cases where the U.S. military, you know, ran experiments. Yeah, they fucking gassed San Francisco. U.S. population. Washington, uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, yeah, several times. Uh, let's see. Uh, when was this? Uh, in 1950, San Francisco neighboring yep. communities of the bacteria-laden fog, six days in 1950. Records contain the conclusion that nearly everyone in San Francisco's 800,000 residents was exposed to the cloud released by a Navy ship steaming up and down outside the Golden Gate. The, uh, aero, uh, funny, the aerosol substance released by the ship contained a bacteria known as Ceratia, which was believed harmless by the military at the time, but which has been found since to cause a type of pneumonia that can be fatal. Yeah, so yeah. pneumonia. No, like, I mean, you can attribute this to like modern uh, conspiracies where people think that they're being oh, the chemtrails the, the chem and, stuff. and stuff like that. You yeah. know, like the paranormal uh, paranoia isn't uh, without warrant. No, the government has done it at all. They've yeah, done the and continue to do very, yeah. very shitty things to like their own citizens. And they won't tell you until years later after you're right. probably dead. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> those uh, those reports are released, and then you find out, oh shit, like they actually were. Oh, doing shit, something. that third titty was actually a tumor. Great, would have been good to know. Um, again. He goes from this, Bramley goes from this uh, topic to uh, experiments as like uh, like talking about AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it says here that uh, after the AIDS epidemic broke, the Soviet Union published charges in its official newspapers that AIDS was a biological weapon developed by the United States military. Yeah, that's pretty fucked. And the charges have been generally dismissed as false propaganda and the Soviet Union later publicly retracted the statements after pressure from the United States. So we flex that up. Use those nukes, motherfuckers. They finally yeah. shut the fuck up. Keep talking that shit, you know. Bomb your ass off the fucking face of the earth. What you going to do? Nothing. Now, we get into the fun bit with the, you know, LIDA system. Yeah. Of, uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, for quite a while there, uh, 
how many years was it? Um, oh, you're talking about when they used uh, radar? Only parts of the northwestern United States were continually bombarded with uh, low frequency radar uh, waves yeah, from fucking Russia to try to like control our behavior or whatever. Mm-hmm. Adjust. And evidently, back in the day, uh, the system was called the LIDA. And it was a distance pulse treatment apparatus for dealing with psychological problems, hypertension, and neuroses, um, or neurosis, rather. And uh, apparently, for a while, the United States was trying to think about, like, implementing the system in public schools to yeah. Yeah. the yeah. behavior of children. Right. I just want to read that, read, read, read that quote oh. because it's kind of fucked up. So um, it says, when the AP article appeared, the LIDA machine was on loan to the Jerry L. Pettis, Memo- Pettis Memorial Veterans Hospital in the United States through medical exchange program. According to the chief of research at the hospital, the machine may eventually be used in American classrooms to control the behavior of disturbed and retarded children. It's right. fucked up. Yeah. It's pretty fucked up. Um, they were... Trying to, uh, I guess, sort of low-key pacify or uh, 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 fucking just chill, chill everybody out, basically. Um, but it's funny yeah. here because uh, Bramley turns around that apparently like the opposite happened. It's like ironically, but not surprisingly, again, what? America appeared to have become more militant during the treatments. Anti-Soviet sentiment increased and so did the military buildup. Certainly the increased yeah. military um, militancy of the United States cannot all be attributed to the Russian machines, but at best, the Soviet treatments were ineffective in making America calmer. <laughs> Uh, in actual fact, electronic tranquilizers appear to be a deep irritants, which will ultimately contribute to heightened aggression. <laughs> the Russians and anyone else still operating such devices would do well to shut them off and keep them off. Yeah, it's, it's, I thought it was pretty funny. And uh, he goes on just after that to say that the evidence has shown that major military and intelligence organizations have taken over doing to human populations precisely what UFOs or yeah. UAPs and some ascended masses reportedly did earlier. They have inherited. They have yeah. spread dangerous germs and have bombarded human population with behavior-altering electronic radiation. Yeah. And then from there, go back to we the UAPs. Into, <laughs> UAPs. Once again, we just take a hard left again and get into... <laughs> Government-sponsored research into the alien Which, like, how long does this last? Like a page? He talks about Project Blue Book. Um, We do have an episode where we went through a lot of the governmental... Yeah, uh, yeah, but importantly... Organizations and associations. You know, Paperclip, Grudge, Blue Book. All the things came with the premise that, you know, UFOs don't exist. So they're all about debunking them. Right, yeah, yeah, Um, which is the Committee for Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal... Yeah, after, yeah. Just brought up the PSYOP or PSYCOP or whatever the acronym is. Yeah, you got it. Um, That after these, you know, formal government inquiries, there was kind of like this, you know, kind of special interest group of scholars and researchers that came together that also had the premise of this stuff isn't real. We're going to debunk it. Yep, Um, that's their job. Which... Bramley turns around and it's like, yo, like, that's not the right approach. It should be kind of more of an open inquiry. Cover up. Um, 
rather than just going from the outside that this stuff isn't real. Um, right. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, basic premise upon which PSYOP uh, <clears throat> operates is that UFOs are not proven to be extraterrestrial crafts. Right. Debunks all over um, the phenomena, considers phony as or a pseudoscientific, such as clairvoyance, spiritualism, Bigfoot, the abominable snowman, the Loch Ness monster, and all spiritual phenomena. And then speaking of spiritual phenomena, then we take another hard left <laughs> and oh, get God. into a discussion of humanism and secular humanism. And yeah, that one. In relation to, you know, convincing the or further promoting the materialist uh, value of the universe. Right. And <laughs> now we can get into some specifics about it. It's fucking <laughs> weird. Like, I... I haven't read about humanism in just forever. And I mean, I sort of remember some of these things he, he describes here about uh, about talking about uh, uh, the values of society like uh, that are inherent into uh, the non-religious perspective. So like humanist, va uh, humanist values, so like what... Uh, yeah, so according to the Humanist Manifesto 2, which Bramley quotes, uh, rather, science affirms that the human species is an emergence from natural evolutionary forces. As mm -hmm. far as we know... The total personality is a functional is a function of the biological organism transacting in a social and cultural context. Um, so once again, you know, getting back to the, you know, stimulus response behavioral model of like modern scientific psychiatry and other behavioral sciences. Um, Yes. <laughs> Thanks for taking that up right away, boys. Uh, <laughs> nope. No, I'm You're sorry. all, you got it. Um, as far as we know, the total personality is a function of the biological organism transacting in a social and cultural context. You yes. know, by this point, ah, but, the, but by this again, point in the uh, chapter, guess, uh, importantly to, to carry it forward, um, organizations like PSYCOP and so on and so forth, um, and secular humanists, by extension, um, they represent a materialist extreme, and they often do battle with modern Christian fundamentalists who represent the religious extreme. So once again, you know, secular humanists are were a brotherhood scheme to fight fucking religious nut fucks, which is just strange. To keep people distracted, internet yeah. odds and shit, man. It's just another conquer and uh, divide and conquer. It's, kind yeah, of it's a uh, it's another pret pretend conflict. Yeah. And uh, he does mention that uh, even though they tried, uh, that was kind of one of their motives was to fight the religious nut jobs. Uh, right. Religion continued to be a powerful force in human society. Yeah. So, so once again, the extreme right slight and detour extreme off the point, but we're yeah. going into those religious dudes. Yeah. Yeah. And it says uh, most theologies do have something of value to enrich a person's life. So he's not entirely discounting uh, religion in general. Like, but he's, I think he has like a bit of a caution in his tone. Um, mm -hmm. So um, as we go so further down, so it's not down, to fall for the propaganda. As we go further down, he goes into cults, right? As opposed um, to sects, which yes yeah, so, distinction so the the word cold is tossed around quite a bit uh today to label new religions even though a great many of the religions are Offshoots. not cults 
in the true sense of the word. Properly used, cult refers to a subgroup of larger of a larger religion, right. such as a Christian cult or a Muslim cult. So they're in, they're in independent uh, belief systems. So as yeah, so like to uh, a sect, which is like a Baptist, branch. Catholics, Presbyterians, mm-hmm. they're all cults <sighs> <Yeah>. of Christianity. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. But like broadly, like Zoroastrianism and Jainism, those are sects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, um, continuing on with the cult uh, discussion, it says the type of social climate is easily generated today because most educated people fancy themselves knowledgeable about human psychology. By appealing to that vanity, it is easy to breed animosity against new religions in otherwise tolerant people by couching religious intolerance in psychological terms. Mm-hmm. Ironically, most of the anti-cult activism today comes from the so-called Christian right wing and its effort to stamp out the works of Satan, which includes all religions not adhering to the fundamentalist Christian beliefs. And it says Christian bookstores are the primary outlets for anti-cult books in the United <laughs> States today. <laughs> and Christian music, contemporary Christian music. Yeah. Um, but then he goes on to start talking about the New Age movement. Yep. So we're another going into slight, another topic. <laughs> slight detour before uh, the next hard left. Yeah, this is kind of like a fork in the road. We're going to go take a minor left here. Uh, it says, there Ugh. is one recent religious movement and mentioning it is the listening to New shit. Age movement. The New Age movement is called that because it seeks the dawn of a new age on earth in which the spiritual freedom, physical health, and world peace will prevail. Of course it will. But once again, these assholes fall in the same pitfalls of trying to like drop in heavy doses of mysticism, which is steeped in brotherhood nut juice. It's um, uh, it's it's just it's just another damn Ponzi scheme money grab to me. I mean, like well, just, just right here when he talks about it, uh, some before before you get into it, Roland, I, I just want to say uh, bring up this quote here, and that he I, I think he secretly likes some of the little like flute. Uh, yeah, I think so. That's, that's exactly what I was He gonna... says uh, New Age movement is quite... I'm uh, oh, sorry. Some yeah. of the oh, yeah. unique really music. Yeah, go ahead. That the was what U- I was New read. Age emphasis on eating natural... I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> We're like jumping ahead. It's so fine. This, you got it. Do it again. Some of the unique music associated with the New Age movement is quite nice. Yes. And that the New yeah. Age emphasis on eating natural, healthy, healthy foods. foods is a very positive element of the movement. Yes. So positive. <laughs> uh, it does contain some maverick uh, ideas. Ideas about the spiritual yeah. being... But like Hinduism, most New Age systems destroy the full benefits of those maverick ideas by mixing in large doses of mysticism, custodial doctrine, uh, e.g. some holistic doctrines that preach the desirability of a union of mind, body, and spirit instead of a separateness, uh, and self-help methods that include hypnosis and subliminal programming, neither of which should be recommended. It's <laughs> fucking nuts. Um, yeah, it's... I mean, like uh, to just sum up the next little bit on the new age stuff, like, you know, I invoked him earlier, the idea of the space brothers where uh, the new age movement does, you know, accept the idea that extraterrestrials are out there, but they're just, you know, they're our friends, man. They're our Matayas in a certain way. (laughs) uh, Our spiritual guides. Instead of angels, Uh, they are space bros. Space bros. Space bros. That's right. And uh, then we hard turn to go back to the world of now, back then, where 
He begins, now back he invokes uh, <laughs> right, right other there. Marxist groups that have been fucking around uh, mm-hmm. um, with uh, the Philippines and Peru. And uh, oh yeah, so that's where I was getting I was getting back asswards or whatever with uh, the, the Sendero Luminosos and uh, yep, the Shining Path or Illuminated Path. Yeah, dude, yeah. like uh, those guys are fucking. Nuts. Those guys were fucking a huge problem in the Andes. The late '80s, early '90s, uh, yeah, and they were actually—they're actually still in operation today, man. Like, uh, yeah, see, like news, I like watch news reports where it's like, yep, a shining path compound got like broken into because they've mostly gotten into a primary focus on like slave labor for coca production, yeah, um, and. Uh, so yeah, even today, you know, the two, you know, early two thousands and shit, you know, you've still got fucking, you know, this these Marxist revolutionary crazy groups, you know, running rampant in parts of you know South America. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, you're talking about Peru. He also mentions Colombia. Um, yeah, more of the same. And the uh, Philippines or whatever. Um, yep. 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 Let's see. So, uh, I think the last part of this chapter, he goes into the new AIDS-like immune-destroying viral diseases, yeah. are being predicted by the World Bank and a group oh, of doctors. I've got from something the United here. States. So importantly, he quotes a doctor and says, uh, "This is the problem that we're. This is the problem oh. we're beginning to recognize as emerging viral diseases." And there may well be other animal viruses waiting in the wings to move into humans and ultimately to cause new diseases. COVID, COVID, bat soup, bat soup, bat soup. Like, um, Roland and I have experienced it, you know? Yay. We're COVID bros, Ray. Yeah, we're COVID bros, Roland. <sighs> you gave it to me, you fucking dick. You're welcome. So but hey, I never felt closer to you, Roland. Right? Yeah. All right. I take it back. I wish I'd never. You just ruined it, Ray. No, no we're, we're closer than ever now. Yuck. <laughs> um. So yeah, like foreshadowing much, you know, right? Like uh, I was fucking talking Foreshadowing about. enough. It says the last paragraph here, it says, by the time you read this, many new events will have occurred. Yeah. Leaders, <gasps> political personalities, and institutions will have come, will come and go from the world scene. Warring factions will continue to arise and disappear. And I hope that the long-term historical patterns described in this book will provide an interesting and perhaps useful tool for investigating the cause of future conflicts as they occur. Better yet... We can hope that this book will one day become nothing more than a reminder of a bad dream from which we all managed to awaken ourselves. Nope. Yeah. We're still living in it. Yep. <laughs> Way to go, buddy. Chapter, chapter 39. 39. Escape from Uh So in this chapter, it says, um, basically, Bramley is going on to say that the truth is one can successfully take responsibility for oneself and one's fellow humans from exactly where one is without greatly disrupting one's life and livelihood. Now, I basically, that too, Ray. What was that? I didn't learn that too. <laughs> well, there you go, on the same page. Um, I, uh, this chapter is like so short, but like, um, Bramley asserts that the custodial, custodial existence uh, promotes. Uh, oh. 
Well, I'm saying that the, there's a point in here where Bramley kind of, uh, he's been asserting the fact that uh, there's a custodial race in control of right. the... Pulling the strings every, behind everybody. But he also like uh, gives a bit of doubt Society. for that. And um, I, there's a sentence here that I got that from. So, okay, so it says, if Earth is indeed owned by an impressive extraterrestrial society, he's already saying if, right? Too. Yeah, there you go. It says, then there must be somewhere, there, there must somewhere exist communication lines between human beings and the custodial society. And he has to make mention that uh, it's better to be face to face with these custodians as opposed to communicating with them telepathically. Um, yeah, and so he said uh, part of the solution would be to find those communication channels and use them to begin negotiating an end to the pain and suffering on Earth. This proposal may sound utterly uh, wild as it would mean trying to start a process of diplomacy with an extra, extraterrestrial society, which most governments don't even admit is in existence. Uh, blah, 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 blah. But but he also like kind of like problems that he's like, dude, it's like, you know, People in a fucking internment camp trying to like negotiate with their captors for like a release. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Um, but, but Bramley's still like optimistic about it because he's like, but still, like, we have to like try. Yeah. Like, and because like through like the security of friendship is a <laughs> phrase he uses later. Uh, yeah. Um, which I thought that was pretty funny. Um, the fact that, uh, the way we as a society and the custodians can kind of, uh, well, I mean, he kind of brings that up uh, whenever we talked about the, the Christmas Eve of peace between the right. British soldiers and like the Germans, how they kind of just hung out together, uh, shared some gifts, some cigars, and I mean, and just hung out, good times. But to be fair... With the custodians, it's like, well, what could y'all give us? Because we we already made everything. Yeah. Like, you bitches are, like, under our control. We just need like. you to serve. <laughs> Maybe we can give them cool music. <laughs> we don't like music. We like podcasts. <laughs> well, actually, we got the one just for you, custodians. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, Bramley, he also continues the idea of, like, kind of like, you know, there's great examples of human non-aggression because like of the relationship between the US and US and Canada um you don't have France worried about the Dutch peril and so on and so forth like there's a lot of nations that are in you know really you know so he's he's, tr he's trying to terms he's trying to sort of highlight the the belief that the natural state of of the human being is not one of uh, aggression of aggression yeah. with itself. It's 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 the opposite. It's like a, they just want to chill. And uh, well, um, during the next paragraph here, he says there are many people today throughout the world who are striving to create security through friendship, and those people <laughs> <laughs> those people have not been able to overcome several major hurdles. World leaders have their ears bent by intelligence agencies which promote a chronic climate of fear and danger through secret briefings, alarming reports, and grim scenarios. And he says, as long as the artificial physical, philosophical. philosophical differences exist between mm -hmm. national leaders, those leaders will not be able to think and communicate rationally with one another. So, guys, right. it's a simple pack of friendship. 
if uh, national leaders are convinced that a great utopia will arise if they maintain their side of the struggle, there will never be peace. Peace will only arrive if our leaders are willing to help drop their great apocalyptic struggles and join the rest of humanity in a simple pact of friendship. So he do is you guys actually think that uh, Bramley might be a shill for the NWO? He's <laughs> fucking nuts. Um, is, is it because he's like... Um, you think because that like, friendship, friendship is showing like weakness, you know? Custodial control is. Well, but then like he's, he's, like he's oversimplifying everything. Like, hey, Maybe we can be homies with them. And then earlier he talks about... Uh, we can't be homies with them if we can't be homies with each other first, though, homie. <laughs> Come on, homie. You feel me, homie? Like the Space Brothers stuff that he brings up, mm -hmm. which is like, that's kind of nice. Uh, uh, Bramley, like, pretty much uh, compares or, or basically describes uh, custodial beans as... Having the same emotional kinda makeup, like us. yeah, they're they're kind of like us. They have the same kind of emotional makeup, and uh, they too really just want to be friends, also. But fuck that. <laughs> well, I mean, you're gonna work. It, it's basically becoming friends with your enemy, if that's the case, or you're, you're again friends with your. Because uh, well, he was like, you know, because actually, uh, one thing I do remember he brought up in earlier chapters was how, like, you know, even like, you know some of the most terrible despots in history mm -hmm. had like their nice qualities. Hitler, like was, nice Hitler was nice to children. Ah, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Which Bradley Sick brought kids. up, you know, whatever. But, so he's kind of like making that kind of same argument Little for shit. our custodial dickheads. Just like, you know, like they may be all this awful stuff, but like since they have the kind of same biological makeup and emotional makeup, we're like, pretty much the same. There's some good in them. Yeah, they have a core of goodness. We can save them. Right. It's like Luke trying to save Vader, Fuck man. You. It's bullshit. Nah, you can save yourself after I whip your ass. Also, also, yeah. It's very, um, uh, it's very aggressive, Roman. Hey, that's how Luke, uh, that's how uh, Vader deserved to be... Uh, uh, handled. So basically, what is um, Bramley getting at at the end of this chapter? He wants us as people <sighs> to come up with your yeah, own dream. He, dream, up, like dream up your solutions. Be like the bigger man, you yeah. know. Go, go, go! Shake their hand. Go, go. Say what you have man. to say. Discover what you want to discover, and pursue those humanitarian goals within you. It could help us all. What? Right. I mean, I, I feel like it could work. That's fucking dumb. I know you don't like friendship and stuff, you know? Not like that. What is this? He like, was telling us in this book that why you need love. this podcast is the right thing, man. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. So that. Bramley's giving us the, he's condoning this he's, stuff. He's, <laughs> yeah, we got the green light, baby. Yeah, Thank there you, Bramley. It is. Thanks, Bramley. Like, we're, we're promoting his book, basically, is what we're doing. And, uh, we gave, we each bought a copy of this book. This was not given us to us for free. No. So You're we welcome, and Bradley. we have gone through thoroughly to kind of attempt to explain this book. I, I keep entirety. looking at like y'all's copy versus mine. Mine's a fucking landmine. Like here yeah. it is sitting loosely on my hand. Like look how fucked up this is, man. It's got stains on it that I'm not sure I want to know where it's they just come from. All yellow and black. 
I don't even know. Uh, like, Rollins is pretty mine, nice. Mine's, is mine's pretty nice and neat because, you know, I do this yeah, thing Rollins where, like. so crisp. Like, Ray has some of the darkness. Where, like, like I, I got, take care like, of my things. It's here and, you know? like, got some little there. <laughs> but. Spine. I'm fine. These, Dude. These things are. Look at this. They one. hurt. They hurt my soul. <laughs> Looking at these books, you're, you're like fuck, man. But like, this is like uh, you're not us, masturbating, goddamn. You're us, supposed to take uh, care of these things. Us trying? No, no, no. Like for this book, you have to open it wide. Oh yeah. To fucking get Just to the information, it. you have to spread it open. Mm-hmm. Spread it fucking dig, dig right. deep. Dig deep. And so like, mm-hmm. spill some shit on this there. recording and final like read today. I have now like. Completely read this book four times. Ray, how but long has the I journey? Like, well, so, so wait, you said you read it four times. Well, as far as like you know, front to back, but like that's not counting all of the times I've like reread the sections that we're going to cover for the podcast. Yeah. I will, I will talk about it at the very end. Oh, all right, right. All right, at the very end, we'll talk about that. All right. Oh, about oh, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. The, the time and coming later, for a fun closer. Yeah. Sorry. So, um, getting ahead. I didn't know he had that plan, Ray. My bad. no, he didn't. We want to go to the next chapter, and I'll read this chapter here. Chapter Chapter 40, 40. the nature nature of the Supreme supreme Being. This is a fucking trippy-ass chapter. (laughs) Is it? Yeah, this chapter, Uh, it it really is. Yeah, because if you, like, try to, like, just visualize kind of, like, a physical manifestation he, of what Bramley's talking about with like the supreme being creating infinite, you know, realities from which to look through, like yeah, different, yeah. you know, unique experiences. As a being of to, infinite potential, it uh, it because, gives rise um, to infinite experience. So yeah, um, let's get into this chapter a little bit, Ray. Like, take us away, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty. I guess. Um, okay. Um, I have to mention this part in the chapter, which is the very beginning, uh, where Bramley is talking oh, about whether word. or not you as the reader need to or not do not need to go through this chapter. So, <laughs> And I've never in my life come upon an author who has r- literally written down the fact that, like, you can disregard this you part can skip of the, this. The, even though I told you to read every chapter in order. Yeah, I told you to read this every chapter one, in order, but you can this disregard one. this chapter. This one's not for you. So before bidding you adieu, right. there is <laughs> one last subject for me to touch on. It is a topic which has been lurking in the background of this entire book, but one which I have successfully avoided thus far. Bullshit. Is <laughs> it is the subject of a supreme being. Does a supreme being of some kind exist? If it does, what is its relationship to life on earth and to the things we have discussed in this book? I will try to tackle these questions, but be forewarned that this chapter is the most speculative and philosophical in the book. I'm going to blow a lot of smoke up your ass. Get ready. My discussion will be simplified, will be a simplified one. It will also, it will, it is not intended to be definitive. I advise the reader to consult other sources for more information. Yeah. If this is not to your liking, then please feel free to proceed to the next chapter, the final chapter. Okay, so um, I would like to take note of something that would probably be skipped over otherwise, but his discussion of the scientific method. What about it? Mm-hmm. And and I, I found it 
really interesting. I read this section like three times a day and just kind of like resonated on it um, where he said that it's unfortunate how uh, the scientific method has been. It's become synonymous with materialism. With like the material universe. Yeah, okay. Because he actually kind of like unlocks and it's something I like, you know, mm. even after reading this book a few times, like until today, it just didn't really hit me where he was like, yo, like we can still use the scientific method to explore the unexplained because all it is is a set of tools to investigate things that we don't know about. And I was like, well, fuck, you know, you can still, you know, run through the process if you really want to study ghosts if you really wanted to, you know, like. Yeah, that's what he's saying is applied to the realm of the spirit. Right, but and but as far as like the realm of the spirit, it's not like this, the realm of the ghosts. It's the realm of like our being spiritual beings and investigating the possibilities thereof. Um, right, yeah, he goes to mention the major religions already have their word of God writings, and so they rarely undertake scientific studies into this area either. Yeah, and then he uh, does an <clears throat> ancient aliens moment where he basically calls out the mainstream scholars where he says, the great universities and foundations are too busy with their man is brain studies to do more than superficial yeah. studies into the mounting evidence of spiritual existence. Yeah. Um, so I felt just like a, well, modern scholars think that this is impossible but the existence we're of the supreme super being. snotty about it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um. Um, no, yeah, it is difficult to blame them considering uh, the level to which spiritual knowledge like, has deteriorated. Trust me moment because he, he like goes down a little further. Sorry to cut you off, Roland, but just no, uh, fine. Go ahead. He says, however, the overwhelming evidence of individual spiritual existence yeah, and the many that, characteristics so. which all spiritual beings seem to share a common world suggests that a supreme being would of some kind probably exist as some common source of all spiritual existence. But then he doesn't quote any of this no. mounting scientific evidence that supports the idea of a spiritual existence. Oh, he just goes in to talk about it in a way He's like, oh, perspective. more about like what God could be like. Like if people actually see it, they're gonna they're <laughs> not gonna believe it. You know, they're gonna they're just gonna make something up. Uh, a, a, it's a, it's a giant man with a flowing beard who rants, raves, and kills people. Uh, other th others others will think it's a bright light that exudes love and warmth. Um, um, but so, then after like all of that, he gets like pretty like he he's, he's like oh maybe the Samkaya I think is the pronunciation definition of like God where on like page one hundred four one hundred five which I did go back and read but then I was like I see those words Bramley but I'm not really sure how you're trying to tie them in necessarily right now mm -hmm. and Ray's reviewing them now so we'll see how he thinks about it because it's kind of like a did you really say this bud moment. Yeah, so I mean, um, he says that samka means reason. Um, doctrines usually uh, attribute to a man as Kapla. I really don't know. I mean, yeah, like, I, yeah. like I'm not sure, like how. I'm not sure how he's making. Yeah, because I think it was one of those moments where he was like, "You're at the end of this fucking book." You're ready for it. Just says, as much as I am. It, it just and, sort of uh, you can refer to these pages, but I bet you're not gonna do it because you're <laughs> fucking tired of this fucking book as much as I am. Um, He's, I mean, like 
it's not i don't think it, i don't understand maybe I, if i'm incorrect but it doesn't necessarily seem like he's uh describing um uh, uh like a, a, a spiritual being like in broad terms like the one that you just specifically mentioned here he's he's essentially he's just, he's talking about uh reincarnation uh um well yes and past no, life memories because and, it is a buddhist uh, concept and reincarnation is in play but when he's making his argument there he's like and he doesn't only refer to those two pages that Ray just reviewed once, but twice in this chapter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and he's oh, like, Oh, so look at this again to like further, uh, like clarify so my point, like double dipping. And it's yeah. super unclear. Cause even in the second time that he invokes it, you go, wait, what do you know um, where are you asking like where he again? mentions it again? Yes. Uh, I have it underlined here. Give me just one second. Because right now, uh, pages one. Uh, it's on page four thirty-nine. Okay. Um, he he goes. Uh, right. Although the universe appears to operate on a very simple, very simple building blocks, please refer to the discussion on pages one hundred four and one hundred five in this book. Once those blocks are put into place and other arbitraries are introduced, a universe can become extremely complex and solid-looking, like the universe we share now. Now and again, so for fun, Roland. Would you please go look at those two pages yourself and uh, say, okay, that maybe makes sense or agree with Ray and I? And I'm not trying to pressure you, but just like really like I I tried and it it doesn't track for me, man. So it's confusing because like you mentioned in the end there, exactly. it's, <laughs> he talks about reincarnation, but like in this, on these pages, like he's... Uh, Sort of talking about uh, uh, the supreme being as a as a composite of like uh, of of experiences or, or lives or whatever. Oh, actually, he does kind of get into that in the next pages because he discusses how like the supreme being created all of us, and he's like, "Well, why would he make self units of self awareness?" And it's because um, he wanted to expand his, like, experiences infinitely or whatever. Right. And so by making other software units, he's got, you know, basically different little screens to hop to to experience different little, like, snapshots of experience. Um, and so, like, with that idea, Bramley kind of discounts the ideas of various religious sects that say – Oh, the whole idea is to become part of the like universal consciousness, right? Or to become the closer, fuck. closer to God, or merge with. And then in this chapter, uh, Bramley also brings up the idea of like, well, yeah, it's most like religions bring up the idea of the opponent, mm. and Bramley's like, well, yeah, but that's just another like lens of experience, and the opponent was actually inherently no more evil nor good than the any other. Then you know, it's opposite or whatever. In the universe. Yeah. It's just a different perspective. It's a um, balancing uh, um, um, force. And so I, I, so with this chapter, uh, I, I kind of struggle with it because it's just kind I of. I don't like know. This yeah, this like, is this is a little confusing. Like, but I, I got also he's got trying like, tripped up he's, because he's talking about two ideas, <laughs> two, two different, two different belief, uh, believe, believes. 
oh man, beliefs. Well, I mean, he's not he's not um, saying that the spiritual being is any one thing. I mean, it's kind of just like dumping yeah, all this right. information. It's just, a, it's just mean, a like a variation of a lens of the supreme being that's trying to extend its consciousness and range of experiences, mm-hmm. essentially. Sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. And our reading uh, 438, the very top, um, it says it appears that individual spiritual beings are actually the units of awareness of a primary or supreme being, yet each unit is possessed of its own self-awareness, personality, free free will, and independent thought, and infinite creativity. So it's... Like they're a part, you're you're a part of God, yet you are unique yourself and godly uh, in that in that well description. I guess actually, uh, kind of interestingly enough, like although like the supreme being may have the advantage of like viewing these various other like, viewpoints, I think in a way that like apart from that, you know. We us the fucking you know beer can that's sitting on my can on my table, uh, the frog on the doorstep. Each you know viewpoint of awareness is coeval, and I think that kind of like could be some support for Bramley's idea that. You know, humanity could, you know, come to terms with the custodial race and come to some point of coexistence because we are all just, you know, different perspectives. If you take out the in, and viewpoints, if you take the out universe. the whole idea that like we're uh, being uh, sub- subjected and, and subversed by. Uh, by the custodial races. No, right, right, right. But the thing is, like, but the thing is, like, all of all, all things in the universe, according to Bramley, are potentially just different viewpoints <sighs> of the same source. So there's common ground between all things in existence. Yep. So it is possible, therefore, to come to terms with the custodians. You know? Sure. I mean, well, I mean, is it, is it the custodians or like the supreme custodian? You mean the the primary being or whatever? The primary being, yeah. Because I mean, he's saying like uh, I, uh, I don't well, know if you brought up is, the um, the comparison if, to like if uh, the description to the primary being is as he describes us, uh, like, you, you, like uh, bringing uh, up the in comparison? of ourselves being like divine, <laughs> divinely att- uh, attributed or whatever to existence, then yes. Well, no, like the fact that he, there's a comparison that he makes is that like but. there's a person who has a bunch of like video cameras and shit like that, or like uh, yeah. screens, yeah, right? And yeah. like each screen is like a different uh, self awareness. He's not person. the supreme being or God. He's just the supreme voyeur. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I like to but watch. but I mean he doesn't say that like um, he's like the only person or like the only supreme thing like there's like supposed to be like yeah there's many. a there's a suggestion yeah like because he's defining a supreme being uh, uh, of itself and he does mention yeah like to attain <laughs> this particular status right requires certain things yeah uh, so yeah he's he's suggesting that. The poss- <laughs> the, there's a possibility of multiple supreme beings can, and he does mention like he does bring exist. up a big. Uh, well, he focuses a lot on self awareness. Yeah, and um, yeah. one of the things that he does say here, which I found somewhat amusing, was that um, says after all, it is the quality of self awareness or the awareness of being aware that allows spiritual beings to be completely independent and to engage in the silliness 
which has caused them to suffer the sorry plight that they now appear to be enduring on Earth and probably elsewhere. So he's assuming that, like, I guess... Uh, other real, alien species are, like, going through the same shit. He's a real yeah, upbeat yeah. guy, and, that Bramley. And, I mean, yeah. it seems like we're just... He makes it seem like we're just children um, well, yeah. going along, and we don't have, like, the right. full we're capacity still... to really be completely self-aware. By to, his, yeah, well, by his so, descriptions, we still live within uh, a, a behaviorally modified uh, 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 ignorance uh, of our Well, of our, the thing is, like, this goes back, you know... Like it's, it's, uh, thousands of years, you know, the ignorance. fucking custodial society showed up and fucked around with the Sumerians. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were already in their little like rocket planes with their, you know, advanced, you know, planet hopping ability, jumping and from their goggles, you know, and jumping on back on a Nibiru was a rocket ship, you know, and yeah. Um, so these guys arguably have kind of like, like they're points of existence that have decided or viewpoints of existence from this, you know, supreme being or primary being that have just simply existed before humanity and decided to exert their free will upon us. So we have no free will. Right. We have, uh, because, like, although, like, all points of existence, like, technically exist in all points of time or whatever, but still, um, some motherfuckers came before us, and people are coming uh, for us, and maybe humanity will go and be some grand pimp daddies of some, like, dumbass race that... Uh, <laughs> no, we're going to be whored out to everybody. Don't worry. We learn to, we learn to love everything. Yes. Well, you know, so like, I mean, this chapter alone, like, um, there's a lot of just jumping back and forth on like uh, perspective. Yeah, which and, and they all they all pretty much mean the same thing. And, I mean, and it's kind of funny at the end of this chapter when uh, Bramley brings up the idea of the the adversary, and yeah. it's like, oh, maybe this is a big game, you know, see who moves the better pieces or whatever. But all needs to happen is for the supreme being to go like, yo, I'm done. We'll snap, snap. Crits. Yeah. And then everything will be fine. But for some reason, this. So then, like, Bramley makes all this effort to make, to like, just say about this, like, the supreme being is just about, like, experiencing different viewpoints. But then he closes that by saying, like, well, he's actually playing a game with the adversary he created. And but he doesn't have to follow the rules. We're done. Yeah. But he continues to allow the game to play. So then humanity's suffering continues, mm-hmm. like by extension. So like, is actually the supreme being actually not a neutral party, just trying to experience other like? Well, then he say like, if if he ends the game, doesn't that like uh, diminish his existence? I mean, because without the game, like he doesn't really, he can't really continue on. And I'm I'm. Kind of going on the four four three uh four forty three says the game in which the supreme being owns survival is tested by the diminished of its awareness units and perhaps the by the ultimate diminishment of the supreme being itself. For such a game to exist, the supreme being would have to either negotiate with one or more of its own awareness units to be mm. the supreme being's opponents, or or to beat the supreme being's opponents. Or the supreme being would have to create in one or more of its awareness units an apprehension that the supreme being 
posed a threat to the continued existence of all other supreme beings, spiritual beings. I don't know. It's confusing as fuck. It's, it's confusing, <laughs> but like I think the way this is thrown is that like the supreme being is competing against itself. Like it, it's it's the idea of like good versus evil, but really it's all the same in the end. Oh, here we go. And so Bramley goes again to the uh, apocalyptic uh, kind of message of like the thousand years of peace because he goes, um, if such a game has indeed existed, then we can certainly hope that it may end soon by a supreme being conveying thanks to the opponents for a game well played, promising the indefinite survival of its awareness units. So we live forever. Yeah. Because the adversary is that the game be stopped. So the game stops. We go to fucking utopia because everything lives forever. This is just the same apocalyptic message that Brantley has fucking argued against this entire fucking book. And within less than 10 pages of him finishing his fucking life's work, which he said took years and years for him to fucking finish. It took a toll on him. So he expounds the same kind of idea. Of malaria, of like, um, trying to think like millenarian kind of uh, apocalyptic messaging. Millenarian, but is it really apocalyptic? Yeah, though? I mean, I mean, because it is because it'd be an end of the game, so the end of all like right, struggle, yeah. strife, and stuff, and we Hogwarts are just to the next world. infinite points of awareness still. Well, yeah, but I mean, wouldn't the uh, apocalypse uh, imply that there's supposed to be like a battle? But if the Supreme Being just stops the game. Well, the battle is is like, you know, ultimately, arguably at the hands of this maniacal Machiavellian motherfucker who allowed these Machiavellian motherfucker and uh, custodial motherfuckers. There's there's no good or evil. There is just humans who became Machiavellian in their own right. But if, if he just aborts the game, so to speak, uh, would, wouldn't that mean like there's no uh, like apocalyptic kind of end to it? Like it's just kind of like it's not like the, the game itself isn't the apocalypse, but like uh, there has to be some kind of final destruction. Um, but there is no destruction. I think that's, there's yeah, just him so saying like, you know what? I'm gonna either, stop. I'm gonna stop this, and there's gonna be no final battle. I think it's either two, it's either on. two things. Yeah, it either just the, it continues as they want it to be, or they stop this, and it's time for the apocalypse. Yeah, but I mean, like, if he just stops the game, there is no apocalypse. You know what? All I got to say is, Uh, God, be consistent. (laughs) Be fucking, you know, precise with your terms. Because, like, if you're there, we'll play a ball, you know, dude. Like, fuck Satan or whatever, you know. I don't know. (laughs) But I'm really still banking on Nin Herzog being... This shit is hard to fucking make sense of, all right? Yeah. But, yeah, it's just a... But Bramley does admit, and like as Ray mentioned at the beginning of this chapter, Bramley was like, yo, I'm going off the rails here a bit. I'm going to speculate like a fuckload. So like if you want, this is the end of the book. <laughs> yep. Because um, he doesn't even say like skip this chapter, go to the last one. No. He's just like, 
before I bid you adieu, like just know I'm going into some wild shit. Well, I mean, and, technically, Daniel, he does he does say that uh, you, can you can skip, skip the chapter the and go to the next, chapter, the last go to chapter. The last. Oh, he said go to the last. Yeah, oh, go to the last. Oh, chapter, I thought he was yeah. just like we're done with this book at no, this no, point. No, no, no. Well, says, I mean, okay, say, saying chapter. how seeing as how we've read the last chapter, I could probably say yeah that you don't you probably wouldn't need to read the last chapter either. I, I don't think it's necessary uh, unless you plan on going through uh, more research he's, yourself. He's just, uh, well, actually, he's just sort of reiterating uh, one, his um, one good thing that, series. and I've been I've been pretty, admittedly pretty harsh on Bramley this entire series. Um, I mean, it's I, I think it's deserved because right here in the end he says, "Look, guys, I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, I just made like an outline that you can use. So fuck off." Well, like what I do appreciate sort of, though is that you know he does admit to his uh, his shortcomings and where he's going to draw the line for like his research into the subject. Admit to his and failings and being also, insane. Like, points out stuff that just came up because there's what eight or nine bullet points that, about that like, anything that he talks about is actually research all of it. in relation to the phenomenon of the custodial like influence on humanity. Ass. There's eight. Oh, there's eight. There's eight. There's eight. Okay. Well, Most of them are fucking the exact just, number, but I knew because really like I thought because it, it was way less than that um, when I, when I was going was back seven. through this uh, the other day. So, and then I was like, whoa. Um, yeah, he's got a lot, few, but they're. But here, like Bramley, kind of like does like bear it out, like and and this is one thing I actually also respect him for. He's just like, yo, like as far as this goes. I'm done. He's like, yes. I admit that there's something I've done on. better. Um, are, are we? We're going to the next chapter. Yeah, I thought we were already. Okay, hold on. Did you have anything else to say? No, about I just the, want you to the, the uh, God chapter, chapter forty-one, chapter 41 to, the to the researcher. researcher. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's apropos. <laughs> My bad. Okay, uh, continue, Daniel. Um, Bramley, like just. Totally bears like lays out like what like what he felt he did poorly on. Um, yeah, he does admit to his shortcomings. Yeah, yeah. And, for sure. uh, and but again, like he's he's like, like, he's, he's like this is a this is a template that you guys can use to like try to further your own. Yeah, your and own he, he he says ends. you know there's stuff that like I could have like expanded a bunch. Like there's stuff where yeah. I could turn this into a whole volume. But I don't want. I'm not going to do that, dude. <laughs> like. But I hope to pass the torch on to future researchers, which I thought was cool. And then he does allow for a jumping off point for many avenues of research. And what's interesting is that, like, some of these have been, like, well investigated since then, like Jonestown. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Let's, uh, let's just go down the list of, like... Uh, Points yeah, that he like, that like, came up cool, that he didn't like, discuss in this uh, chapter. In this, uh, in this book. Do, do, do. So uh, we'll go. Well, number one, he talks about the labor unions. Yeah. So says labor unions have done a great deal to improve working conditions for many working people, but there is no question that some union tactics have generated continuous conflict. Right. And unionization has also had the effect of creating a mild form of feudalism by magnifying the superficial distinction between managers and non-managers and bringing the two groups into conflict. So uh, it says here, interestingly, one of the key forces behind the early American labor union, and this again, the 
why he's even mentioning this at all as an idea is right here. Um, behind the early American uh, labor union movement was an organization known as the Knights of Labor. The Knights were a mm-hmm. secret society with secret paths, excuse me, secret oaths, just like other brotherhood organizations. Although the Knights later dropped their mystical practices and eventually declined in strength, they played a role in creating the American Federation of Labor, which has since grown to become a major union in America. Um, yeah, and has now combined with the CIO, and they're still a major powerhouse yeah, in, like, as a labor union. Like, I mean, shit, I, like, you want to talk about like special uh, interest groups that have power in America? Holy I, shit. I think that's as far as he could really go with that that particular idea. And it's really, it's really explained throughout the rest of this book. It's like there are secret societies, they still exist today, and some of them are cool. Like, because... Yeah, there are quite a few labor unions that actually do what they are supposed to entail. And then there's there's the opposite side. There's there's the ones that are corrupted as fuck and mm-hmm. uh you know, uh uh like worked worked union. Yeah. <laughs> well, if if um, if if even that, but I was I was most thinking of cop unions and shit, but no, yeah. I'm just fucking with you, man. No, no, no. Uh, I want to go on to the next one. It's fucking yeah. actually really fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so it says uh one argument against the idea that there has been a Machiavellian uh, source behind human warfare is that the fact that the that primitive tribal societies untouched by the Western world have also engaged in repeated warfare. This would seem to disprove the brotherhood connection and suggest that perhaps how, warfare really is just a part of human nature. How how would you like how would you confirm that? I mean, doesn't it sound yeah, odd actually, that that's already he been says, kind of debunked a bit with yeah. uh, because you had uh, David and I talking to that one uh, dude from South Africa. Fuck, what was his name? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Credo Mutambwe or whatever, or Mutambwe Credo. But he's a guy who's like a shaman for one of the uh, groups down there. But he apparently has like a bunch of like old knowledge about like the reptilian influence in hmm. Africa. Um, and, uh, so it's interesting how Bramley brings up, uh, African secret societies. Yes. Um, he's trying to draw, like, draw parallels, uh, between them and, uh, again, brotherhood influences, which I suppose, like, he's, he's trying to say that, like, even on the smallest scale, uh, representation of, of, of society, you have... You have the brotherhood motifs uh, uh, prevalent, like mm-hmm. within their uh, uh, within their tribes, like within their people, that sort of thing. Um, but it's interesting though, because if you think about it, like uh, you know, say you know these you know quote unquote you know primitive tribes who have their secret societies, if they weren't impacted by brotherhood networks. Why are there some traditions that like line up with the idea of like star people or whatever? Um, the legends of extraterrestrials. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just, I mean, I'm just, you know, kind of spitballing here. I like, think we're, like, like towards the tail end of the he's book, also, and these are, he's like, also associating, and we've come a little ways in the the weird research so since Bramley published this. I, so. I can understand like why he was trying to make the comparisons. Uh, at the organizational level, uh, at the, like, I guess, standard ritual ceremonial level. But, like, then he talks about 
I guess maybe like uh, the role of like promoting warfare and conflict in, right. in, by these secret well, societies uh, in yes, a like, fashion. You know, within like, a society independent of any like particular like outward uh, influence or whatever that might, that might, that might yeah, uh, coerce like like them. Old world centric, you know, kind of phenomenon but, that Bramley's talking about that extends into the new world where, and parts of, uh, you know, Asia and Africa and so forth. But um, what he can't go into is uh, how, well, like what he mentioned specifically, like what, where he tries to tie in these secret societies to extraterrestrials. You to know mystical, what he didn't do as he, well? Uh, he could have like put a whole bunch of bullet points about like stuff happening in the new world. He tries um, to, oh, okay, like, okay, um, in reference to what, as far as oh, that, like you know, say like you know Mayan and Inca practices, which he kind of like loosely kind of alludes to. He spends a sure. little time talking about Mayalandia, yeah, and other parts of uh, North America, right? But, um. Those could have been like total bullet points. He was like, you know, there's like even just like a little scant, like there's a whole bunch of research maybe, that's pending on North American and maybe South American context. If he was da, talking da, da, da. about like in very broad terms, because that's what it seems to suggest here when he's when he's talking about secret societies like in South Africa. Right. Uh, he seems he to be like kind, of given, like kind of a nod to the new world in the same respect because right. at that time still a lot was but unknown. He seems to be sort of like blanketing uh the secret society, the influences of like the custodials and the brotherhood um right he seems to be sort of like associating and i'm probably wrong here but like any type of mystical belief is uh, associated with a, a particular culture is suspect of itself like oh okay these guys have a particular ritual okay well what is the what is the aim of the ritual like what is the right. overall like uh objective is is it uh, is it related to uh the uh, subjugation of 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 you know like that particular tribe, or you know like how like he he makes the jump to like the brotherhood association the brotherhood like influences a, a little too uh, I was gonna say broadly but like like he I don't know it just seems like it's a little it's a little too easily explained away. We should move on to point four. Wasn't that point two? That was point two. Um, Fuck and point. Oh, Any sorry, point yeah. Point, point three, though, is really cool, and it's super short, unlike <laughs> Roland's last uh, diatribe. Oh, yes. Um, it's just like, oh, so why, what happened to the custodial society to make them so mean? <laughs> um, like, what happened to them to have their little cultural and spiritual decay to be so mean to us? Huh. That's it. That's like, that's literally it. it. Yeah. Um, what might so that history four, be? Like, he doesn't... Um, he brings up Jonestown, oh which, uh, you know, go fucking look up any other, like, podcast of, like, strange news stuff, and they'll tell you all about Jonestown because... You, you know, you don't... I mean, the, there's some alleged, like, CIA connections and stuff. There's a like, there's a, there's a book uh, called The Road to Jonestown that's really good that you should uh, check out if you want to get any further into the Jonestown massacre. craziness. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so does that book also just to 
kind of uh, briefly touch on what Bramley mentions about the Jonestown incident. Um, are there connections to like CIA activities and shit in that book? Uh, he, he, does, he does. Book he does. He does mention up? that uh, they use the drug. Um, they were they using MK Ultra. Yeah. Right, but that's what Bramley talked about. Is it also in that book he brought up? I don't know. I've never read the book necessarily, but oh, I mean, okay. I, it's like, been it's been because uh, when you brought up the road to Jonestown, it I just it seemed to me like it was implied that you had checked it out. No, no, I, um, I have not read the book, but I mean, it's it's oh, one on my, my list. So, so uh, that question's not well placed. Then, so yes. <laughs> uh, um, point number five. Books, movies, and other art forms tend to give a romantic twist to UFOs or UAPs, sorry, mm -hmm. spies, assassination conspiracies, and so on. And, or as we are perhaps beginning to realize, behind this romance, there lies some cruel and brutal psychoses. <laughs> <gasps> no way. <laughs> um, so, like, he just goes on to talk about how sociopaths like government work. Yeah, it's like, you know, how do sociopaths come to, like, enter these roles? Like, how do they fit into the custodial plan? You know, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Um, sociopaths with high IQs can be quite clever. How they can fit into the plan is questionable, but you can very much probably guarantee that there are a lot of sociopaths within uh well, and then also he uh, asked a question of like, you know, why do people tolerate these sociopaths in positions of power? Like, how does this all kind of work? Maybe like, because they bitch the loudest, and no one wants to, no one wants to confront them. They're <laughs> able to um, uh, number six perpetuate a social norm of some sort. Uh, it says this book barely touched upon the influence of the Brotherhood organizations in Asian history. Uh, I discussed Hinduism, but there is a great deal more to be found. For example, the bloody Boxer Rebellion in China in 1900 was instigated by members of the Asian branch of the Brotherhood Network, the Boxers. Again, uh, something you can touch on if you want to go any further with yep. that. Yep, yep. Seven. A uh, topic I wanted to research drugs. deeper was drugs. And drugs are cool. Drugs are fun. Uh, take drugs. Number but eight. he was like, you know, kind of yeah. like, you know, ultimately, you know, why did drugs become a thing to begin with? Yeah, like where who, did they come from? Who, who first was, who was the first pusher, essentially? Yeah. Well, I would say it's more like uh, natural, psycho, like uh, psychotropic drugs, uh, mushrooms, uh, DMT. Wait, like, well, when you're, when you're talking about it as a part of human culture, yes. Uh, well, yeah, if you're going to go up like peyote, like back in the day, like a lot of those were just for mind altering drugs. Yeah. Not necessarily. Right. Uh, go hang out with the peyote. The shamans, like all those kinds of people, they all took drugs. Or if you would consider, call them drugs necessarily. Yeah, but like Bramley's basically, you know, drugs are always there. But was there a time when these were like kind of like really pushed on the society? Like, you know, yeah. From the like perspective of the ran, state. Like a few random buddies out there, they were like, oh man, these mushrooms. CIA you know, like was really like, hey, smoke this blunt. But... And people were like, why? And the CIA was like, because it's great. And they were like, yes. Yeah, but was there a custodial like role where like, like when was the moment when, like, <laughs> the custodians want everybody to, to get really stoned? Um, which I think is a kind of a cool question <laughs> considering, you know, these aliens might know fucking everything, you know? Maybe. Maybe they just want us to be high all the time because this just makes us more pliable and easy to... Um, Influence. And number eight is a tough one. Um, 
It's, it's a, just a another like subject. real random ass uh, sort of associ- association. He's talking about child abduction, uh, human uh, well, trafficking. He does talk about child abduction and human trafficking, but he also talks about little people like snatching. Yeah, like, like uh, uh, Jean which is fucking cool because like, I've got that fucking book like from Folklore to Flying Saucers. Like and Alien Duendes. It's a whole like series of discussions that he wrote like in the 60s about like you know, the little people and right. their wands and how they abduct children and stuff. You know, right. it's, it's, uh, so, it's kind of coincidental that that's the last point he makes because our next topic that we're going to discuss after... Our little our, people. Our little people. <laughs> Dwindas, yeah. Uh, not planned out at all. Just nope, happened. We're, happy just, we're just awesome that way. Just like and we were talking about this book and all but, the other um, Towards the end, he really gets into this whole thing. He's just, you know, like, I hope the other questions may inspire some research, but mostly like, you know, be curious and be happy with what you're doing. Be happy. Be be joyful and research, fun with it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> be well. Um, he says, I will encourage other people to explore those topics about which they are curious be and to share wrong. what they find. Uh, you and I may not always be right, but the important thing is to be willing to explore and communicate. Uh, leaving with the last uh, words that he says here, learning that one is aired is often a hard pill to swallow, but it is part of the learning process. The man who pretends that he has always been right is either an egoist or a liar. And he does not learn much of anything either. Good luck. I would never pretend. And happy sleuthing. So that's the end of the book, guys. We did it. Boys, we reached the top of the mountain. I'm so happy to be done with this. And it is good. (laughs) I can now read a bunch of stuff that's back there that I haven't touched yet. (laughs) Hooray. Me too. I just took all my shit out. So, fans, I just tossed my fucking copy of Gods of Eden. And I'm going to go outside and smoke floor. mine right now. Watch. Watch. Um, so, initially, uh, Daniel, what did you think about this book? And would you recommend it to anyone else? Initially, absolutely loved it. Um, <laughs> and and I, still, I still really like it. Um, yeah. But I just... You know, but Bramley kind of covers his ass at the end where he's just like, well, there's stuff that I didn't really investigate as yeah. hard or whatever. Real last better, minute coming in clutch. Um, hey, by the way, guys, this is just a theory. <laughs> no, but I still hold a lot of... What's up? No, I just want to say, like, if he would have said that sooner, like maybe in the first... maybe You, you think uh, people would have lost interest or not, not? Would they have lost interest or they would have, like, forgiven him more for, like, his style of writing going through? I would have, I would have totally, like, given him a complete pass because it's like, dude... Yeah. You gave yeah. me like, like say it's a library book, just like you know, because something sitting on a random shelf at some public library. Somebody, somebody picks I, it up, and they're not going to waste their time potentially because within the first few pages, he's like, "Yo, hey, here's some caveats to my research. Like, I don't speak anything but English, so as <laughs> restricted resources I mean, in that regard." I I um, think it was pretty interesting. There's if he took the if he t- if he took the stance of a skeptic from from the get go, like maybe if uh, he had yeah. a more uh, extended version of was it the last chapter like notes of the researcher or whatever, <laughs> if that was his intro chapter, that I think this book would have like taken a like people or like and even we could have approached it way more differently. 
Um, where it's like this guy's definitely opened has like, some problems with organization, but now we know that he's very like clear of like here's what I'm working with, and then you can criticize him from there. Um, this is my failed dissertation. He still has have like some poor scholarship where he yeah. says, you know, there's multiple volumes on this and that, but then he doesn't like cite shit or he'll, you know, cite block quotes of one thing. I but think not he left it out on purpose. Support an even crazier claim. Yeah. Maybe partly um, like due to like laziness or whatever, but also partly due to uh, that. I, and I think he mentions it towards the end. So like he just had so much information to fucking work with and he was trying to condense it down as much as possible. Right. Um, so once again, like, you know, he does take some time to kind of like cover his ass, but like maybe he was like forward with that rather than like as an afterthought, maybe this book would have been like, just go like, okay, cool. I'm not going to expect certain things mm-hmm. it's just based on these right. kind of lines of evidence you seem to take to a pretty very a specific points of pragmatic like ad, the uh, world uh, adoption um but no i i would still definitely recommend this book to anybody to read. it's pretty interesting um, uh it, it, it it's is. super fun um at the very least you get like a like this is a like a primer to old world history and to like secret society uh, uh history sort of thing um, that you could definitely use to go off and like, oh yeah, and, point, and to point that, you in a few to that effect, it, you few know, inter- like few interesting does encourage people to like explore and stuff, and he does at least give you a bibliography that you can just start working from. So Ray, like, so now that um, you spent some time with this book, like, how do you feel about it? Like, would you still recommend it to somebody, or do you feel that there's something like better as a primer, and then eventually they can get around to Bramley? Uh, honestly, I feel that uh, I would still recommend this book. It is that's all that this book is is just a primer. So I mean, just kind of like mm-hmm. throwing out topics uh, to introduce uh, uh, the layman to. And I mean, when I first read it, yeah, I hadn't read Twelve Planet, I hadn't read Communion, How I hadn't long have you read been like in- Gods, uh, and I don't think I had read uh, Chariots of the Gods either. So I mean, this kind of opened up a door to a lot of those books, and, and a lot of books that are mentioned in here as well. Right. And and also like just to uh, reiterate to our listeners, or maybe like people decided to like just hop onto this episode and listen to the end of a book that Meh. they're totally like unaware about. Dumbledore dies. It's just the end game, but. Um, you did start this book a long time ago and slowly kind of went through it yeah, because it was just like, oh, you pick yeah. it up, read a chapter, put it down. A few months goes by, yeah. oh, read a few more. This, I, um, it, it, I think it took me like two years to read this book. So I would like read it here and right. there. So it's like for yeah. like context of our readers like, or our listeners rather, just like, yo, like, yo, this was a, a slow process for you. Like, Yeah, like I, I didn't finish reading like, it until like 2009 or so and uh, – I mean, I think at that point, uh, that's when I actually read Chariots of the Gods. I read that pretty quickly. Um, I had skimmed through the 12th planet. Like, I didn't go as deep as we did in the Ugh. previous episode. Um, but that's when I read, like, a lot. Of, I started, like, getting into, like, a lot of other stuff uh, regarding, like, cases. And uh, I learned more about Travis Walton, all that kind of stuff. But um, I would recommend this book to pretty much anyone who's... Just either is interested in the I mean, subject or finds yeah. it like um, entertaining. And in if any you way. like watching Aging Aliens, this is more of the same. Yeah. Like you get to find and, out where all right, so most of the main one ideas. Absolute redeeming came from. factor about this fucking book is you can tell people 
It's a don't good think primer. about the aliens at all. Look at this as a interesting history of like corrupted networks of human behavior mm-hmm. manipulating human affairs. Right, and how um, far back that goes, and how far because maybe the whole alien it, thing uh, was just fucking made up or whatever. Like right. you know, the gods just a ploy for you know elites to or people trying to be elites to exploit you know their common person. Right, and I, I do. Uh, Include this book in a, a trio, the trio of books that would get someone enough information regarding like the ancient alien theory itself. So, I mean, you would start off with uh, Chariots of the Gods, which kind of introduces that whole uh, idea that aliens came and like assisted human culture and humans mm-hmm. back in the day. And you go to 12 Planet where you go, it's like a prequel, you go back even further to when they actually like created humans and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And then Gods of Eden pretty much just gives you like the general Modern overview day. of a lot of these uh a lot of these uh occurrences in history just leading up to the present. Uh but that's how I kind of see those three books and how I kind of still it's been see an this place into those uh three or into that little trio there. Uh but I'll be happy to get away from aliens for a while. I'm like, no bullshit. Like, yeah. <laughs> I need a yeah, break. No, I need a break. It's, it's been rough, man. Like, yep, yep. even though I, I plan on reading other books about aliens, oh, it's just a yeah. different perspective. It's like looking at fucking like folklore discussions of like, oh, here's some parallels to UFO you know, phenomenon like I, or whatever. I'm interested in, I, I'm really excited to get into our next topics, uh, which happen to be like Duendes yeah, and, I'm looking forward to Duendes and all that kind of stuff, well, witchcraft. Like, like Those would be fun. Yep. Uh, Roland, what about you? Uh, what do you think about this book? Would you recommend yeah. it? Like, um, Absolutely. I uh, thought so far, like the books that we've read have been a very interesting uh, progression. Like, uh, it's more like a, not what you expected them no, to be. No, uh, not at all. Um, but they have sort of followed each other fairly well chronologically, which is really weird to me to think about because, yeah, we we uh, we started with the with the Twelve Planet, which goes back, uh, you know, it's like Sumerian times, basically cradle civilization, and then uh, goes up. Uh, through the uh, modern religions and how they have been influenced and sort of had the uh, had their ideas uh, 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 manipulated behind the scenes through the years, and then like this, just this has just been a natural progression of that. Like I was, t- I was telling you earlier, it follows into old world history, uh, into the modern day, into modernity, into like modern day United States, into South America, and so. Uh, it's been a very, uh, very cool uh, sort of like uh, uh, history primer, I guess, if anything. Um, I would recommend this, again, before I would recommend The Toll Planet. Uh, oh, absolutely. It's just yeah. easier to read, yeah. even though it's still That's wonky as fuck. the order I read it in. Like, I read Toll Planet after this book. Oh, um, okay. I thought it was... Well, like, I had it the other way around, and like, reading this now, I was just like, God damn, like, this is just so much easier to get through. Um, but again, also, like, he... Uh, he follows a different, uh, or rather, he follows a, a, yeah, no, yeah, he follows a, a different timeline than uh, than the Toll Planet does. Uh, it's just it's it's easier to follow, but again, like as far as the progression goes, you get a pretty pretty good fucking uh, uh, exposure to to like like modern modern history, old well, world, just many and, topics regarding like uh, secret societies and like yeah, possible and alien know, intervention. Like, yeah, to be absolutely. Like, uh, Shitty to you, Roland, but I just I know uh, Ray has read way more in the 
context of weird yeah. conspiracy. Like my my stuff. My ex- um my exposure is mostly to standard history, like in general. Like a lot of the things so, that he was talking about here with uh with the old world and the new world I was already familiar with, but you know, it's like it's cool to get a refresher on yeah, like Calvinism, fucking Lutherism, uh Lutherans, uh, you know, and all the other religions again. Uh but as far as secret societies go, like Raid, Raid be the uh specialist here. Oh, right. But that. like with any of this kind of like weird stuff, um, the question that I want to pose to you, Ray, would be uh do you feel that Gods of Eden is a very good kind of like kind of like gateway drug almost to <laughs> other things of the weird, like as like think of like Ike thinking about like some of these other uh, Nordic alliances and space and, you know, the I would say, ideas I would, of- I would say absolutely because, again, it, since I've always considered this just like, a, like I said, like an introductory book to people. Like So, like, if you can get through this, again, it's a fairly easy read. You can get through it pretty quickly. The chapters aren't long at all. Um, but if any of this kind of piques your interest, like, you can pretty much move on from this to something else. And dive a little bit deeper because this doesn't go deep enough for anyone no. to kind of like to kind of like yeah, repel it's, it's anybody. Like, it's a really primer. Sink your teeth yeah. into yeah. you. But it, to, but if you, you really want to go hard, if you really want to like go into like aliens or ancient aliens or like um, this, possible, so point you in uh, a good direction. Yeah, this is, societies or just yeah, the CIA, exactly. yeah. you know, influence of the world or just the idea. Of yeah, because I mean, political assassination. Yeah, this talks like, about like CIA stuff and like. Conspiracy Actually, theories fuck, in general. Sorry, that was an oxymoron. Like, because uh, all assassinations are political. Uh, so this doesn't necessarily just go into like <sighs> aliens movies. necessarily, but it also brushes on uh, conspiracy theories within like governments right. and stuff like that. Yeah. So like this is this like, and also just like the development of like different houses of power. Like, exactly. Because you yeah. get, like, right. The interesting yeah. idea of like how the House of Orange uh, got involved into various. Uh, Royal families and are still like relevant They're today still around. after yeah. you know hundreds of years, and that's fascinating. Yeah. And again, if you do like history and you want to get into like weird history, there's a lot of information here. Yeah. This is yeah. a good place to start to get you. Um, I wouldn't recommend going. anything like Twelve Planet initially because that could just turn uh, someone off. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of lot. Of, a lot of mythology there, more than actual. This this one is just considered like this a is more. This is more theory. like a historical. Like, that's, that's all it is. Like uh, this yeah. is your first step into weird shit, Corey. and um, it won't overwhelm you necessarily, no. especially if you're just reading it very casually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it might pique your interest on certain topics that you maybe weren't familiar with initially. Yeah, so. there were, there were a few in here that I was I was yeah. It's 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 still a pretty pretty uh, pretty good read. But yes, I'd recommend this, and uh, anyone out there, I recommend either picking up a copy. There might be one at your local Barnes and Nobles. I'm not yeah. saying that there might be, but there might be. You can order it. Um, not, but yeah. So, I again, this book doesn't get much uh, notoriety for most people. I mean, which is weird, man. Yeah. Like, but it's, it's I mean, such a cool book, you yeah. know, like. And I, I, I don't recall how I came upon it. I think I may have been like perusing the bookstore and then it just stuck out. At some point, I was just like, huh, I think I'll read this one. And then I just got it. Mm. Um, but it's this funny. is for me, like going to random ass bookstores, like half price books, 
uh, Barnes and Nobles, the gallery. I probably got it at the gallery. You I need might to go back there. The uh, which back. is a like a witch it's a specialty store, store. Specialty store yeah. in uh, in Cal, Texas. Counterculture. Yeah. Books there. And I I bought a lot of Alistair Crowley books there too. Like it's just and sex toys. Yeah. I bought no sex but, stories. I mean, you know, regardless of the <laughs> origin story. Um, yeah, let's go start to premium. I, I'm glad you uh, thought of this for this program. Like, it's as you're talking in our like pre-show nonsense. Like, we spent like what 15 hours or so, like talking about this fucking book. Yeah, actually, um, yeah, at this point, it could be 15 way to 16. longer than I thought it yeah. would. So, we had a pretty pretty close guess. Damn boys. Okay, so uh, we're going to bring this episode to a close. I'm glad it's over. This is... Um, oh, fuck yeah. I'm so glad it's over. It's It wasn't as bad as Toll Planet by any means, but uh, this was still... But it was still very long. It was longer than yeah. Toll Planet for sure. Yeah, it was a, a bit of a lecture going through this. Okay, so um, again, we'll see you on our next episodes. Uh, we'll be coming at you hopefully every two weeks. We'll come at with, come at you with another episode. Some news coming up or some such. Uh, there's a lot of news going on. A lot of weird shit people are talking there's about. A, there's a cool story I want to talk to you guys about this after we record or after we cut the recording, but yeah. Like, okay, uh, so um, my name is Ray. This is Roland. And Pacific Northwest. And Daniel. All right, we'll see you on our next episode. We'll and see you. Hopefully it won't be too long until that comes out. Peace. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Blue midgets came into my house. Hey, it's ridiculous. I had some kind of a rectal probe. Ridiculous. 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 I, they took me out of the house and they stuck a, a needle in my head. Then I was saying small people coming into my house. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I, they took me out of the house and they stuck a, a needle in my head and I had some kind of a rectal probe. <laughs>